Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, The True Planetary and Galactic History Herstory and True History Herstory of Nasara. Infinite blessings as we approach our new moon right on the 1212 portal. And so let us go into our heart centers as we begin going into the heart center, the portal to all that is. We call forth at this time the full mergence with our soul, with our higher self, with our monad, with our mighty I am presence, and all of our multidimensional being through to our God presence and Goddess presence. We wish to do this ascension work and anchor heaven on earth with everybody across the planet. So we call them in in unity consciousness through the following invocation. Please say with me, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. And feel yourself connecting heart to heart, high heart to high heart. Cosmic heart to cosmic heart with everyone across the planet. And connecting as well to the cosmic heart of all that is. So we invite in for everyone, all of our soul extensions, planetary and galactic, to receive the benefits of this sacred work. All of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage or ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pods. We welcome for each and every one all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame our Ascension Council and Mission Council. We welcome the assistance of all the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature. The whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms, We welcome all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim, and all angelic healing teams and healers. We welcome all of the ascended masters, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the radiant ones, all of the enlightened masters. All Divine Mother Emissaries, Divine Father Emissaries, 
all of our planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light, and all ascended master healers and healing teams. We welcome the assistance of all of our friends from the Galactic Federation of Light and their healing teams, especially those we work so closely with, those from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, and from Venus, from Lyra and beyond, and all cosmic, galactic, universal healers that can be of service. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do, and magnify, magnify, magnify all of our work, 999 billion times, 999 billion times in alignment with divine will and divine law as we call forth all of the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws and ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it be received individually and collectively through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our orc field, multidimensionally, on a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level. The maximum that we can receive, ever expanding to perfection. And we ask to easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that is received with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, and love and light and laughter. We call forth everyone and everything in our circle of support from the very first name that created it to every man, woman, and child, every family member and loved one, every friend, every neighbor, every pet, every animal, each and every one of our neighborhoods, each and every group and organization, each business, each corporation, each and every aspect of life, each and every nation, each military, and each government, as we call forth all the rays, flames, universal laws, and ascension waves to overlight and flood the legislative aspect of each government here and in each nation, each legislative body. Each Congress, the U.S. Senate, the House of Representatives, every Parliament, every lawmaking body on national, state, and local levels, each state legislature, each city council, each library board, each school board, and every aspect of lawmaking 
as we ask that all laws being considered and enacted only reflect divine law, divine justice, divine love, divine government, divine governance, and heaven on earth. We call for the same for the executive aspect of each government. Each and every president and prime minister, each head of state, each vice president, each cabinet post and cabinet member, the Department of State, the Department of Justice in each and every nation, and all decision makers, all advisors, as we ask that all decisions that are made be made based on divine law and divine justice, divine governance, divine government, divine love, and heaven on earth. We call forth the same and all the rays, flames, universal laws, and essential waves into the judicial aspect of each government here and in each nation. The U.S. Supreme Court and all of its upcoming court cases and, and decisions, anything that they might have to rule on in this coming year. And all federal, state, and local aspects of the judicial system, all of the judicial um, systems in each and every nation, all international courts as well, all judges, all juries, all grand juries, all defendants, all prosecutors, each and every case, no matter how large or small. And we call for that flame of divine justice, the flame of divine liberty, calling in Lady Portia, calling in Lady Liberty. As we ask that all decisions made on any level of any court system in any land be truly based on divine law, divine justice, divine love, divine governance, divine government, and heaven on earth. And we call forth everything in our circle of support, everything that is not reflecting heaven on earth. As we call Mother Mary in to assist us in holding the divine blueprint, Yesterday, December 8th, was about the divine blueprint, the immaculate concept. The immaculate conception is really about the immaculate concept. And Mary is helping us hold that concept, that divine blueprint. Each, each of us individually, as well as the collective. For that divine health divine perfection in our lives, the fulfillment of our divine mission. And we ask that this be activated to the maximum that we can receive each and every man, woman, and child on earth. That we may hold that divine image of heaven on earth. 
hold the divine blueprint for everyone else to step into their power, to step into their divinity, to know who they are as a divine being and know their divine puzzle piece, their mission on earth, their peace that they are contributing to heaven on earth. And we call in all of the energy around the new moon, around the 1212, around the holidays, around Hanukkah, around Christmas, around all of our, uh, the solstice energy, calling all that energy in, and all the things that people are focused on, whether it's shopping or finishing school, their school year or um, the energy that they might be expending towards sports teams or anything else. We want to call in all that energy into our collective cup of consciousness right here and right now to help us to anchor heaven on earth. Through their I am presence, we call this forth for their assistance right here and right now to anchor heaven on earth. And so we call Mother Gaia to receive all that we receive through her chakras and meridians and layers of her orc field multidimensionally, through her ley lines and song lines, through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system. And through every molecule of soil, molecule of air, molecule of water, molecule of fire, through every portal, every vortex, every monument, every sacred site, every place of power, every stargate, every city of light, till this entire planet just blossoms with such love and light. And peace prevails on earth in each and every moment. And every aspect of heaven is truly manifest. At this new moon, 1212 portal, the time is exact at 632, which comes to 11. The date 1212-2023 comes to a 13. We have our our eleven representing heaven on earth. We have our divine feminine and the the number of Mother Sekhmet number thirteen as the date. Powerful in our twelve twelve. So this is such a powerful day, and we call in all of this to be fully manifest in divine order. And we call forth the perfection of our solar light bodies as we do the following meditation. So see it, sense it, feel it, feel yourself fully anchored to heaven and earth with such an expanded heart, such an expanded pillar of light. The earth and everyone held in our heart center. As we do this activation, we do this for one and all. This is in the first person. I am sitting comfortably in my chair with my arms and legs uncrossed and my spine as straight as possible. I breathe in and out deeply. As I exhale, I am completely relaxed. 
I am enveloped in an invincible force field of Archangel Michael's protection, which prevents anything that is not of the light from interfering with the sacred activity. I am now entering the divinity of my heart. As I do, I experience a journey in consciousness that is lifting me into the realms of illumined truth. Mother Mary is here with us, as well as Archangel Michael, Raphael, and so many beings of light. I am ascending a mighty shaft of light. And instantly I find myself in the pure land of boundless splendor and infinite light. And in this sublime moment, I realize I am standing in front of a magnificent crystalline temple. A temple of healing and transfiguration. It is Mother Mary that is here with me, beckoning me, and I ascend the steps. I pass through the massive golden doors, and Mary escorts me through an alabaster hallway into a massive chamber in the center of the temple. Now pulsating in the center of this central chamber is a huge crystal lotus blossom and pulsating within the center of the lotus blossom is a Madonna blue flame with a white radiance. This is the flame of the immaculate concept. See it, sense it, and feel it. As I stand within the central chamber, I notice that there are four smaller chambers at cardinal points of this massive room. Each of these chambers has a smaller crystal lotus blossom with the flame of the immaculate concept blazing in the center. Mother Mary beckons me and I enter the flame of the immaculate concept in the huge crystalline lotus blossom in the central chamber. I stand within the scintillating essence of the sacred fire and I begin to experience the vibratory rate of my physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies being accelerated. My consciousness is being lifted up and I perceive more clearly than ever before the divine blueprint for my earthly vehicles. This blueprint is the template for my solar light bodies. Pouring forth now from the very heart of my Mother, Father, God is a tremendous shaft of light that is pulsating within the divine qualities of healing, restoration, transformation, and transfiguration. This shaft of light descends into the flame of the Immaculate Concept in the central lotus blossom. It begins blazing in through and around my four earthly bodies. This shaft of light from my mother, father, God now expands out to the four chambers of the cardinal points. I realize that each chamber is dedicated to one of my four earthly bodies. 
Mother Mary directs me to consciously project my emotional body and all of my feelings into the chamber at the cardinal point to the east. The flame of healing, restoration, transformation, and transfiguration blazes in through and around this vehicle, transmuting every trace of imbalance. My I Am Presence now projects the divine blueprint from my emotional light body through this vehicle, and it begins pulsating as a light pattern, transfiguring this vehicle instantly into the immaculate concept of my emotional solar light body. I now consciously project my mental body and all of my thoughts into the chamber at the cardinal point to the west. The flame of healing, restoration, transformation, and transfiguration blazes in through and around this vehicle, transmuting every trace of imbalance. My I Am Presence now projects the divine blueprint for my mental light body through this vehicle, and it begins pulsating as a light pattern transfiguring this vehicle instantly into the immaculate concept of my mental solar light body. I now consciously project my etheric body and all of my memories and records of the past into the chamber at the cardinal point to the north. The flame of healing, restoration, Transformation and transfiguration blazes in through and around this vehicle, transmuting every flame of imbalance. My I Am Presence now projects the divine blueprint for my etheric body through this vehicle, and it begins pulsating as a light pattern, transfiguring this vehicle instantly into the immaculate concept of my etheric solar light body. I now consciously project my physical body, every cell, every atom, every gland, muscle, organ, and function into the chamber at the cardinal point to the south. The flame of healing, restoration, transformation, and transfiguration blazes in through and around this vehicle transmuting every trace of imbalance. My I Am Presence now projects the divine blueprint from my physical body through this vehicle. And it begins pulsating as a light pattern, transfiguring this vehicle instantly into the immaculate concept of my physical solar light body. Now, one by one, I magnetize my solar light bodies back into the flame of the immaculate concept in this central chamber where they are brought into perfect alignment. First, my physical solar light body. Then my etheric solar light body. Then my mental solar light body then my emotional solar light body. Maintaining the frequency of these perfected vehicles, 
I return my consciousness to the physical plane. I now go about my life knowing that my solar light bodies are manifesting moment by moment. My I am presence is in command. I am that I am. I am that I am. I am that I am. And we seal this by affirming. I am the immaculate concept of my solar light bodies. I am a radiant being of light. I am eternally youthful, vibrantly healthy, radiantly beautiful. I love my solar light bodies. I nourish them with perfect eating and drinking habits, deep breathing, fresh air, sunshine, exercise, positive thoughts, and harmonious feelings. I am God, goddess in action. And with every breath I take, I am adding to the light of the world. I am fulfilling every aspect of my divine plan perfectly. I am daily and hourly open and receptive to the flow of God's abundance. All my relationships are expressions of divine love and reverence for all life. My work fills my life with a sense of joy and accomplishment. Every day I'm richly rewarded creatively and financially. Each day I commune with the angels and the elementals. I walk hand in hand with these beings of light. Divine love, eternal peace, abounding joy and happiness, prosperity. Victorious accomplishment and God's will are the order of the new day on earth. Through the presence of God, God as I am, I ask that my solar light bodies be maintained and eternally self-sustained until they are tangibly present in the world of form. It is done and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. And we celebrate our abundance as we call in the golden flame of abundance to blaze in through and around us in honor of this sacred new moon. And right on the portal of 1212. So see it, sense it, feel it through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of your orc field, that golden flame of abundance. So we call it in for Gaia and for every man, woman, and child upon the planet. Through the power of God, God is blazing in my heart and the hearts of all humanity. I joyously receive and accept the gift of God's golden flame of eternal peace and infinite abundance. On the wings of this divine light, 
I ascend into the causal body of God. From this realm of divine consciousness, I have the clear inner knowing that God is my supply. I relinquish now in the name of God, Goddess I am, all of the power I have ever given to lack and limitation. Through my thoughts, words, actions, and feelings, in any time frame or dimension, both known or, or unknown. I relinquish now in the name of God, Goddess I am, all of the beliefs I have ever had that were based in poverty consciousness. From this moment forward, I consecrate and dedicate my very life to be the open door through which the new frequencies of the golden flame of eternal peace and infinite abundance will now flow to bless me, my family, my friends, co-workers, and all humanity. As I breathe, think, speak, feel, and act, the presence of God, Goddess, within me is perpetually expanding the golden light of eternal peace and infinite abundance to all life evolving on earth. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. As we affirm, beloved presence of God, Goddess, pulsating in my heart and in the hearts of all humanity. Expand, expand, expand. In the fullness of your divine powers, raise me and every human being up into our full divine potential. Blaze the golden flame of God's abundance and eternal peace through my heart center until this sacred flame is visible to the sight of everyone and fold all life within the radiance of this divine gift. May all humanity hear and respond to the celestial command for the golden light of eternal peace and infinite abundance to manifest now on earth. Through the presence of God, Goddess I am, I expand and externalize God's eternal peace and abundance with every breath I take. Through the presence of God, Goddess I am, I receive and externalize my financial freedom and the golden light of God's abundance fulfilling my every need. Through the presence of God, Goddess I am, I freely share my abundance with humanity, thus co-creating the new earth and opening the door for the flow of God's abundance into my life. Through the presence of God, Goddess I am, I perceive and externalize every minute the patterns of perfection for the new earth now made manifest in the physical plane. Through the presence of God, Goddess I am, I create and externalize every minute an aura of divine peace, divine light, which acts as a natural conductor of God's will 
to all life wherever I am. I accept and know that through the presence of Mother, Father, God, Source, God, Goddess, I am pulsating in every heart. This glorious activity of light is expanding in power and might daily and hourly with every breath I take. Through the grace of our Mother, Father, God, it is victoriously accomplished, and so it is. The light of God is always victorious, and I am that light. Say it with me. The light of God is always victorious, and I am that light. The light of God is always victorious, and I am that light. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath as we call forth Gaia and Sandalphon to assist us in, again, an effortless anchoring of all that we've received. I thank you for your divine service. I ask for this to be sealed, maintained, and sustained ever expanding to perfection that we be amazingly blessed during this season ahead, the new moon, the Hanukkah season, all of the holiday season, the 1212 portal, blessed by each of these divine blessings and gifts. May you be blessed infinitely for your divine service work. We thank you for your service work. And we invite you to further service work every Sunday and Monday evening. Christmas Day is always the exception, and that falls on Monday this year. So there's no call on the 25th, but there is on the 1st. So our teleconference call... The Ascension Meditation and Activation Call is every Sunday and Monday. We begin at 8.30, 8, I'm sorry, 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. We have about 25 minutes of greetings and then a brief update from Tar and Rama at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific Time. We start our work of bringing heaven to earth with our meditations, our activations, our visualizations, our decrees, our prayers, our invocations. And every every night is, is unique. And of course, we have our updates, too. We'll have some new moon updates uh, tomorrow night. So the phone number to dial, the main number is this, area code 480-660. Two 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 four four eight zero six six zero two 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 four. The access code is nine four six seven four four one pound nine four six seven four four one pound. And we invite you to be part of our regular family of light, doing this service of bringing heaven to earth. So thank you, thank you, thank you once again for your divine service. 
I want to wish you an amazing week. Again, happy Hanukkah. Um, happy 1212 portal. Happy new moon. May infinite blessings change our lives and bring heaven to earth here this week. So we thank you, thank you, thank you, and we thank Charan Rama for their amazing service. In fact, on the 1212 portal is their anniversary. So we want to wish them an exceptionally happy and blessed anniversary. And we want to thank Rainbow for her service as well. I love you all. Thank you so much. Have a, have a wonderfully blessed week. And Rainbow, this talking stick has all of the rays on it. It has that Madonna blue and white flame of the Immaculate Concept. It has that golden flame of eternal peace and infinite abundance and every other frequency that we might need. It's got fairy energy, angelic energy, crystalline energy, gemstone energy, dragon energy, every frequency that can enhance this anchoring of heaven. And with that, I'm going to pass the talking stick to you, Rainbird. Thank you so much. And uh, much love and gratitude. We'll see you tomorrow. Hi, Rainbird. Welcome back. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'll take that talking stick. And thank you, Cheryl, for your divine service as well. So I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's each of us that make it happen. And so I'm here to show you how to do that in a good way. Um, each week we have expenses with DBS Radio, and this month they're $305 each week. And um, we're still working on paying off November, though, and we still need a bit for that. We need um, $144.66 to complete the second week, and then another... Um, 708, so that adds up to $708.80 that we need for November, and then $610 for December, so that's $1,318. We would just love to focus on getting this paid off in a good way this month. So let's go to our heart space and see what is ours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com. And as you're on that home page, you'll see the schedule. You're looking at the schedule for Radio Station 1 and Radio Station 2. Radio Station 2 is this program, and you'll find it at the 3.30 hour. This is Central Time. And uh, it is the true history, Hershey, and Sarah, and our galactic origins with Tara and Rama on Saturdays. So that's where you access our account. And be, there's an icon there. Um, with our listing, and as you click on that icon, it takes you directly to our account with DBS Radio, where you can make a uh, donation in any amount using your bank card. And then the same is true for the two programs on Radio Station 1. At the 8 o'clock hour on Fridays and Thursdays, you'll see uh, our programs listed. Thursday is a night at the roundtable with the panel. And then on Friday is the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama. Just click on one of those icons for either program and uh, use your bank card and, and make that donation and be generous. We want to get caught up. So we are so grateful for your 
your activity here and coming each week and we're grateful for all the ways you show up in your lives. So thank you for um, continuing to make this happen in a good way. We're grateful for all that BBS radio, radio provides for us as support for this, our programs and, and patients and in how we get it paid. <laughs> so, but let's not stress that. Let's be in that holiday mode and and embrace the spirit of giving and paying it forward. And you know, as you've done it, it always returns itself many folds. So may that be quite true as well. We know it is, and we're grateful for that way of uh, blessing our own abundance that way. So 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. So we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And this week they need $415 for bills, $200 for living expenses. They do have some money coming in from uh, a GoFundMe account that will help with that. But um, so, but as we can, we can assist them. This is what they need and this is how we make a contribution to Tara and Rama. And and send help them celebrate their anniversary on the twelfth. So let's let's be generous. Here's how we do it. You go to you want to go to the web address to access the PayPal account for Rainbow Roundtable. And so there's a donate link on the homepage uh, at the web address, which is RainbowRoundtable.net. And then also, if you're receiving the email update, you can find that. I link there to that uh, PayPal account as well. So, um, yeah, so link to that PayPal account and then make your donation in any amount. And if you want to access the friends option, you need the email for that account, and it is as follows: Koran K O R A N nine 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 at Comcast. I mean, excuse me, at Hotmail dot com. Koran9999 at hotmail.com. And as you put that in, you should be able to access that friends option. You put it in the gifting line there where they ask for it. And if you have any issues about it and can't quite figure it out, be sure just to go to the help section and it describes how to make a gift donation. So there you go. That's how we make it happen. Either way, it's perfect. We're grateful for all your contributions. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you for taking that action and supporting Tara and Rama with their needs and and their family of critters, the ones that uh, domesticate the house and the ones that live in the, the shed out back and the ones that follow him in the car <laughs> and wait for that compost, the deer and the crows. So... We're tending to a lot as we assist Tara and Rama, and uh, we're grateful for all of you for your participation. As you're sending something, please let them know. Uh, Rama's email address is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999-39 at Comcast.net. Let them know what you sent and when you sent it. And then as you need it, the mailing address is Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D. Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, 
Post Office Box 280, and that is in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, where the zip is 87567. I'll say it again. Post Office Box 280, 280. Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567 is the zip. So there you have it. That's the whole video. And again, lots of gratitude for all your generosity and your gifts and and making it a little extra in the spirit of the holidays and and in the spirit of paying it forward. So much gratitude for all of you. Thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart. Long life, no evil, and I'm passing this talking stick and it's got Christmas parade written all over it. <laughs> so all kinds of things. Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer is there. And then there's lots of fairies and feathers, and they got all kinds of decorations and angels. And there's this this talking stick was set by, by Cheryl, so it has all of these all of these rays and gems and and uh, uh, flames on it as well for our healing and 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 our <laughs> uh, our embetterment. <laughs> I'm not getting the word out. So greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes this talking stick with all the little people, the gnomes, the elves, the manahunis, and the magical beast. And so Sasquatch and dragon and unicorn are here as well. Greetings and lots of reindeer. Here comes this talking stick. Welcome, Tara and Lama. Greetings. Greetings. All your commanders, eagles, and angels, and thank you, thank you, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, everyone and... Yes, thank you, Cheryl Rainbird. Cheryl and Rainbird. Everyone who has um, helped us. Um, I was able to pay a partial payment on the phone bill. I still $100 on the phone bill. And, um, we're, ne I'm negotiating with them about a different phone. And a different second phone, because the second phone that we've been paying for every month it basically is broken. Yeah, it um, the battery uh, wore out basically. And they told Rama a year and a half or so ago, if he brought that second phone back, uh, he'd have to pay forty some dollars to them for bringing it back. Yeah. Plus, he'd still have to pay the same amount as if they kept the same phone. So. <laughs> Things are going on that's very strange. <laughs> Blaze the violet fire. What I could say about the energies today, um, I got a very short message from Rosa from Palestine. Before you go on, Rama's going to talk on Tuesday, I think, with the yeah. phone people. Yeah. And he's going to need money up front uh, with him to settle whatever it's going to be, and it's going to be in and around $150, $160. Yeah. And 
so the amount of money that we have and the things we need to pay do uh, already, I'm just saying, it's Christmas. Let's, let's see if we can give Christmas gifts to keeping this program moving along. We're approaching and already the shift has begun. Yeah, I mean, the way it was described to me by Rosa from Palestine, she's with the Galactics, and um, it's hard for me to say this, but it's also been said on BBC World News, half of Palestine does not have enough to they are starving and it's because of us and Mr. Yahoo and Blaze the Violet Fire they're not exactly saying that on the regular lamestream news but this is coming from Rosa and I you know asked her when are the galactics going to show up everywhere on the planet it's not just in Gaza and she basically just said, soon enough, hold on to your pants. <laughs> That's the way she put it. And what that tells me is, in spite of the lunatic fringe, and I put Senator Chuck Schumer in there, blaze of violet fires around him with lots of gold and purple and green light, the emerald green ray. He's got a heavy lift. And I just got to bring it back. There are both sides of the story are um, two coin, one coin, two sides. Doesn't matter what party, yet there are good people in the Democratic Party. And the other party, let's just say, it is such an ancient story, and there are people coming out with the real story of what happened in ancient Babylon, Sumeria, Enki and Enlil, the biblical stories. I know that Abraham was not a white guy. He was a black man. All the Hebrews of the ancient text were black, and they lied to us about that in Hebrew school and other places across the planet. It's not so cool, because this is the biggest issue going on here, because we want to meet some people who are blue or green. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> or they have tentacles, like the octopuses. They are human souls in those bodies and they come from different water worlds uh, across the galaxy and they are as just intelligent as we are we had better learn how to get along with our neighbors and they're not here to eat us they're here to help us understand understand, overstand how we can change this and right now What it, it, it is, in a sense, the holographic government, <laughs> I'm talking about the president and 
Kamala Harris, let's say she has to walk a razor's edge, and I blaze the violet fire, she knows what to do. She is very intelligent at that level, and she is connected with the ACIO, and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's a big deal. What's happening here is an orchestrated drama because basically Israel is broke, the United States is broke, something is about to shift. And it has to do not with something called the quantum financial network that's connected with Faction 2 or whatever is out there that's GSAR, it's not the truth at all. Something is happening and it has to do with the ascended masters and beings like the Pleiadians, the Syrians, the Andromedans, the Arturians, Antares. So many different cultures are here right effing now. They would like to interact with us, but it is about the guys with the guns. And as soon as that changes, we can have an exchange of ideas and change this story in an instant. That's why I keep being told that in the twinkling of an eye, this changes. We have the power to stop these fiends from their war tactics There are more of us than there are of them, but them is us too, and it's about the mind control, the matrix. As Omina was stating that um, the masses are at the uh, level of being, uh, uh, what did she call them? Uh, adolescent adolescent soul I would say toddler souls but no <laughs> that means they're not past the age of two I know no. yeah adolescent souls who have the power of creator source and they're using it for the wrong reason well they don't understand no and it's really important that we understand that what we do who know and are working with higher conscious awareness, we have a great responsibility uh, to teach Yes, what's uh, available in terms of the amazing beings that we are. The uh, whole education system is just going the opposite direction to teach you how you don't have anything to say. and If I looked at a current math textbook, I wouldn't even know how to go there. <laughs> well, yeah, but you're living it, Rama. You just may I, not understand it, but you're living yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, everything's going to be all right. Yeah, it is. I just wanted to say that the United States has sent 
another $106 million in arms sales worth of tank shells to Israel. Why? Well, they made this <laughs> and they buy, and Biden administration bypassed Congress and didn't make it Executive go through. Executive order, huh? No, he didn't do that either. He just sent it. Oh, oh my. And he said the U.S. is committed to the security of Israel, so that's that. We're not going to debate it. Oh, my God. I mean, that happens. Blaze the violet fire. That's, I think, unlawful. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just going to say a gentleman named Sahar Barnuk, an Israeli 25-year-old young man, he was a hostage in Israel. He was killed mm-hmm. in a rescue mission. Yeah, to attempt to rescue him, and he ended up getting killed. Okay, um, and the United States vetoed the UN resolution demanding a ceasefire. Yeah. This is this is war crime territory. It is. Place the violet fire. And nine out of ten Gazans, this is the way I heard it, are unable to eat something every day. Yes. Uh, so that goes along with the, uh, a more clear up. thing that half of the Palestinians of that statement are starving to death. Mm-hmm. Meaning they're not getting anything to eat every day. Yeah. Raise the light of fire. Call all the angels in here. This is, this is critical stuff. Uh, so I'm going to go on here. Um, the Biden administration bypassed, bypassed standard congressional procedures to send that $106 million. That's another confirmation from another news network. So war crimes are here. Um <clears throat> I'm just looking here. I'm going to go to this, uh, Mr. Speaker of the House, MAGA Mike Johnson is another nickname for him. He got on the air today and he said, we have to blur some of the faces of persons who participated. Just be standing by for when we're going to do that. Okay who participated in the event of that day. We have to blur some of the faces of persons. This speaker said this today on the air. Have to blur some of the faces of persons who participated in the event of that day because we don't want them to be retaliated against and to be charged by the Department of Justice. And to have 
have have other, you know, concerns and problems. What? That's a show, slow process. He's going on, he's continuing saying, that's a slow process to get it done. We're working steadily on it. We have hired additional personnel to do that. They aren't allowed to do that. Oh, my God. Ultimately, and they're talking as if it's just a normal day in the neighborhood. Ultimately, and all of those tapes, the page here, all of those tapes at the end will be out. So everybody can see them and draw their own conclusions after they've messed with them. So Yasmin Vasugian on her show, she's addressing um, Zoe Lofgren. She's an amazing person. She was on the 1-6 one, one committee along with Liz Cheney and others. But anyway, so you call this a bozo movie? This is what Yasmin is saying to Zoe. Talk more about that. And so Zoe says, yep. Well, you know, I served with Mike, Maga Mike, on the Judiciary Committee for a number of years. Just turning the page here. And he is a very careful speaker. As I heard that, what he just said, I was stunned that he is basically trying to protect from prosecution people who are criminals, who were in the Capitol rioting on the 6th of January, 2021. I mean, it's called insurrection, and that has to be account, held account, held to account before we can get Nassara enacted into law. And just this is why we go through these things. I mean, that's pretty shocking. Yet the other shocking thing is apparently he didn't realize the video of the rioters has already been provided to the FBI. Which means that if he provides a fixed version of it, they're going to see every square inch of what they did to, you know, cover things up. <laughs> so Yasmin says, right. And then Zoe goes on. So that's kind of a bozo move, if you would, if you might say. So then what about, Yasmin says, what about the ending of what I just played, of what I just played for folks, which is him, Mega Mike, saying, well, quote, well, I'm releasing this footage, and we want to blur the faces to protect those who are featured in this footage. Yet also, I'm doing it because I want folks to be able to draw their own conclusions. After they fix up the thing, (laughs) holy man, as to what happened on that day, on January 6th, after he messed with the footage. 
Just say it. What is your takeaway from that? This is uh, Yasmin asking Zoe. The way in which he, MAGA like Johnson, make America great again Johnson, <laughs> phrases that. So Zoe says, well, or Zoe says, well, I think it's once again, he is encouraging the far right to try and pretend that nothing happened on January 6th. I have colleagues who were evacuated along with me that day who are now trying to say, well, it was just like a tourist visit. That's absurd. I mean, you can take a picture of the hallway and say, there wasn't a riot here. That's true. Yet all you need to do is take a look at those rioters. I mean, we had over 160 officers injured. People lost fingers. A guy had his eye gouged out that day. And a police officer died the next day, but he was hurt that badly oh he was beaten almost within an inch of his life and he died the next day I mean and others in a couple of days later died too I think there were about five people that ultimately died from what happened that day everybody and I remember watching somebody with a gun shoot I forgot her name this young lady dead uh, and the footage was on screen on that day, inside, inside the Capitol building. Just to refresh our memories, everybody. This was a terrible assault. And there's not, there is no way to spin it otherwise, despite the effort, which I think Mike's release is trying in part of is part of, is trying, is part of reality. Jasmine says, Representative Lofgren, as always, Representative Zoe Lofgren, as always, it is a pleasure. Thank you. And tonight, Mr. Trump, the former President Trump, is... Uh, going to address New York Young Republicans tonight in New York City. I mean, it's already getting to that time. I'm not sure exactly when. I, I'm just, there you go with that. Okay, there's a few other things to read. I am going to read something that Caroline sent us back on the 5th, which was last Tuesday. And um, it's a really beautiful essay, as Caroline's stating here, from an, uh, my Australian friend, Carla Van Ray, R-A-A-Y, who was a guest on the show some years back. Quite a quote from the World Economic Forum that she opens with as well. So now, 
they are not even trying to hide their intentions, as we demonstrated with Mr. Maggie Johnson just right before this. So here we go. It's called Carla's News and Views. We shall begin. Here is a quote of the words of a prominent member of the World Economic Forum provided by Sir Julian Rose. We are going to invent non-biological humans. We will do better than God. As we said, this came from www.julianrose.com. Okay, the topic here at the first is called the hybrid human. Yes, there you have it. The great plan for the human race. The amazing and more than curious thing is, however, that something like this had already been conjured up in our distant past. To an extent, we already are hybrids. Our long and adventurous history is being revealed to us by archaeologists, psychics, and those among us who hail from another dimension, yet compassionately live among us, who, are, who dare to speak the truth of what they see, even as it contradicts the stories we have been fed to believe since we are children. The official narrative had to be clouded over in order that the human being would not start asking awkward questions. Yet these days, they are asking questions, those pesky humans. Their DNA was tampered with long ago, first by visitors who wanted to hasten our evolution, then by those who wanted war in the skies against them. Again, uh, and succeeded in dumbing down those same humans to where they, we, had never been before. For a long time, this situation has persisted with only a few in the know. And here we are, as a general population, still under the influence. Yet all is no longer as expected. The Earth's vibration is increasing, which means that the human mind is also becoming more attached to a higher vibe. That is, to more loving way, to a more loving way of experiencing life. Every single human being must feel this shift, this invitation, somehow. A bit of kaleidoscope history. Even in biblical times, when the settled invaders from another part of the galaxy saw that the human female was desirable, you read the Bible, don't you? <laughs> the offspring of the giants and human females possessed a superior intelligence. Never mind. A flood would fix that for the most part, and it did. What was not counted on was the fact that the essence of the human cannot separate from that of the of its creator God or loving presence. We always search in vain for a proper 
nomenclature. Even Yavah, a lesser god, exists only courtesy of his own connection to his divine creator, along with the hundreds, as not thousands of others, who were worshipped and served as gods, who have come and gone from this planet, yet who did not make it to the big book or to the Sumerian cuneiform tablets. Divinity has a way of enduring. The divine origin of the soul of a being could not be eradicated. And then in parentheses, note, the body is not divinely created. This fact has always been feared by those who would control us because we, because would-be controllers are actually impotent in the face of divinity. Becoming awake, becoming aware of the love within the heart and trusting it is the awakening. Naturally, awakened ones are not for war, for division, for harming the planet or anyone at all, and instead feel the brotherhood of man. This is extremely dangerous to those who run the World Economic Forum, the Bank of International Settlements, and corporations such as the Catholic Church and others, who in turn are being instructed by those actually in charge. The trouble with these unseen hands is that they are much cleverer than we are. Yet, yet, and this is a big but, they have no emotional intelligence. And this is starting to be their downfall. Those with an awakened heart can recognize the fruits of those whose minds are anything but loving. About our slavery. We have slavishly put our welfare into the hands of the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, eating food grown with pesticides. Paying the banks ignominious mortgages. Doing work we do enjoy and submitting ourselves to the influence of television and other electronic gadgets and media, etc. We have not realized what we were doing and need to forgive ourselves for it. We have learned to fear one another and believe that isolation is our star, our salvation. The desired new human hybridization. The new human hybridization program aimed at humanity in order to dampen the threat and threaten autonomy is largely administered via the 
health system and the media. So-called health system, everybody. It can be avoided, yet it will take some clear decisions on each individual's part. We shall have to become conscious of what we take into our bodies and into our minds, refuse what we know to be harmful, and choose what we feel is based on love. TV shows with death in mind, however beautifully presented, still impress our minds with fear and trauma instead of joy and freedom. It is not funny to put other people down. Cleverness is not better than simple loving kindness. And nobody deserves to be harmed or killed. We have forgotten these things. Better than God is not possible is the title of this last section, everybody. Or second one. Those who believe they can best, can best God as they aim at the design of the human brain and body do not realize that God never created the human body in the first place. He created like himself and he is ever living spirit, not flesh that can die. I am just going to say that flesh has been proven not to die at least for 20,000 years in terms of Leonara, an actual friend of Rama's. And so there's more to be learned about this um, because as we spiritualize matter, that's the difference. Flesh can be spiritualized with consciousness of those who have this flesh body. And by spiritualizing it, it can be transmuted without dying into a light body. So I'm just going to say that and we'll see what comes next. God cannot become man as Christianity believes with such grateful hearts. No, it's not that way. That is simply preposterous, especially when it is taken into account, as even science is doing these days, that the entire world and cosmos is a giant projection of the collective ego mind. This is not just the human mind. Rather, the mind of those living in other, more evolved dimensions. Modern science. Science is now coming to grips with the fact that what we have always considered to be solid matter turns out to be a collection of photons held together only by intelligence or mind. The power of the mind is huge and completely underestimated by us humans. Um, since our humiliation into a lower vibration. Yeah. The whole thing we call reality is 
really a light show, a hologram made of light photons. We are on the way to learning that the higher our vibration, the better our hologram gets. The creativity of the human mind has been handed to the ego at the time of what we call the Big Bang, when oneness appeared to be split into the countless. The human body, a clear symbol of separation. Nevertheless, the operative words here are appeared to be because in fact our minds never left that oneness and our experience in the psychic in the in the psychic is a dream a dream seems very real we have proven that to ourselves in many a night of delights or of terror we are steeped in it without the immediate power to leave it we can however wake up to the fact that we are the dreamer and that we can affect our dream with the state of our mind basically we achieved a feat of limitation all that while our true nature is limitless Are you done with the quality of your dream? Want peace in your neighborhood? Prosperity in a world of chaos and looming poverty? It is possible with the joining of like minds. Then the dream is about to get much better. Power to our dreams. Carla. That is a really powerful writing and Rama can you send this to Penny oh okay yeah and then you can print it out and <laughs> reread it 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 deserves more than one one consideration okay so now we're going to read grandmother chandra and she titles her her writing today gateway of orion this is the start of the opening of the gateway of orion on december 8th okay yesterday continuing until the 17th okay this opening allows you to get into a closer connection with your star families and with those who have been working with you for a very long time without being seen or recognized you are very close in your vibration not only to be seen and recognized by them yet to be able to acknowledge and recognize the presence in your new world this will be a very heart opening family reunion with a lot of hugs and new downloads by understanding yourself as an equal part of your star family and the ability to see yourself as a family member 
This is about self-esteem, self-respect, trusting your higher self, and getting into grown-up mode and responsibility, not only for yourselves as beings, rather for Gaia as your carrier and for all the other beings who are with you living on Gaia or surrounding, supporting, helping, and living with you at the same time period. You are putting yourselves in a position to work with the other family members of God. It may be a strange feeling, like a small brother who has finally grown up to his capability of being the equal worker of the family. This is a very similar feeling to what humanity is having right now. You have grown up enough to become an equally recognized family member. And you got to keep all those words together to become an equally recognized family member. This can change the way that you behave. It can change the way you evaluate yourself and others. It can change the way you live on Gaia. It will definitely change the way you make your decisions because you are not only thinking of yourselves as individuals. You are thinking of yourselves as earth holders or energy flow carriers. In other words, whatever you will be doing going forward, you will be choosing not only on your own personal experience, rather based on the outcome that each of your choices can bring to everything alive, everything God is supporting around you, which carries God's sparkle in its presence in your reality. Hugs and love to all. Okay. Now... Let's read Caroline. We're going to play an hour and a half of wonderful Mormon temple tabernacle choir music at the end. So I'm doing this reading now. Okay. This came out Thursday. A message to Lightbringers, December 7th, 2023. This week's guidance from the Ascended Masters, Archangels, Star Nation, Families, Earth Elements, Fay elders, angelic legions, and other light beings known as the collective, today via Archangel Michael. So, Caroline, hello, friends. Caroline Oceana Ryan, hello, friends. This morning, I was again feeling the heaviness of the grief and helplessness of those in Palestine now and in other parts of the world that are in unthinkable circumstances. And as I felt this, I inwardly saw Archangel Michael come forth with his hands outstretched. And I knew he was saying, Give this to me. So, I have been handing the intensity of these very hard situations over to Lord Michael with much thanks. And I am asking 
that he speak with us today. So, Lord Michael, we welcome you to share with us whatever you wish, to assist those experiencing hard circumstances now and those feeling great empathy for those who are suffering. So, I'll bring him in now. One moment. Archangel Michael. Greetings, friends. I wish to share that the whole of the archangelic forces and the whole of the light forces on earth and all associated with these are concentrating powerful light and assistance now to those who suffer. Not only in the Gaza Strip, though that is an area of great concern. Rather also elsewhere in the world where there is an upending of the old matrix structure as it continues to dissolve. That structure cannot hold its integrity sufficiently now to exist on a planet that is expanding into ever higher frequencies each day. Know that those who see suffering came in with a powerful and special mission. They volunteered to come forth at this time to experience one of the most volatile places on the earth now at its worst moment. They came to not only highlight the depths to which the old dark system will fall. Rather to also highlight, highlight that system's failure to maintain its hold on human life. And the decision of many thousands to suffer in this way so that more would awaken as a result. Turn the page here. Those of you who hold the mass, the mission of peace warriors, and all of you who are healers and seers are experiencing great empathy with those who are in the midst of this destruction. No doubt you are feeling that you are never doing enough for these dear ones. And we hold dear all of human life, those who carry the gun as well as those who suffer under it. You may, of course, feel at times that however much you pray or hold the image of divine light, the white flame or the transmuting violet flame for those areas experiencing chaos, that somehow that is never enough. Despite the transformation each of you is experiencing now, in the light of these cosmic rays reaching you from your son Saul, you are still steeped in third dimensional concepts. And these teach that unless one physically enters a space to physically stop dark actions, 
thoughts and prayers, though well-intended, are never enough. There is indeed much room for physical assistance and and an end to the conflicts you speak of. Yet it is the human race itself raising its vibration to demand divine justice, whether one uses that phase, phrase or not. That is the tipping point. You are all... Excuse me, everybody. That's a singing computer. <laughs> you are all in the process of writing the balance of scales that have long been weighted against human life. Given the history of this earth in the 3D timeline, the transition you have all called forth and come here to participate in could never be a calm nor an easy one. You are aware that to remove criminals from their lair is rarely a simple task (laughs) or one given to simple and peaceful resolutions. We stand with you as you mourn those lost and those suffering losses of loved ones, as well as hunger, lack of sleep, and medical aid and shock. And we weep with you as you consider the depths of the trauma being suffered particularly by children. Oh, Lord. Yet, you are aware that even fracturing and losses of soul substance can be healed and restored. We are guarding the souls of those who have released their physicality as their spirits and consciousness move into the light to return home. They will be given the choice to return in a healed and healthy body as they so desire. And you have heard, and this is so, that your star nation's families are taking aboard their ships many who suffer now, so that they may be healed in body, mind, and spirit. These ones have not been abandoned, none of them, unless they choose that as their path now. And so, as you see, feel, and speak of of these events with images that would, would, would tear at the heart of most, We ask that you continue to hold those who suffer in a higher light, such as the rose ray of Lady Master Mary, Mother of Yeshu. You have heard some speak of God's army, and it is so that for most we are only visible in a reality beyond what most see around them now. Yet we are here 
as you will open to connecting with us. Mm-hmm. Think of us often and know we are here and quite real. Image us or see as you can see, feel, as you can feel our presence as real. For it is, and we are powerfully active on and around the earth now. Call upon us for a greater, far higher grasp of what is really occurring on the earth now and how we are assisting as you wish to assist those who are aiding those ones experiencing disaster or conflict. Let this be your steady and heartfelt work. The worlds of all of us in the collective form a few from a few weeks ago still resound powerfully that you would proclaim often for all places on earth. Divine love and divine justice are the only reality here. More than just an affirmation to calm your own responses, this is a direct command to your universe and powerfully co-creating as you will state this as a decree. Your requirement for all human life now. Know as well that there is a flurry of activity in inner earth now, as well as on the ships stationed all around and on the planet to assist humanity in making the shift into increasing levels of divine justice, which you yourselves are requiring each day. And you have heard of the impending solar flash. This is nothing to be feared. It's unfolding as the energies build for this great moment. All of Earth will be affected in ways we could not describe fully to you now. For the effects are still unfolding on the timeline. Yet your DNA and your own path of enlightenment, your spirit and high heart, all will feel the beauty, brilliance, and clarity of that day in powerful ways, and none shall remain the same. Your heart space alone will expand exponentially in joy and higher light. That powerful expression of your transforming, transfiguring sun can only renew earth in ways you cannot yet grasp, except in your dreams and in your spirit travels as you sleep. Know that all are in the hands of the divine and that no one who opens to receive shall be excluded from the blessings that are unfolding now, dear ones. Namaste, friends. We are with you in every moment. Caroline Oceana Wyatt. All right, that's enough for now, I think. Mm. Rama's going to play something that Aurora Ray 
brought together. It's called Love is Not a Relationship Between Two People. Let's do this, Rama. (laughs) (laughs) Love is not a relationship between two people. Falling in love is a very common and very sweet fantasy. Many people think that the most beautiful moments of their lives are when they fall in love with someone. But I don't think so. The most beautiful thing in life, in my opinion, is having complete freedom to be yourself. And when you don't have any attachment to anything, neither to a person, nor to a belief system, or to a country, nor to your reputation, your name, or anything else... When there is no attachment, then you are free. The need to be in a relationship with someone is one of the biggest causes of unhappiness. There are two reasons for this. First, because we simply don't understand ourselves fully. How can we be with someone else? The more we try to control others, the more insecure we become and the less happy we will be. Second, when we feel lonely, we chase after people. We want to fill that void inside of us. But when a person realizes their true nature, they feel complete within themselves. He doesn't need anything from the outside world to make him happy. We tend to project our own desires onto other people. If you really loved me, you would do this for me. This leads to disappointment because no one can fulfill your expectations, which have nothing to do with reality anyway. When you realize that nobody can make you happy except yourself, it is a great relief. You are no longer trapped by your desires or expectations. You never have to say, if only again. There is nothing missing from your life, and you don't have to depend on anyone else for your happiness. It takes two to tango. It is impossible to love someone if you are incapable of being alone. If you are unable to be with yourself, It is impossible for you to be with another. You cannot share yourself because if you try, you will lose yourself. Then there will be no freedom left for you. You would have given your freedom away to the other person and become a slave, a prisoner. The one who loves never loses anything by loving. Rather, he gains everything. That is the paradox. Only by risking it can one ever find security. That is why... Only those who can be alone are capable of loving, sharing, and entering the innermost core of another person without possessing, becoming reliant on, transforming the other into a thing, or becoming addicted to the other. They give the other complete freedom because they know they will be as happy as they are now if the other departs. The other cannot take their happiness because the other does not provide it. Love is not a relationship between two people. It is a relationship between one person and himself. When you love someone, you love that aspect of yourself that you are capable of seeing in another human being. That's why the other is so important to you. That's why he or she is so precious to you. Without the other, you can never see yourself. The possibilities of love are not in a relationship in which one has to depend on another but in a relationship in which both are independent and can really love each other. Each loves the other because he loves himself and that other person allows him to see a bit more of himself. 
Truly loving someone means seeing him as he is, without any effort on your part to change him or make him different, and without any expectations from him whatsoever. Just accept him as he is. The real love does not think about changing the object of his love. He loves it as it is. The truth is that in a relationship, you're not supposed to be dependent on the other. In fact, when two people are really in love, they help each other grow. They challenge each other, and they bring out the best in each other. You're not supposed to create an addiction to each other. You should be independent and whole, even when you're apart. Capable of loving others if the person you love is no longer there. A relationship is a union of two people who have accepted each other's differences and decided to build on those differences. They see the negative sides of their partner as well, but instead of focusing on the negativity, they choose to focus on the positive parts. A relationship is all about learning from your partner and building a lasting connection with them. Truly loving someone is the most selfless act you can do. When you love someone, you don't act out of fear, neediness, or compulsion. It's not about what you can get from them or how they make you feel. You love that person because that person makes your life complete and meaningful. Because every day with them brings something new, exciting, and beautiful into your life. When you're capable of this kind of love. It radiates from within and all around you. People who experience it will never forget it, and will always come back for more. They'll fall in love with whatever aspect of your life touches them: your smile, your eyes, your spirit. But it all comes back to this love that shines through everything you are. The ability to be alone and enjoy your own company sets you up for a healthy relationship. If you are not able to be happy when you are alone, the chances are that you may be addicted to your partner or be in an unhealthy relationship with them. You will feel sad about them leaving or being away from you, and in your mind, you will become dependent on them being around for your happiness. In such a scenario, if the other person leaves or is not around anymore, you will feel miserable and lonely. The heart is as big as the world, and if you are true. Every living being belongs to your heart. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. Aho! This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, ambassador of the Galactic Federation. Okay, so now we're going to go. <coughs> Thank you, Aurora Ray. Amazing.、Um, Amanda Ellis. This is an hour and thirteen minutes, and it's titled "A Collective Message of Hope and Peace." Advent video、oh, one.、Ellis. Archangel Metatron and Yeshu asked me to do a. Two-part series of videos. This is the first to bring messages of hope, peace, love, and joy. This Advent, in an ever-increasingly divided world, honoring past traditions and celebrating and honoring the light, this December has never been more important. 
Messages on hope from Archangel Gabriel. Paradox as a frequency. <coughs> and hope needing to be not blind, rather built on proactivity too. Messages on peace from Archangel Samuel, also finding pockets of peace in suffering and grief, and looking at what an absence of peace looks like, what the barriers are to it, and how we can build a more peaceful life via our physicality, body, and mind. Also, messages on reconciliation of past and present. Join me to light the next two candles around December as we journey on toward Christmas Day. Anyone of any faith, belief, system, or domination, denomination, excuse me, can benefit from participating and watching this video. Okay, Rama. Okay. This is how long again? Hour and 12 minutes. One hour and 12 minutes. All right. Here we go. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? This is the uh, voice and uh, energy and physicality of me, Amanda Ellis. Um, oh, my goodness. This has been a struggle to get this video done today. This is probably take number 12. And I've just broken a, uh, what do they call it, a tripod. So this is balanced on a load of books and cards. High-tech stuff here, I tell you, high-tech stuff. But the struggle is real to get messages of hope, peace, joy and love out at this time. So in all seriousness particularly if you're a regular follower of me and you know that you trust my work and that usually it's good, uh, please can you just give a like right now before you forget to to this video because it helps to get it beyond the algorithms of people that watch me all the time. Uh, I really feel that the next two videos that I'm going to be bringing through for you for Advent are very important. And I'm going to tell you why I think they're particularly important this year in a moment. But yeah, this is video one. We're going to be looking at the energies of hope and peace. It's tied into the Advent candles, uh, which link into the four Sundays of Advent in December, leading up, of course, to Christmas Day. Now, I, I mean, you know, years ago as a child, we went to church every Sunday. Uh, I, it's, it's a weird one. I don't actually remember really Advent that much. Um, for whatever reason, maybe as a child, I was just focused on Christmas Day and getting to that. But this year, for whatever reason, my two main guides, which are Archangel Metatron and Jesus, asked me to do these two videos for you and to mark Advent. So I think we'll start with 
just a refresher of what Advent is before we get into the symbolism of the wreath, the candles, the colours, the archangels and the messages that want to come forward. I would like to say at this juncture that you will hopefully benefit and get something from this video Whatever belief system you follow, um, it is not done just for people that go to church. I don't go to church myself anymore. Uh, as I've always say, I left the church, but I never left Jesus. This is very much going to be my take on the four Advent energies linked into Christ consciousness. Uh, so it's open for all. And I'm also very aware that many of you may have different traditions around not just Christmas itself, but Advent also. So let's start off then with what is Advent. And I'm just going to read this from uh, a website I've got here. So it says and reminds us that Advent is a seasonal tradition often celebrated in the Christian faith to prepare for the arrival of Jesus. Now, I believe Jesus never went away. The Christ consciousness energy never went away. So for me, Christmas is about a recommitment to all of those beautiful qualities of Christ consciousness that we are asked to live by and embody, as we've done in other lifetimes also. So the Advent wreath, and we'll talk more on this in a moment, is used to celebrate and commemorate this newness, this eternal life and the death and rebirth energies. Uh, it's one of the most symbolic traditions uh, in the season of Advent to have an Advent wreath and the candles. And it says, with its colourful candles lit on each of the four weeks of Advent, the wreath is a reminder of the hope and joy that is coming. Advent wreaths are not exclusive to churches. Many families and individuals have an Advent wreath at home and they observe the tradition of lighting the candles for each Sunday. Uh, we are also reminded that Advent itself comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means arrival or coming. Uh, it also talks about the fact that a few historical accounts put the inception of Advent as a tradition somewhere around the 4th or the 5th century. Many different countries, as I say, have different ways of honouring it, celebrating it. Uh, I believe the Catholic Church has different symbolism. Some of the candles are called different things. There isn't consensus in terms of which colour candle is always uh, correct for everybody. Um, but I'm going to tell you what we're going to do on this channel. Okay. So I think it'd be nice though, just to start off with a reminder about maybe why I'm doing this and putting into context why I believe spirit has asked me to look at this this month. Uh, I'm just getting up a comment here from one of you that came in yesterday on Facebook, which I think perfectly illustrates why there is the need for it and why we are doing this. So let me just pull up this comment. Uh, I won't say the person's name, but I had a nice conversation with you. I think you're probably watching. And this was what you said, and then I'll say what I said back. So you say, hello, dear Amanda. I have been quietly watching you from Canada for about a year. I love you and your videos and watch you early in the morning. 
Uh, I'm suffering a lot right now as I watch the war and genocide happening. I'm doing all that I can online, petitions, reaching out to whoever will listen, and no one I know personally seems to care. I will not celebrate Christmas this year. I can't, not while this war is happening in the Holy Land. I'm afraid I'm growing bitter when I look around me and I see all the people who just don't care, who aren't looking or who just can't see. Thank you for your constants. I need your videos now more than ever. Now, I replied thus, um, bitterness will simply lead to more suffering for yourself and the collective. To shun the Christ light and not celebrate it which raises the frequency of joy, is a big mistake. I ask you to think again. You staying in a low vibration of pain and horror does not lift others' pain. It simply allows it to flourish. Christmas is a celebration of love, peace and joy and hope. And love is the only answer to war and always will be. The Holy Land needs us to hold these energies. Just I send you love, light and hope. And please watch my Advent videos starting tomorrow as I believe they will help you. This person replied and said, thank you very much. It's just that I'm unable to bear the injustice. I will try harder. I just feel that I'm awakening to all of the darkness at once. Um, but I will light my candles and celebrate with you. I think it's important to put the context. Many people at the moment feeling tired, alone, fearful, uh, full of um, despondency and despair, maybe, for what is going on in our world. But I believe it's exactly for that reason that I've been called to do this series of work for you. So shall we settle down into it and get going? Okay. So it's about half past 11 here in the morning. I've been sitting at this desk for an hour and a half trying to do this. So if you'll exclude, exclude, excuse me, I'm just going to have a little bit of coffee and then I'm going to explain the wreath and the candles and we'll talk archangels and colours and draw some cards. The first thing to say is that, yes, you are correct. <laughs> the first Sunday in Advent has already been gone. It was last weekend, but I wasn't able to do it then. So we're going to catch up, which is why I have the first candle already lit, which represents the energy of hope. Um, let's start with the wreath, shall we? That I think hopefully you can see in shot. I'm not going to try to change the camera because as I said I just broke uh, a tripod trying to do that. Uh, so what we have here is the wreath. There it is has within it and on it five candles actually. Three of them are purple, one of them is pink and one of them is white. The white one in the centre gets lit on Christmas Day for the celebration of the arrival of Jesus. The three other purple candles for me and my tradition and how I grew up, I'm going to dedicate the energy of hope, peace and joy. Some people and places put the joy candle as being pink, but I'm going to put it as purple. Uh, and then the pink candle for me is the candle of love. And the white candle stands for purity. 
So we're going to light two candles today, actually. As I say, one's already lit. But the second half of this video where I look at the energy of peace will light the second candle together. And then we'll light the other two, three and four, in my next video. I'll timestamp this so you can follow what we're doing and where everything is. I will probably record the second part of this series after I get back from Yorkshire, going up to see my dad. So that will be at the end of next week in time for the third Advent Sunday. Okay, so on my Advent wreath then, we have the candles, we have the colours. I've also tied in my sprays, so the healing aura and connection sprays that we make, because three of them actually have got the names of the three candles. So the first candle lit is the energy, is called hope. So we have a hope spray. And hope is in a beautiful olive green stroke lime green shade. And it's about positive mindset. So I'll come back to that, come back to that in a moment. We also have a peace spray. So the sapphire peace spray is also included on this wreath. The third candle, which will light in video two, is the candle of joy. And we have a joy spray, lemon joy, uh, happiness and joy. So that goes on to our wreath. In terms of the candle of love, I have chosen to represent that Archangel Shamuel, who comes in on the pink ray. Actually, with our sprays, this one's called Love and Peace. So we're doubling up. But uh, it's also to do with relationship support. And that includes the relationship that we have with the divine. It includes the relationship that we have with the divine within ourself. I've also included Archangel Gabriel for reasons that will become apparent in a moment, because I feel that Gabriel ties into the energy of hope. What else have we got? We've obviously got the energy of the Christ light itself. Um, this is the Master Jesus spray, Christ light. That is on our wreath. I wanted very much to include the energy of Mary Magdalene to represent the divine feminine on the wreath. So that is on the wreath. And the last one that I've got so far is a spray representing new light made of frankincense, lemon and cedar. This is one that we've just done for this Christmas. So those are my sprays. I've also got some crystals representing the four different qualities of hope, peace, love and joy and the colours. So for hope, I've put peridot down. I have a little peridot uh, bracelet. So that is on the grid. For love, we have good old rose quartz. For joy, I have put citrine. Uh, for sapphire, for the peace, uh, I haven't got sapphire. And uh, I know we could use any blue, blue crystal. I mean, you might want to include, if you want to do something similar in your home, a piece of blue lace agate. 
But the one that was particularly calling me for whatever reason was Aqua Aura. So I've got a little piece of Aqua Aura. Oh, no, that's not Aqua Aura. Sorry. That's Blue Obsidian, I believe. Blue Obsidian. But any blue crystal will do for the energy of peace. Um, and I've also put Amethyst onto the grid as well. Because of all the purple candles, I just feel amethyst is there and needed also. So those are my crystals. Those are the candles. Those are the colors. Let's now break it down one by one. Let's focus on this first candle, which is the candle of hope. Okay, the candle of hope. I also want to give a a nod here, energy-wise, to beeswax. The candles are beeswax candles. So honoring the energy of the bee. And uh, you might know if you have my Christ consciousness deck that this is the back to all of the cards. And it's actually the card of grace, but it has the nectar, the honeycomb, and it has the bee. So bees were uh, one of the early symbols linked into Christianity, the church. But I think in Christ consciousness, what the bee represents is us pulling together and uniting together and working together to bring about this energy of new earth. And so a portal such as Advent Sundays and Christmas itself is just a beautiful opportunity to honour and grow that Christ light within ourselves, particularly during the darker months for much of the world. I realise, obviously, if you're in Australia, New Zealand, you're going to be in summer months. But equally, there is a lot of darkness over our world at the moment. So the growth of this Christ light within us is very important. But anyway, let's talk about hope, shall we? The energy of hope. Now, this is also sometimes called the prophecy candle. For me, uh, in terms of Christ consciousness and the deck that we've got, It ties in very much to the energy of faith. Hope and faith to me seem to go together. This card is representative of the time where the lady in the crowd reached out to touch the cloak of Jesus, knowing that she would be healed if she did. And he turned around and asked her why she had done it. And reminded her that it was her faith that had healed herself. Um, and that energy lies within yourself. So it says, find holiness within. So I feel as though that card, if you have got my deck, ties in quite nicely to the first candle, the candle of hope. But let's also now just spray the hope spray and see what comes forward as a message. So let's remind ourselves of the colour. To me, I just love this colour representing the energy of hope. It reminds me of uh, springtime. It reminds me of new growth. It reminds me of the lushness of nature. Uh, last, or oh, sorry, this spring that's just gone, I really noticed the colour of the grass when it first reappeared after the winter months. It almost looked fluorescent. It was so green. And the energy of green is all about growth and new beginnings. And the thing with the energy of hope 
is that really that's what we're trying to hold on to, aren't we, when we hope. We're hoping for better times. We're hoping that things work out. We're hoping for the best. So nature reminds us to trust the process, that the cycle will come back on itself in a better, more beautiful way. And I'm also being reminded here about the cycle of life and also the fact that death is not the end anyway. I personally believe in the energy of uh, us coming back and past lives. So that green also stands for that. But let's just spray the energy of hope and see what we get given today. So let's just put this around ourselves and just imagine that beautiful um, olive green, lime green spray coming down around you. And in particular, I'm wanting you to place it underneath your feet. So the energy of this green underneath your feet. And if you could just imagine that, that lushness, that ripeness, that energy of the bud that wishes to burst forth, but it's not quite yet time, but it will be in divine timing soon. Whatever that means for you, whatever it means, whatever it is that you are hoping for, wishing for, this is both personal in our own lives uh, and it has to be for the highest good of ourself and all concerned, but also for the collective as well. I'm being shown Mother Earth now just being blanketed and covered in this beautiful green which represents, as I say, hope. We must always, always keep the energy of hope alive. Now, a couple of passages that I'd like to read to you, um, neither of which are very long. I bought this book for, I think it was going to be a Christmas present for somebody, and then I thought, actually, I'm going to keep it for myself. It's by somebody called Donna Ashworth. It's called Wild Hope. I don't know if any of you have got it. Wild Hope. And it says... Um, when the world leaves you weary and the road ahead is dark, Donna Ashworth's powerful words will bring comfort and lead you to the light. So I've opened it on this particular page and it talks about the energy of love. I'm just going to read it. It says, care not for fact when I am gone from sight, cling to the blissful hope that love is enough to bring us together again. So I feel as though I opened it on that page for somebody watching this video. Care not for fact when I am gone from sight. Cling to the blissful hope that love is enough to bring us together again. So that is one message for somebody out there. Um, I'm going to just open it on a few other pages and just see what we get. They're all good, to be honest. Okay, this is this is perfect. It's called Today I Hope. Let's read this then. I hope you see the beauty in the bland today. I hope you laugh until those tears just flow. I hope you let your soul be as it must today. I hope you'll finally learn to let go. I hope the winds of change will blow your way today. I hope your heart is beating strong and true. 
I hope you'll let the warmth inside your world today. I hope you'll find some kindness there for you. I hope you like the way your story goes today. I hope you see the hero there is you. I hope you'll write the chapter you deserve today. I hope the happy ending will come true. I hope you know the impact that you have today. I hope you see your light for what it is. I hope you do not pick yourself apart today. I hope you know this life is yours to live. I hope you'll feel the sun upon your face today. I hope you'll share a moment with a love. I hope you find some comfort in this place today. I hope you also take some comfort from above. Beautiful, isn't it? So that's Donna Ashworth, Wild Hope. And I also wanted to read a passage from this book, May You Be Well by Cheryl Rickman. This is a much smaller um, little poem, but it said something to me. And which one was it that I wanted to read you? Yeah, it was this one. It's a blessing on uncertainty. Because this is the thing, when we have hope, it's, or, or we're hanging on to hope, there's that expression, hanging on to hope. Why are we doing it? We're hanging on to it because we're in a place or an energy or a situation which is not ideal. Whether that is collective in the world, we're hoping for change, we're hoping for peace, we're hoping for unity, or whether it's within ourselves. So uncertainty seems to be on the axes. It's the other end of the spectrum of hope, uncertainty and hope. So a blessing on uncertainty. May I see uncertainty differently to the way it is often feared as something with endless possibilities. I no longer need to run away from uncertainty, for I know it is part of life. Uncertainty means I get to live with possibility and potential and hope. What a gift. I love that. I love the way that we're able to just change the whole narrative there. That yes, we're in times of huge uncertainty. It's making many of us feel very vulnerable. Um, our emotions can be very up and down during these, these times. But within uncertainty lies potential. And within that potential, there is always hope. It is a gift. I completely agree with those words. So I wanted to read those two passages to you. Also to show you these two cards, which are from Cheryl Richardson's um, Grace Cards. Interesting that I've chosen this book, which is by Cheryl Rickman. And these cards I'm about to show you are by Cheryl Richardson. So before I even show you what they are, I want to look up what is the meaning of the word Cheryl, uh, because I feel as though that's a bit of a key. It's something that we're meant to um, talk about. So what does Cheryl mean? And how many Cheryls have I got that follow me? <laughs> uh, oh, it means, okay, so it's from, it's French. It means darling or beloved. Uh, it's a feminine name of French origin that is sure to remind a baby of your love for them every time they hear it. That's nice. So it means darling or beloved. Imagine if we could feel that about ourselves, that we could feel that we are beloved, 
that we are our own darling, that we that we we love ourselves to that degree, not from an egotistic perspective, but just from the modeling the template that basically God has for us, where he loves us unconditionally, if we could view ourselves in the same way. And then imagine if we were able to do that, how that would change how we look to other people, if we were able to see other people through the eyes of love as well. But anyway, that's just the energy of Cheryl that sort of came in there as well. Okay, so these two cards then. Um, so remember, this is linked into the, the hope candle, which is linked into faith and trust, uh, which are all part of it. So I've shown you my card, uh, which is about faith, Jesus and the lady. But this one here just shows this beautiful uh, archangel. And it says, have faith. Every event we experience and every person we meet has has been put in our path for a reason. So can we truly feel into that? And that includes the experiences and the people that sometimes are very challenging, that lead us to doubt, that lead us to um, places which are very uncomfortable but to understand that every single person and every experience in our life is there for a reason. And again, if we look at the energy of Jesus's story and the people that he met along the way and what happened to him, that story would never have been completed if, for example, he hadn't met Judas. Um, so important to bear that in mind as well. So that's the first card. But I also wanted to bring this card of vision in, vision. It says, pay attention. There are signs, symbols and messages divinely placed in our path to guide us in the right direction. And that's important because the energy of hope, there's an expression, isn't the blind hope or blind faith. And I don't think that's actually helpful because that feels as though in that state of being, we've sort of surrendered control and responsibility. We just have blind faith. We've got blind hope that somehow it's going to turn itself around or things are going to work out. And it seems to take us out of the picture in terms of our own responsibility, our own accountability to also help ourselves for the best possible outcome that we're hoping for to also have us playing a part within it as well, not just sort of waiting um, without any action on our behalf. But this thing about hope to me is also saying that whilst there is this dance happening between us waiting, but also taking action, we get many signs, many symbols and many messages um, along the way. And to pay attention to those. Okay. So to pay attention to those. And what Metatron is saying to me here is that when we, for example, look at the collective mess that the world seems to be in at this time, messages and symbols linked into the energy of hope, how important it is to notice and acknowledge the good deeds, the good people, the wins for the light the things that actually are an improvement. And the more that we focus on that, the more that we will help manifest more of that as well, rather than just fixating on the horrors. It's not to say we don't give attention to what is very difficult in our world, 
But the more that we only focus on that, it comes back to what that lovely person was talking about in the comment that I read out earlier. They said that they'd started to just feel bitter about life, bitter about other people. And it's because the balance isn't there in terms of also just appreciating the little wins along the way, the things that people are doing in our community, in our towns, in our families, in our businesses that actually are important and are acts of love. Uh, and these are just some of the actions that help us get to that end result that we're all hoping for, the tipping of the scales of the planet to love and away, for example, from the energy of war or hatred or division. So concentrate on the little wins and the symbols along the way as well. So the last thing I'd like to say with regards to hope is I'd like to, well, two things, actually. Let me firstly talk about the crystal before I forget. So the crystal that I would like to put with hope is Peridot. And now, yes, have I got the card? Yes. This is from the Judy Hall deck. This is what Peridot looks like. Peridot is a really expensive crystal. Um, I did, I think I have got one. I think it's, uh, Tracy's now got it because we make crystal essences to go in the sprays. But I remember buying it and it was quite expensive and it was tiny. I mean, really tiny. So they're very expensive. Um, I had a beautiful pair of Peridot drop gold earrings, which my mother gave me. I still got the necklace. And last, I think it was last winter, I went collecting wood with John and I was bending over, picking up all these bits of wood and putting them in the back of the car with him. And one of these tiny little earrings dropped out in the mud and the wood and uh, I never found it. I didn't even realise I'd done it at the time. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you it because it feels as though it was symbolic. It was like this really precious little tiny jewel, which is what it was, uh, lost in the mud, lost, just lost in the farm, basically, in the farmyard. But yet one day somebody will discover it. That's the thing about the qualities of what Peridot probably stands for. It's worth searching for. It's worth digging for. So what Judy says about Peridot as a quality, and we're linking this to hope, is it's linked to emotional cleansing. Uh, She says, Peridot frees the mind from unwelcome, envious thoughts and night terrors. It's transmutive and it's purifying. Uh, It's said, so it's very good for healing, envy and jealousy that might be thrown your way. That's really interesting in the context of this video, isn't it? Because sometimes when we hang on to the energy of hope, we're told that we're just deluded. You know, you're deluded for believing that this world is ever going to become united. You're just a deluded fool that believes that peace and love are the most powerful energies on this planet. You're just a deluded fool. Um, but actually deep down, there is an energy there of envy, jealousy, because the person saying those things at a very deep subconscious level realizes that actually you're holding a higher template. You're holding a higher frequency, which is not about division and blame and taking sides and more war and more fighting. But they can't get there. 
They can't get there. They want to stay in the camp of divide and conquer. And just noticing there's a magpie just, it's not stuck in a, um, gully. Oh, what do they call it? You know, the, um, the roof with the, the war thing that holds the water. It's, it's, it's fine. It's got out now. But as I was saying that, it was this magpie stuck in the gust gutter and he's all right. He's okay. He's flown off now, but that's symbolic. It's like the black and white energy, duality can't get out of duality. So I'm going to say, you're just stupid. You just, you don't understand the issues. You don't know what you're talking about, you know, come over to our side because we want to keep the whole game of division going. And nature, the nature of it is like, you see, the thing with jealousy and envy as well, it links into the energy of green as a color. And green is also the color of the heart. So it's as though I can't get into my heart space like that. I can't be forgiving. I can't be compassionate. I don't want to go there. I want to stay in this slightly, you know, poisonous, witchy place. <laughs> That's what it feels like. So Peridot helps to um, heal that if that's been flung at us um, and to detoxify from others' emotion. So and it's also about following your own life path without judging yourself or being envious of others. You have the power to go through fiery transmutation and emerge transformed. So, mm, quite an interesting crystal there that I chose for hope. I was just really told Peridot is the one that is needed. Now, again, you know, you may not have Peridot in your collection at home. You can just go onto Google. If you haven't got a set of cards like this, you can print out a picture of Peridot and you can put it onto, uh, it doesn't have to be an advent wreath that you've got, a little grid. Effectively, what this is, is a portal for the energies that I'm going to be discussing to come in and then flow out to the world. So what you're doing when you create a grid or a wreath like this is you are helping to uh, bring these qualities to you to help heal you, your family, your home, but also to then send them out into the world. Okay. So if you want to join me, as I say, the uh, peridot energy is important. You can just print out a picture of a peridot stone, cut it out, put it onto your grid. Okay. Um, last thing I want to say then about the energy of hope is I want to tie it to an archangel and it feels as though it's linked very much to the energy of Archangel Gabriel. So Gabriel, of course, was the archangel that came to Mary and not only delivered the message that your soul calling, this phrase called soul calling and guidance, your soul calling is to uh, birth Jesus, uh, to be the mother of Jesus, but also guidance was given um, because I'm sure that Mary in those uh, early days would have had periods of feeling very helpless, hopeless, um, energy of like, I'm not sure I'm up to this <laughs> because she was a human being. And human beings have these feelings, especially when they're given big soul missions. So let's now take that into your life and think about how Gabriel, this Advent, can bring in whisperings to you in terms of uh, your soul mission. But also this 
this spray, it says soul guidance. It's like, what does your soul need now um, for its growth? But also it's tied into the energy of hope. So let's now just spray the spray and see what I get. I'm actually going to spray it into my hand and then breathe it in because when I spray it all over like I normally do, I don't want to put the candle out. Oh, that's hot. I don't want to put the candle out. So I'm going to do it this way today. So the energy of Archangel Gabriel. Right. Um, wasn't expecting to be tuning into this message, but it's perfect in terms of what I've just said. Now, I can't remember what the oils are that are in this spray. I'll look them up in a moment. But there's a aniseedy smell coming through very strongly and must have something. Let me, I'll, I'll, let me just check what is in it as I'm talking to you. Um, but it must, to me, what it is coming through as is Gabriel is helping to clear the pathway for our mission. Let me just quickly see what the oil is, the oils are in the Gabriel spray because uh, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Um, so the essential oils in the spray are, this is one to not use if you have epilepsy, by the way, because it's got, it's fennel probably. White camphor, clary sage, fennel and grapefruit is the fennel I think that I'm picking out. But also grapefruit. Yeah, I'm right. And clary sage is all very, very cleansing, very clearing. Um, Tracy's written here. This is probably from the Valerie Ann Warwood book with regards to camphor. It says no timid, no timidity. I can't even say it. Timid. No timidness surrounds camphor, a fragrance of the warrior angel. For freedom of the spirit and enlightenment, camphor protects the soul. Camphor brings purification and cleansing and has done for eons, for longer than we can imagine. The camphor trees has been guarding the passages of life, a spiritual protector and guardian of rebirth. It's a really lovely spray, this one. But, you know, also it's the energy of Archangel Gabriel. So what Gabriel is saying, linked into hope, is that we have to clear the way for it. We, it, it's this thing about, it's not blind hope. You have to, you have to clear a passageway for hope. This seems to be linked into clearing our minds as well, more than anything, clearing our space, um, clearing what is in the way that is n not conducive to the best possible outcome arriving. And that's a big subject in itself, but it will include lower vibrational qualities um, such as I'm just being shown communication in particular. I mean, well, OK, Gabriel is about communication. So that's why he showed me communication. So the energies of slander, uh, gossip, um, just lower energy. As my throat goes linked into communication. Um, what is it we're reading? What is it we're passing on as information? All of that sort of. It's just like this gossipy type, lower energy, um, slander, thinking ill of others, talking ill of others. It's, it, I'm being shown it now like a spider web. And it's like we get caught up in it. 
but then we're still expecting a really high vibrational thing to arrive in our life. But it can't get through the spider web that we've built up around ourselves, which isn't positive. So definitely Gabriel feels as though he's just clearing the way. Okay, uh, I'll pull a card from the Gabriel deck from Dorian Virtue. And then we're going to move on to the second candle, which is peace in this video. How are we doing for time? 42 minutes. Oh, we've got all the time in the world. I'm not speeding up. <laughs> I'm going to lead a movement away from all of this fast, fast food, fast, all the, all the, it's not about fast food. It's just an analogy. I just can't bear the way that society is going in terms of just the soundbite. It's like, let's bring back the depth. Let's bring back the quality. I'm being shown a group of ancient philosophers and they're sitting around in a circle discussing and it, it took hours to come to a conclusion or to hear everybody. And it was done in a really, um, I'm being shown an old like mystery school type energy, but they're all sitting and they're learning from each other and it's thorough and it's deep and it's meaningful and it arrives at hopefully a conclusion that is satisfactory but even if the conclusion isn't reached, everybody's learned something from the whole process of just sitting versus this sort of fast fodder energy that we have right now. Just give it to me quick. Get on with it type energy. Uh, we've got inspiration. <laughs> OK, so it says, yes, your idea is divinely inspired. Do you think that's a nod to depth? I think it is. Take action accordingly to set it into motion. So we have the energy of inspiration. And yes, absolutely, with Gabriel, hope. Um, what am I trying to say? Hope and inspiration. Okay, I'm being taken into the future. Um, but it could be, nose is going, uh, a year into the future, two years into the future. But it's your future, your year ahead, your two years ahead don't just have hope that it's all going to work out you know i hope that i'm going to be in a better relationship i hope that i'm going to have more money i hope that this i hope that it's like be inspired and then it says take action accordingly to set it into motion definitely an energy of action is within the energy of hope okay Right, we're going to move on to our second candle, which I'm going to light. And the second candle, let me just clear the decks, is linked into peace. So let's have a look at the energy of peace. Let's light the second candle. Let me drink my cold coffee. I hear the magpie. I think they're mourning the loss of the branches in the trees. They've lobbed all the branches off the trees in our, uh, they've lobbed the branches off the trees in our road. They do it every year because they're massive trees and they always grow back every year stronger. But you know, the magpie's like, hold on a minute. What's happened? Where's my branch gone? Send some love to the, the magpies. Right. Let's light our second candle, the energy of peace. Sometimes this is called the Bethlehem candle ties in nicely to our beautiful painting, doesn't it? Um, I'll talk about that. 
Let's light the candle first, though. So this is the second candle of Advent. I'm doing this early. I hope you don't mind. Don't mind, do you? Hopefully, Spirit, no, they don't mind. Um, because the second Sunday in Advent hasn't actually arrived yet as I record this, but it will be the 10th, Sunday the 10th. So I'm lighting this for the 10th. Candle of Peace. Let's put that there. So, um, so sometimes called the Bethlehem candle. Okay. Um, Bethlehem star in the painting. This is obviously the painting of the Magi by Jane Delaford Taylor. It's in the Christ consciousness deck that I did with her. Um, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that in video two. But I just wanted to note it. So the energy of peace. So where should we start? Let's start with an archangel. Why not? So for me, the energy of peace and an archangel. I go straight to Shamuel. And again, this is an old deck of Dorian Virtues, but I love this depiction of Shamuel in her deck. And we have Shamuel linked into the energy of peace. It says, peace comes from from remembering that only love is real. Yeah. I love the silence that's just come in. Peace comes from remembering that only love is real. So Archangel Shamuel, let me spray the Archangel Shamuel spray. Yes, sorry. <laughs> I just realised there's a lot of Shamuel in my wreath because, yes, he's here because I was also going to use him for love, wasn't I? But equally, it's love and he's going to appear twice. OK, Shamuel's going to appear twice. He's going to appear for peace and he's going to appear for love. And indeed, this spray does say love and peace. OK, because I also want to bring the Sapphire Peace spray in. Right, let's start with Shamuel. Let's see what Archangel Shamuel wants to say with regards to peace. Peace is not as elusive as you think it is. Peace, peace is here in every breath, in every second, in every moment of the day, if one chooses to look for it. He's talking about pockets of peace, even during difficult times. He showed me a pile of rubble and the silence that can follow. I'm talking particularly man-made disaster. It's talking about the energy of rest in peace. Honouring the energy of rest in peace. That when the soul passes... There is just a period of profound peace, peace for the soul that is released from its earthly bonds. Um, however, the death has occurred. It is always followed by peace, profound peace. Um, that is a, that is a promise. 
It is a divine promise that peace always follows suffering. And it feels as though we we need to be reminded of that right now in the world where we see many uh, suffering. We see many deaths, whether that be to through war, natural disasters or anything else. That peace always follows. He's shown me the period straight after somebody dies. And often that has to be by nature very hectic because that is what society demands that things have to be sorted, papers have to be signed, decisions have to be made, funerals have to be arranged, all of this type of thing. Phone calls have to be made, people have to be seen. But actually, as much as you can to try and, despite the anguish and grief, to tune into the energy of peace that the soul that has passed is experiencing that is also there for you as well. That there can be peace in grief. That there can be pockets of peace in grief. That these pockets of peace in grief will get um, longer and more extended in nature. And he's saying that these periods where calm comes after suffering... And calm comes during peace, uh, sorry, calm comes during grief is when spirit is carrying you, is when I am with you. And I know there's that footprints poem linked into Jesus, but I'm also feeling it very strongly with Shamuel as well. That Shamuel is one who comes in and helps you to rebuild from the rubble of your life, of things that have fallen from the ruins, basically, from the ashes. I'm now being shown the energy of the Holy Spirit, the dove. And indeed, actually, on this card, we have got Shamuel releasing the dove of peace. And he's saying, think about why a dove of peace is released in the first place. The dove of peace is released because it is needed. It's often released during the hardest times the most difficult times, the most challenging times. But it is there that the bird soars. It is there that the bird soars. The bird goes where it needs to go. And the bird can nestle within the heart space. Um, I don't know if I've still got the meditation to share, but I remember being in New York with some of you for a meet and greet a few years ago now. And those of you that still follow me and watch me, do you remember we did a, I took you through a pretty simple meditation, um, which was just bringing the dove of peace into our heart space. Maybe I did re-record it for YouTube. I really can't remember. If I did, I will link it below. But let's just imagine now that dove of peace going into our heart space. This Advent this December, that whilst around us there may be chaos, there may be disorder, there may be war, there may be division, there may be hatred, there may be control, the energy of peace can live within us. It nestles very nicely into the heart space and it has as much room to grow as it needs within that heart space. 
because this card says peace comes from remembering that only love is real. So that's Shamuel's energy. Very, very beautiful. Um, really love that. I'd like to show you another card now, if I may. And this is the peace card from the Christ Consciousness deck of mine. And in this depiction, we've got the stones, the standing stones. And it says peace. It says calm center, calm mind. Calm center, calm mind. Um, a reminder of physicality that is needed to hold the energy of peace. That peace by nature can feel elusive, it can feel fragile, it can feel as though it comes and it goes. But yet to hold it within ourselves, we need a strong physicality and a strong mind. Um, a calm mind. So what are you doing to calm your mind? Be really brutally honest about that. Think about the type of things that you're watching. I think particularly in some quarters of the spiritual community and certainly some parts of the truth of community, there is an addiction to watching and looking at things that are going to inflame the nervous system, are going to put us into fear or flight mode, are going to fuel the adrenaline rush within our body, highly stimulating fear response type work out there, uh, preparing for not the star of Bethlehem and the energy of hope, peace, joy and love, but for some sort of energy of Armageddon or Third World War or, you know, whatever. And whilst there's a time and a place to talk about things that may or may not be on the horizon, I'm not saying that the things I've just mentioned are, I'm just saying there's a time and a place to talk about everything. It's about balance. It's about balance. If all we're doing is feeding our brain and our nervous system and our mind with images, with music, with people, with energy that is not of peace, then what are we going to become? We are what we consume. We are what we eat. We are what we see. I said during the time of the um, horrors in uh, Israel, the attack that happened in the early October, that I personally, it's a very fine line. I basically said that a lot of the imagery that was on X, formerly Twitter, is the type of thing that if you've watched that, you've watched the horrors of that unfolded there on that day in brutal detail, you can't ever get that out of your mind and your head. It's imprinted into your brain, into your mind, into your heart. Got to be very careful. Our world has always known war, for example. Our war has always known horror. Our war has always known terrible things such as starvation and hunger. But if we were to just always watch that and nothing of beauty to balance, you're going to have, you, it, it, it leads to a distorted mind and a distorted reality and a distorted perception. One of the things that's helped me the most over the last couple of years with regards to a lot of the fear that's out there 
is just walking down the street. And what I mean by that is that when you just walk down the street, you just realize that most people are just getting on with their lives. Most people are fundamentally good. Most people are just looking after their families, tending to their gardens, doing their work. Of course, there are people out there that are unpleasant, argumentative, all the rest of it. But I choose to look for and I find the people that are coming from the right place, that are just going about their life in a very peaceful way. In a, and I, I think the more that we do that, the more that it feeds this energy of peace that the world needs. Be very discerning what you're watching all the time and listening to. I've said this so many times, but it comes back to this card, calm center, calm mind. So I re-ask, what are you doing to calm your mind? What are you doing to calm your center? What foods are you eating that calm your center? Uh, that make that make you feel centered, grounded? What exercises are you doing? I'm not saying any of us are perfect. I'm certainly not. I haven't been out for a walk for a couple of days. I need to go and do some exercise. So we're all a work in progress. But if we want the energy of peace to really come in, we need to really be helping our body to feel at peace. And our body can only feel at peace when it's being looked after. Our mind can only feel at peace when it's being looked after. In addition to this, I'm being shown lists. <laughs> Metatron's great for this because one of my favorite cards from the Metatron deck um, is the card of priorities. How many times have I shown you this card? I mean, so many times. Um, I don't think it's just me, but because we live in this busy, busy world of go, 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 lots of things to do all of the time, uh, the energy of priorities is so important. So calm mind leading to peace of mind is to do with, are you looking after the basics? Are you crossing off the list, the things that are most necessary to you to live the best life you can? And if we're truthful uh, in this world of uh, mass consumerism and 24-7 media, we can spend our time doing things that actually don't really serve us. So that's something to maybe think of as well, this this Advent, with regards to the energy of peace. What are we doing to sow it and foster it within ourselves? Let me talk about the energy of um, sapphire then, which is the crystal that ideally I would have liked to have had to show you for peace. Um, but equally, as I say, blue lace ag agate can be a nice one as well. So let's have a look at the meaning of sapphire. So it says it's a symbol of the heavens, a guardian of innocence, a bestower of truth, a promoter of good health, bringing fulfillment, joy, prosperity, inner peace and beauty. Um, okay. Spiritual meaning of blue sapphire, wisdom, intuition, spiritual insight. <laughs> So again, you know, haven't got a sapphire to show you. I haven't actually got a photograph of it printed out either, but I could do that for next for the next video. And then putting the energy of sapphire onto our wreath. Let's though use the sapphire peace spray. Uh, at this point, this is the Archangel Metatron sapphire peace spray. 
and it comes in also with the energy of reconciliation. So let's just tune into this. Sapphire peace and reconciliation. That there can't be peace without reconciliation. There can't be peace without us reconciling um, all the different parts of ourself. There can't be peace without us reconciling our past. There can't be peace without us reconciling with each other. That's, that's, that's the hard truth, but it is the truth. So peace and reconciliation feel as though they go together. And I'm wanting to put the energy of reconciliation into this Advent wreath. I'd like you to think about what does that mean for you? The word reconciliation, when it is brought up, what feeling does it make your body feel? What, it, what, 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 what does it stir? Is there a particular person that comes to mind? They may be alive. They may have died. Sometimes when people die, we don't reconcile all of our differences. And then there can be regret of things that we haven't, we didn't say, we didn't do. But remember, spirit is alive and still with us if we choose to invite that person back into our sphere spiritually. You don't have to. But what I mean is that if there were things that you ha- you didn't say when they were alive, um, or maybe it's an estranged partner, you you know, they're not in your life anymore, but it was something, loose ends that weren't tied up with regards to a relationship, you can write it down in a letter. You can write down what it is that I wish I had said to that person, um, what I had done in this particular situation. Write it down really from your heart so that you can start to reconcile with whatever happened, whatever was done, whatever was said. I would encourage you to also maybe do that this Advent as well. So the energy of reconciliation. Also, the energy of reconciliation and peace feels as though it ties into reconciling, as I said, I think at the start of this video, although I made a few versions of it, uh, reconciling with our divine self, reconciling with whatever you want to call God. Don't get tied up with words, whether you want to call it great spirit, God, universe, cosmos, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter. It's just words. Divine something bigger than you, something greater than you, of which you are part, have you reconciled with that? Or are you? do you still have an energy of an angry God, a vengeful God, the God of the Old Testament that will um, cast you into hell, you know, if you do something wrong? That's not my version of God. That's not what I believe God to be. But that's me. It doesn't have to be what you believe. But it's just... Where are you at with the whole relationship that you have with the divine? Are you reconciled with it, them, whatever you feel it is? Or are you feeling that it's conspiring against you, that the universe is conspiring against you? And that ultimately comes from a place of not being at peace with the universe, not being at peace with the energy of God. I believe God is loving And a loving God isn't out for revenge, isn't out to spite you, isn't out to hurt you. 
So these are quite deep concepts, but I really encourage you again just to maybe just take a note of that. Reconciliation. What does that mean? Is it about a person? Is it about a parent? Is it about a former lover? Is it about God? Reconciliation and peace feel as though they go together. And I think sometimes when we are talking about these qualities of Advent, of hope, peace, joy and love, I think one of the best ways that you can really tap into what they are is to ask yourself, without them, what do we get? So, for example, without peace, where do we go? Let's just think into that. Without peace, what do we become? So if you just tune into your own body for a moment, your own mind, your essence of who you are as a human being on this planet right now, without peace going into next year, how's that going to look? Is it going to be as good as it could be? The answer is no. I'm not talking here about world peace. I'm talking about the peace that you can hold within yourself, the beautiful dove that you can hold within your heart. Without that there, and instead maybe an energy of envy or jealousy or anger, seething anger, just feel into what that's going to do, how that's what that's going to manifest, whether that be a condition within your body, whether it be a deterioration in a relationship that you've got, whether it be blocking your creativity. And then feel into what would peace feel like within myself? What would that be able to manifest? What would that look like if that was central to my life next year? And I think we know it would have a very different feel, don't we? So I think that's what I wanted to say for this first video. Um, Have I covered off the archangel, the spray and the crystal? Yes, I have. Talked a little bit about um, peace and hope, which is what I wanted to do in this first video. I'm going to leave it there for now. And we will be back with the second video um, very soon, which is going to look at the energy of uh joy and love uh, i am actually i feel like i just want to read something though before we close uh linked into peace peace that passeth all understanding i'm hearing i've got because i've got my um tripod arranged on these books let me just see if i can get one of them out because <laughs> um, it's a book by louise hay Okay, is this going to work? Yeah, I think that's going to work. Um, heart thoughts. I feel as I want to weave one of these in. Oops, I've gone lopsided. Never mind. Told you it was balancing on books. Let's just see if there's something in here linked into... Yeah, this feels a nice one. What we've been talking about today. I am, I am at peace, this is called. Let me just pick the camera up. Hold on. We're nearly there, guys. There I am. I'm level again. I'm at peace. It says, relax and enjoy life. Know that whatever you need to know is revealed to you in the perfect time and space sequence. 
Um, it says, today you are a new person. Relax and free your thoughts of all stresses and pressure. No person, place or thing can irritate or annoy you. Not even this tripod that I'm holding. You are at peace. You are a free person living in a world that is a reflection of your own love and understanding. You are not against anything. You are for everything that will improve the quality of your life. You use your words and your thoughts as tools to shape your future. You express gratitude often and look for things to be thankful for. You are relaxed and you live a peaceful life. Let me just put the book back. My arm's getting dead there. Okay. You live a peaceful life. Okay. Thank you, Louise. Yes. Okay. So let's just think about what a peaceful life would look like. I think really that's what I was trying to discuss. But a peaceful life for me looks like, fill it in. What does it look like? Um, a peaceful world looks like. Um, so these are just exercises that you can do. Let's see if we've got a little blessing on peace. I will create one. Oh, well, there is one here. <laughs> oh, this is perfect. What a great way to end. Okay, so it's literally one line. It says, for peace, sometimes not saying anything at all says everything. Oh my goodness, guys. In a world where everyone has to have the last word, which doesn't lead to peace, it can lead to just rubbing people up the wrong way or even more resentment. It's just ego, isn't it? For peace, sometimes not saying anything at all says everything. <laughs> I love that too. Anyway, I do hope you enjoyed this video. Take great care. I'm going to get it up now and I'll see you very soon. Stay tuned. Also, this December, I hope to do an ancestral healing video around winter solstice. Lots of love, everybody. Take care. Please like the video. I really ask you to do that. Thank you very much. And uh, if you feel called to, share it as well. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Okay, everybody. Go right into... Ethan Fox, Ethan Fox and Michaela Sheldon. We'll do just as much as we can and then we'll finish on the other side of a look at the stars time. So we'll say that, um, um, Ethan and Michaela, perfectly balanced masculine and feminine, the energies, to share wisdom and insights to higher dimensional access. You will walk away feeling vibrationally uplifted, inspired and excited to contribute to this incredible period of vibrational acceleration on planet Earth. In this episode, Michaela and Ethan answer audience questions that were posted to previous episode videos so let's just get started mm. it's an hour and 31 minutes all together we'll do what we can before the break here we go oh. 
Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Awaken Empowered podcast. I'm Michaela Sheldon. I'm here with Ethan Fox. We're going to do another audience spotlight today. We had a lot of questions and comments on our various platforms. And some of the comments are actually pretty interesting and spark some good discussion about things that I think people are going through today, including this first one. Um, and it starts like this. I've been into spiritual practices since 2010. It intensified when I started doing chakra meditation around 2016. Since 2019, the third dimensional reality hit me really hard, and I was pushed to participate in it with real life problems. I then stopped doing all of my spiritual practices and became disillusioned with the spiritual world. I thought no matter what I do, we will have to deal with this physical world and its problems. Because no matter how patiently and with trust I dealt with them, I couldn't get rid of them. I then became a completely different person. I now don't do meditation or think about guides, angels, dimensions, or quantum energy. I've now started thinking in more realistic ways to deal with this third dimensional world and its real problems, which have to be faced no matter how spiritually evolved we become. And I can relate to this, actually, even though I'm a channel and people out there think I'm probably meditating 24-7, and I do go through periods of time where I meditate quite a bit. What I found in my spiritual awakening is is very similar to what this person is talking about, because um, while meditation was, I think, the agent of awakening in my life, being in that astral place all of the time, I don't believe is really sustainable, nor where we're always meant to be, because to face real, real world problems we have to be able to use all of the energy information that we're gaining in those meditative states. And I think real practical ways. And, and for me, I meditate less today, way less today than I did when I first started this journey. And it's not to say that I don't appreciate meditation and all that it offers me. In fact, Anytime I'm going into a channeled event or a session, for example, I always sit in meditation for a few minutes and I have my little procedure. And there are times at home when I just feel naturally like it's time for me to sit down and breathe in a specific way. But as far as that regimented program, um, I feel like meditation integrated with me and changed me in such a way that I am a completely different person because I went through that period of intensified process. And it was, for me, extremely accelerated in that I was meditating three times a day for very long periods of time. But it was just a window in my world when I was meant to do that. Now, I don't necessarily um, not think about guides, obviously, because I'm working with them all of the time. But I don't think that's necessary either for some people, you know, to have chosen a physical life and to be here on a physical material planet, I think it's purposeful that there are times we are going to be fully immersed in our material world and even our material problems, which what I've learned are a part of our spiritual journey and especially our service. So there have been times for me where I've naturally fallen out of those meditative periods and I've criticized myself for that. And the guides have come in and said, you know, this is a time when you're meant to attend to the things that are going on in your linear plane. And the purpose for that is because you are here as a channel, because my life is 
coinciding or corresponding with all of the teachings truly that are coming in. So I feel like I'm always getting a practical lesson in what the guides are teaching and what meditation opens up for me uh, in the world. And I think where we stand today in terms of being embodied and, and walking into the fifth dimension, it's more important than ever to be here now and to be attending to these physical issues. Because if we don't, we could find ourselves meditating all the way into the fifth dimension and bringing all of the problems right along with us. Because I truly don't think we solve them in that state, even though we know meditation is very helpful. So we'll probably get some people who comment about group meditation and raising vibration. And I believe in all of those things. I think those things can be extremely helpful. But if we lean on them exclusively, um, I think we're missing the point. We're missing the purpose of why we chose to incarnate here at this time. So, so I go through ebbs and flows with my meditative process. And sometimes it's not here at all. Other than as a, a prefaces to some type of workshop or class offering that I'm doing or session. We discussed this sort of briefly in our last podcast in, in the sense that yeah, and of course, in previous channel revelations recently as well, we touched on the third dimension and fifth dimension and those kinds of concepts. And I think, uh, and even for me, until recent times, I had a misconception about those concepts as well. And and I think a lot of us who are on a more conscious path in life, or in, I don't want to use spiritual because I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of the spiritual movement is is just a sort of surface level spirituality. But for those people who are experiencing more of an in-depth spiritual growth and expansion of consciousness, I think we have a tendency to be in a hurry to move toward the fifth dimension and um, what at least what we think that is. But, you know, none of us were here physically today unless we have a recollection of, of experiences in fifth dimension before. We don't know what that's like. And. Uh, and I don't think it's possible, nor should we attempt to live in the fifth dimension entirely because we are here in a third dimensional reality to the extent that we're being impacted by it. So for most of us, especially anybody who's watching this video, you're using the Internet, you're using web browsers, you're watching it on YouTube or some other platform. And so these are all third dimensional technologies and communities that, that you're interacting with. So it's not really possible to completely ignore the third dimension. And of course, you're spending money uh, and buying material things in order to watch the video or listen to it on an electronic device. These are all third dimensional things. So for us to try to shun or get rid of the third dimension in favor of the fifth, it's not possible right now. Now, it's different. Maybe if you're living in the woods in the middle of nowhere, then that and you have no contact at all with the external world, then possibly you could do that, but but certainly not in any sort of Western society. So so I think um, the real key or the goal should be for us to elevate the third dimension to a higher place, as we discussed in previous conversations. Um, and, and bring some fifth dimensional elements or ideas into the third dimension and raise it to that higher uh, objective. And that may, you know, in some respect, that may be kind of like what you're doing, channeling, which is not exactly fifth dimensional. It could be any dimensional, really. Um, but you're bringing those 
information and, and energy from those higher consciousnesses into the fifth dimension or into the third dimension rather. So channeling is more of a fifth dimensional idea, a concept, ability. Um, and through that ability, you are bringing forth this um, information and vibration into the third and expressing it here for those who are ready to receive or digest or understand that information. Um, so, so I think more people need to do that uh, and in whatever way you're doing that. Uh, and that may be different for everybody. You could, you could even do it in a more mainstream space. Let's say you're making films. You could make films that are bringing forth these higher concepts into a third dimensional expression. Um, you can do it in any space, really. And to some extent, we're even seeing that happening on a global scale. We're starting to see the move toward more fifth dimensional ideas, but uh, but it's not moving at any rapid pace, of course. And and I think ultimately that's what we have to do is to is to create more of that blend between both. And and you know, as I talked about in the last podcast, even even free energy technologies, which are in some respects a fifth dimensional idea but they have to be manifested into the third dimension now. And I think a lot of the problems in the past where people were inventing cars that ran on water or other kinds of technologies, or even what Tesla was working on that, uh, and many since his time, who have developed actual free energy devices of different types, they were doing it in too large a scale too soon. Um, but if we could do it in small ways, you know, um, just small things that don't threaten the system, but introduce these ideas into that vibration of the third dimension in those small, innocent ways that nobody cares about, that the mainstream oil companies and power companies and governments don't care, will bring it into the consciousness. And, and as more and more people play around with that and just share it with each other, we're going to find ourselves one day with free energy technology on a more meaningful scale. I think that's what we need to do, as we discussed in the last podcast about how Edgar Casey brought forth the ideas of channeling uh, although there were others before him, he was probably the most well known. And 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 those individuals in our history who have sort of pushed that boundary have resulted in a world where there are so many channels today, uh, and where it's becoming more and more mainstream. So so I think we have to kind of combine both of those ideas, fifth dimension, third dimension, and bring those qualities of the fifth dimension to the third, so that we can elevate the third dimension while we're here and then as we move into the fifth the fifth also is a is a wonderful place but i don't think we can ignore the third because we hate it because there are a lot of things happening in it we don't like and and then think that if we just move to the fifth everything's going to be perfect we will still take those third dimensional things that we don't like into the fifth dimension and maybe just elevate to a higher perspective but still have to live in that dystopia and that's the choice that we all have available to us today I want to speak to um, the point that she's making about becoming disillusioned with the spiritual movement, because that's happened with me lately. And and I it, and what I'm reading in this comment, I think, has a lot to do with it, because when we first break open to these ideas and we look at the spiritual movement today, a lot of what we see is doing a spiritual practice in order to immediately solve your problem. So we're we're activating you know the law of attraction or we're meditating with a vision such that we can jump from where we are to where we want to be and i think what what this comment speaks to is that 
the reality is we're not really here to do that as much as people believe in that. And, and, you know, I do definitely think that as a race, we have the potential to immediately manifest, but we're not there yet. Nor do I think that immediate manifestation is exactly what we think it would be because we're not here to jump out of the problem. The problem is where the enlightenment actually happens. So the very idea that you meditate and expand your viewpoint to the point where you see through some of these spiritual mechanisms, programs, right, modalities that perhaps are more about conventional things than they really are about consciousness or enlightenment is actually, I think, happening to a lot of people on the planet today, you know, including myself especially going through the last several years. And we've talked about this in earlier podcasts where there's a big difference between spirituality and consciousness. And it's very easy to distinguish now between the two. And certainly I think people can have a foothold in both uh, or one or the other or neither, but it's obvious that we really need to go more into a collective consciousness that is aware and expanded in a physical way in the physical plane to see the problems and, and be willing to be with them. And I think that's what meditation actually did for me. You know, early on, I started having crazy experiences. Obviously, I, I, I know that I was a dedicated meditator in many past lifetimes because without any instruction whatsoever, my body just knew how to go into this deep state and how to breathe to get there. And then when that happened, I was interacting with guides and, you know, ETs and downloading all of this information, which was a really incredible period of time for me. But what I learned is the more that I did it, the more I was able to bring that state into my physical reality. So I was personally changing in terms of the decisions I would make, uh, who I was in the world, who I wanted to associate with, you know, who my friends were, you know, all of these things, which I think is so, so valuable and, and so important. So a lot of people are losing faith and, you know, becoming very disillusioned by the spiritual community because I think of that very reason, you know, we are advancing in consciousness. And as we do, there's a lot of things there that I don't think necessarily can come with us and, and we outgrow those things very quickly as well. So, so as we accelerate in terms of our consciousness, there are just practices that we won't need to do anymore. Right. And I think a lot of us have gotten into these um, states of presence, which I equate to a deep meditation because the guides will recommend almost always to people who are having trouble with meditation to get into a mindfulness practice where they are just becoming aware of what is ever in front of them. And that is it, you know, doing the dishes, watching the bubbles on your hands, you know, doing the candle flame experiment where you're just staring into the flame and the flicker of the candle and getting so into the present moment that you're in that meditative state without having to get out of the reality you find yourself in. So I think that's the distinguishing factor right now that perhaps is, a part of this movement into the fifth dimension is that we're leaving behind this idea of jumping out of our discomfort using a spiritual practice, but more so being able to sustain 
discomfort, uh, uncomfortable periods or challenges in our life and work through them, you know, very consciously. That's, that's ultimately who I think we're becoming. I think there's a misconception about manifestation that really the law of attraction in some ways amplified in, in the recent decades. And that is that, well, first of all, you're talking about instantaneous manifestation. First of all, mechanically, I don't think that's possible in third dimension. And of course, the guides have even said we came here to experience time and to have to wait for things, you know. And so it's really a benefit or an advantage or a privilege to be here. Although many of us here who want things right away may not feel that way, but, but we came here in order to experience that. I mean, imagine if you spend most of your incarnations in higher dimensions where instantaneous manifestation is possible, then that's normal. I can see why as a soul, you may want to try something different and be in a reality where there's time and density and, and you have to wait for things to manifest. And plus, the third dimension is a very egocentric reality. So we are all separate from each other. So we're, um, from that standpoint, if everybody had instantaneous manifestation, imagine if our war leaders had instantaneous manifestation, what kind of dystopia we'd be living in today. When you're living in a reality that is so separate, where we are individuals and we are, each of us is unconscious or uncaring of each other, especially in modern times in the world today, um, to where if we could instantaneously manifest, we would cause so much harm on the planet. Even, even if all we wanted was more money or more things that we want without paying attention to anybody else, those actions would, would nonetheless affect everybody else in a, in a collective consciousness, even though we are operating as separate egos. And, and I think that's where you have to associate instantaneous manifestation more so with higher dimensions. So as we move the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and so on, I, manifestation will become quicker because um, we are getting to a point where our decisions and the things we're trying to manifest are more in alignment with the collective. And secondly, it's kind of a chicken or egg thing. You know, I think, um, first of all, I've studied law of attraction and applied it and, and even studied under coaches who were in the secret. Um, so uh, I've got a lot of experience with the principles and theories and mechanics of it. And uh, and I can tell you, and I think if anybody, you know, anybody's being honest, they can uh, they would admit that law of attraction doesn't work all the time. So you may have something on your vision board and maybe some things actually work and some things may even appear to work instantaneously. Um, and other things, they never work. Uh, and I experienced this with, with, um, uh, different groups of people I worked with. Uh, and, you know, as I said before, I, uh, worked with John Asaraf, who was in the secret as a personal coach for a period of time. And, and we were in this very small group of individuals who were working with him as a private coach. There were maybe 12 or 15 of us in this group and, and they were all pretty successful people, uh, and in different lines of work. Um, some of them very successful and others at lesser degrees. And I watched, uh, you know, all of us following John's techniques. And at the time he was considered the most advanced in the law of attraction space for, uh, using the mind to manifest. And so he was teaching some, you know, at, at that time, very advanced techniques and, we were all applying it. 
And some of us in the group, um, we became more successful. Some of us in the group kind of stayed the same. And some of us went backwards and even went bankrupt in the span of time that I was in this program. So, so here you are, we're working with the most expert person in the field of law of attraction in terms of manifestation and vision boards and neuro entrainment and things like that. And in a group of very successful people, and yet we couldn't all produce the same results. And that just goes to show that law of attraction is not consistent. It isn't a law that produces consistent results every time to everybody who applies it to the same degree. And the reason is because not all of us are supposed to have the same things. So it, it isn't really possible. And that's why it requires a collective consciousness really to, to have those kinds of things because in a ego centered society or dimension, each of us may be making decisions for our own benefit or the benefit of those around us. Meanwhile, our decisions are affecting the whole collective anyway. And, and that's not a power I think that, that would make sense to have mechanically in a third dimensional reality. So in the instances where instantaneous manifestation actually does occur, it's more that you were always meant to have that in the first place. And I think that's the distinction we need to get to as we move to fifth dimensional consciousness. Because I think law of attraction is distinctly third dimensional. I think in a fifth dimensional consciousness, you begin to realize that the things you want are the things you were always supposed to have. So instead of putting things on a vision board that you want to achieve, you start to become aware of the things that you are always going to have. And you start striving for those things intentionally. So instead of all of us putting a million dollars on a vision board or the fancy car or the perfect relationship, we all individually begin to become conscious uh, of our next step in the journey, what we came here to experience and do and who to be with and how much money to have or not have. And we start to strive for those things. And, and, and in so doing, we start to get into alignment with what we are here to experience. And at that point, instantaneous manifestation happens because you're walking the path you're always going to. You start, you start to want the things that you were always meant to have anyway. And you're not constantly up against, you know, your own resistance trying to accomplish something that you're not meant to have while your life is still pulling you toward what you're going to have anyway. And I think that's the thing that a misunderstanding that exists in our understanding of that. I agree with you about the, um, instantaneous manifestation being about alignment because I actually had instantaneous manifestation experiences and they're more like synchronicities and stepping out of resistance than anything else. So um, my famous story when I began to channel was that Christmas morning, I was cooking a dinner for my entire family, you know, big Italian family, always had them at my house and I was missing some very key ingredients that I needed to make this special, you know, roast, whatever I was doing. And um, I had forgotten to buy them. It was Christmas morning. Everything was closed. And I was really stressed out about it <laughs> because I had this dinner party. All these people coming to my house. And at the time, I was meditating for the purpose of pain. So anytime I would feel stressed, I would go straight into meditation knowing that, you know, I was trying to keep my inflammation and pain down, but had no request whatsoever, right? Nothing in my head saying, I need to fix this situation. Please let me manifest the ingredients I need. But it happened anyway, because I went into meditation that day, deep, deep meditation, had a crazy experience with a guy named Jacob, came out the door and found the ingredients sitting in my kitchen pantry. After I went on this crazy 
exploration of looking on every shelf. Now, I can't truly explain that other than that timeline is more balanced and harmonized than the one I was on that was I was stressed out about. So maybe I jumped timelines. Maybe it was just a synchronistic shift into a reality where those material things came into my my tangible use. However, what I have noticed is when I do meditate regularly, which, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I go through ebbs and flows with that right now. I'm not doing it, but I do go through periods where I do. I notice the synchronicity in my life tends to become very, very vivid. Um, for example, there was a period in time when I was meditating every morning. I was calling in my higher self and just saying, you know, help me today. Uh, guide me to the things that I need to know. Do where can I serve? How can I be served? You know, I had this kind of open ended prayer and, um, I would have a thought that there was something that I would need and immediately see a sign of it in the environment. Like, uh, you know, gosh, I'm going to have to find a handyman to fix that leaky plumbing and then see a handyman truck literally drive right past me on the street. So, so I do think meditation can help us get into a non-resistant state where the source field does all of the things that it would naturally do for us that we get in the way of. And that's how instantaneous manifestation actually happens in a third dimensional reality. But because we've been so trained to try to use it to get rid of things we don't want, we can't figure out how right to implement it in our lives. So naturally, I think meditation will do that for us. It just gets us out of our own way. It, it limits the resistance that we have so that we can see things that we did not know were, were there. And maybe the ingredients were there all along. I just didn't see them. And that meditation opened me up to be able to realize something was there that wasn't before. You know, it reminds me of when in the years when I was working with John Asraf and studying the secret very intently. And this is long before I met you. Um, I was in a different um, relationship at the time and had um, uh, we were just started our marketing agency at the time. And uh, and we had one car that we shared. It was just a very average car. And of course, working with John Asraf and vision boarding, and this is in the early years of the secret coming out. Um, and I, that's when I found out about Esther Hicks and all these other people and, and channeling and whatnot. Um, not my first exposure to channeling, but, but anyhow. So I, every, every day of the week, I was practicing what John was teaching and had my vision board with all this stuff on it and all the material things that we strive for and, and love attraction. Uh, one of which was I wanted a better car. And so, so I had all these luxuries, sports cars, some of them sports cars on, on the vision board. And I was visualizing it. I was going to car dealerships and test driving cars that were way out of my price range that, that I would never be able to afford. Uh, at that time, realistically, and um, and 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 sometimes doing it can feel a little weird because you're you're sitting in this car that you know you can't afford with a salesman who doesn't know you can't afford it, but you're test driving it anyway. So these are the kind of things we do, right? When we're when we're pushing the envelope with the law of attraction, when we believe in those principles, and uh, and well, not long after that, um, we were driving home 
in the middle of the night. It was about two o'clock in the morning on the highway and a raccoon ran out in front of my car and I swerved to avoid it. And in response, I flipped the car over. So the car rolled over and we were fine, but uh, at any point we couldn't drive it. So we had to spend the night at a hotel nearby and, um, and in while we were there, we started looking at um, brochures for cars online uh, because we were not going to be able to drive that car again. And sure enough, we ended up buying a car that was unrealistic for us to have considered buying uh, at that time. It pushed the envelope of what we thought was possible. It was a luxury car, but... Uh, but it was not quite to the extent of the cars that I, I had been test driving, but certainly quite a ways along the way. And at the time, there was no way we could have afforded that car. Um, but in a short amount of time, we had paid the car off and much less time than the original car we had. And, uh, but, but the point of the story is that this was something that was in the vibration already. And, but you may sometimes produce a result in a way that you're not expecting, right? I mean, nowhere in my vision board did I have get in a car accident, smash the old car up, and have to buy a new one. Um, so sometimes manifestation kind of works in that way. You still have the experience you're always meant to have. Now, did I put the exact car on my vision board? No. Um, the cars that I had on my vision board were in an entirely different range. But I ended up happy with the one that I had anyway. Um, so that's the thing I think we have to consider is, is manifestation, law of attraction isn't always a precise thing to where you put it on the board and get exactly what you want and the way that you imagine it being. You're going to still end up where you're supposed to be. But occasionally you may put things on the board that are on your path anyway. Like I was already on the path to having a nicer car. I just didn't know what that car was going to be. And so in my own intuitive way, putting these things on the vision board produced a result in a way that I wouldn't have chosen, but nonetheless produced that result. This is an interesting conversation stemming from this one comment, but I want to carry it on because I think the opposite is true as well. So I always say, I, I don't think that we're here to manifest everything in this life from nothing. We have a divine plan, and so we're co-creating with that divine plan, right, which leads to the timing issue that, you know, with the car. But there was a time when I was single, uh, and I was studying law of attraction, and there was a guy in my life that I was very attracted to um, and really wanted to become a part of my romantic experience. And um, we talk about reptilians and the mind and how powerful the mind is, and we do have that. So, So I just want to throw this in there. I do think the mind is extremely powerful in terms of magnetic attraction. And I did the same thing. I was focusing on this guy, focusing on a life with him. But what I found was I was attracting him into my life and his friends and all kinds of activities in ways that made it more painful. <laughs> I wasn't exactly getting what I wanted and the re relationship never came to fruition. And now looking back, I'm so glad that that did not happen because that was not meant to be. However, his friends wanted to be my friends. Um, there was always this kind of promise that we were going to get together that kept falling through or he would stand me up, you know, and, and so it just got the attraction was there. 
the energy I was pulling in. But it was obvious to me when I got to the other side that this was never meant to be a part of my soul's experience. And, you know, I think this is where these spiritual practices, when we don't have the found the full foundation of them that's available to us, maybe as we're walking into the fifth dimension, we're learning more, they can cause us a lot more suffering than what is necessary because when we make it so specific like that, and I think that's the thing is we, we make it so specific. There's this one thing we want, this one thing we need, this one thing we need to heal or kick in our lives. Then we get so entangled in that and we start thinking about it that we draw in more problem than we really are meant to experience. Whereas in a meditative practice, if we're keeping ourselves open and, and unconditional, just for the highest and best good of whatever is meant to come our way, then I think that's where those synchronicities happen. And we have these really clear signs that come in about, you know, what is meant to happen. And we see how source really wants to support us. And that's what I think we, we're really moving into. Yeah, it was one last thing I want to, so I don't want to get stuck on this first <laughs> question, but but it, it, mentioning John, uh, so this individual is considered a master in that space of law of attraction. I know a lot of people wholeheartedly believe in the law of attraction as a hard and fast rule, but but John's company uh, went bankrupt soon after I stopped working with him. And, and I always make the comment, here's a guy who probably knows more about law of attraction and how to produce those results than anybody. And he, by, you know, to be fair, was a multimillionaire at the time that I knew him. But I'm sure he didn't put on his vision board to have his company go bankrupt. So, but obviously it was an experience he was meant to have. And I find, for example, using numerology and astrology, at the end of your nine-year cycle, there's usually some sort of collapse that occurs. doesn't matter how good you are at law of attraction. The things that are meant to be taken away from you will. That's been true for me every nine years that that happens to me. And so even in the case of someone like him, it doesn't matter what he had on his vision board. If that was supposed to happen, it's going to happen anyway. You can't force your will upon the universe with law of attraction, manifest things that are not meant to be for you on this journey, which is a good thing because in our ego selves, we don't know everything. We can't see everything. We are too self-absorbed in our own experience to be able to see the bigger picture. But our soul's journey, you know, our, our higher consciousness and awareness chose these paths for us and, and put them in motion. So like in his case, now the thing too is knowing this astrology chart, I could tell he was always going to be rich. So, so we could look at him and say, well, sure, he could apply law of attraction techniques and he'll probably end up rich anyway. Whereas somebody else who does not have the kind of astrology and numerology has using the same techniques would not produce the same results. So did law of attraction work exceptionally well for him because he was just good at it? Or did it work for him because this was supposed to be his journey anyway? But even inside of that, the things that he was meant to fail in, he was going to fail anyway. So at the end of the day, do we really need law of attraction? Do we really need to try to attract and bring into manifestation the things we think we want? Or do we just need to get into alignment with what we came here to do and experience and have anyway and just flow toward that in, in non-resistance and instead being in alignment with that, we can work with those influences to create what we came here to create anyway. Next question is about astrology, interestingly. Um, so what chart should we look at in a romantic relationship? The basic synastry, 
composite or Davison chart? I find that they're all useful. Um, so I wouldn't say any one chart. I use all of them, um, but I find I use the um, Synastry the most. Um, uh, rather, I find it to be the most useful in, in terms of understanding the two individuals. But the other charts are also good. I, I also sometimes will use the composite chart. There are certain things that I can see in a composite that I may not be able to see in the synastry or or it may even confirm things that are in the synastry. So I would say use them all. Um, but I find that uh, you know, comparing the two charts, the individuals to each other is the most beneficial. Now, there, now I have studied astrology on my own for about 30 years now and, and also, um, practiced professionally. And uh, I would say that there are a lot of misconceptions in the astrological space about compatibility. A lot of people believe that, and of course, if you look at it from a textbook standpoint, sometimes it might make sense. Uh, but a lot of people believe that certain kinds of influences always produce great results or great relationships. It's not necessarily true. And I also find sometimes you have to combine the numerology. I find it incredibly insightful, even if two astrological charts are incredibly harmonious and the numerology of the two individuals. For example, I was just uh, discussing this with Michaela recently about my observation about um, individuals who have a number one soul in their first name. So essentially all the vowels in your first name equal one. If you put two of those people together in a relationship, it doesn't matter how good the astrological comparison is. Those two people are going to have a hard time seeing each other's needs and they're always going to be striving for themselves and their own needs. And, and they're going to either butt heads or go their separate ways in the relationship um, because the one first name soul number makes it very hard for you to see outside of yourself. And, and a lot of times there can be anger issues and more likelihood to fight with each other because one, the ego is very strong with the one person and one people, not necessarily ill intentioned, but have a hard time being able to see outside of what they want, what they need, even if they're making an effort to see what the other person wants and needs. So I find that certain combinations of numerology between two people also don't work, even if the astrological combinations are perfect. But, but looking at the astrology specifically, there are certain influences that I look for and certain influences that I try to avoid two people having. And if those influences are there or not there, depending on which, um, all the other influences are, I find to be secondary. Um, for example, the relationship between Venus and Saturn between two people, I think is, is one of the most important things in a romantic relationship. Because if, for example, uh, a person has Venus square Saturn um, between themselves and the other person's chart, and in some cases I see it both ways, where one person's Venus, Venus is square, the other person's Saturn, and that person's Venus is square, the first person's Saturn, That's it doesn't matter if everything else in the chart is great. Uh, if that is there, it's going to be very hard for those two people to express love and warmth toward each other. That's one of the main influences that I look for um, initially in, in a chart between two people. Now, if, if that does not exist or the Venus and Saturn are more harmonious, say in a trine or a sextile, for example, um, then, then that may be okay. 
But even better if you have a Venus sun uh, influence between the two charts, a Venus sextile, the other person's sun. That is kind of the opposite where it enhances the love and the warmth between two people. Now, there are other things, too, such as moon and sun influences I find also very critical. It tells you a lot about the relationship. For example, if you have sun square Saturn between a couple that relationship may have been a relationship out of practicality and not so much, um, you know, not so much for the relationship itself. And it could be maybe they got together because of career or because of they had children or something like that. And a lot of times that relationship will stay together because of that square, even though it may lack um, good qualities of a, of a, of a happy relationship. So it's it's a much more complex conversation than we can have here, but there are very specific influences I look for, and then you cannot ignore the numerology because that, even if everything's great in the astrology, uh, and the two people do have love and warmth, but they're very self-centered because of the one, they can still have a hard time taking care of each other because, I mean, ultimately in a romantic relationship, if you're not going to take care of each other, then why be in a romantic relationship? Um, but, and that's a thing with two one soul numbers, especially when it's in the first name, you have a hard time looking out for each other. You're, you're, even if you're good intentioned, you unavoidably may be looking out for yourself and not be able to see the other person. This is another interesting comment, not necessarily a question. Um, when I go up in frequency, it creates turmoil in my nervous system and I'm not built for that. So I love to go lower in vibration by being silent, going in nature, moving slow, and I still move forward. And I think it's a valid point. You know, I had an interesting post the other day from the book that I put up about uh, being in bliss all the time. And I think we talked about this in the last um, podcast where, you know, we assume we always want to be of higher vibration. But there's a lot of detail in the book about the idea that vibration isn't everything. I mean, certainly as we move up in dimension, we are moving up in vibration collectively and individually. But just because our vibration is low for an hour or a day or a week or a period of time doesn't hold us back from evolving nor from manifesting the things that we want. So so the attraction piece vibrationally is really only a small part of the equation. And, and I'll give you an example. In the book, The Guides Use Relationship, actually, um, and they talk about, you know, if a partner is mad at the other because they came home late for dinner and, you know, they cooked a surprise dinner and their their partner wasn't thinking and didn't get home until two hours late and the dinner went cold. And, you know, of course, it's going to be anger. It's going to be sadness. It's going to be all of these things, right? And throughout the duration of that entire event and beyond, the vibration is calculating what they call an imprint. Mm. <laughs> okay, you can stop right there, huh? Mm. Okay, everybody, it's just what time it is. We will continue this after we have a little break and then we... Take a look at the stars with our brother Richard and mm. Kepacha and Tanya Gabrielle. And then, well, that's that's what we're going to do. And we'll do some more of this 
around 9 o'clock our time, Mountain Time. But until we meet again in about, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, we'll see you right back here with some music and I'll look at the stars. Namaste for now, everybody. Namaste for now. That's the talking stick to you, Richard. Hello. Hello, Richard. Hey there. Hey there. All right. We made it to another Saturday night. (laughs) We did. Yeah. All right. We got continued troublesome aspects. And uh, tonight is uh, continued chaos. The main thing going on here is we got Venus. We'll start with Scorpio. Venus at uh, 7 Scorpio, opposite Jupiter at 7 Taurus. All right, and that makes uh, making a square to Pluto at, uh, what is that, 29? Or is it still 28? Pluto's uh, 29. Uh, 29 Capricorn. Now, along with Venus opposite Jupiter, the moon tonight is opposite Uranus. The moon's at 12 Scorpio, which is good for me because that's where my son is. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Mars is still conjunct the sun in the middle of Sagittarius. Yes, indeed. Mars at 12 Sag and the sun at 17 Sag. And those two guys are coming up on a square to Neptune, which is at 25 Pisces. All right, so the sun is at 18, and Neptune is at uh, 25, so that's close enough to call it. All right, so that's not helpful. Uh, let's see, Pluto, we did that, Pluto square. Okay, Mercury. Now, here's an interesting thing. So you've got Venus sextile Mercury, Mercury trine Jupiter, and Jupiter opposite Venus. So you've got a, you've got a, a triangle of energies there, and, uh, you know, right now on the East Coast, Venus is right overhead. I mean, Jupiter and Uranus are right overhead, and uh, Venus is underground uh, relative to uh, Eastern U.S. So we got all we got all that kind of stuff going on. Um, Venus is rising. I've been watching Venus rise in the morning, and the Moon was rising before Venus. And I, I had nice sunrises for a few days here. Uh, well, who else we got? Chiron is still in the same place in Aries and still retrograde. It's 16 Aries. 
the node is at 23, Aries, uh, Uranus is retrograde at 21. Neptune's stationary direct today for a few days. Uh, it's going to go direct here in a while. Uh, Jupiter's still retrograde. So that, uh, that pretty much uh, takes care of things for uh, the current conditions. Uh, new moon is on Monday. So uh, that'll be, that'll be uh, eh, fun. I think it's at what is 25. What was that? Degree of the new moon. Degree of the new moon is... Uh, Welcome. energy to the situation and I don't know what else I mean these things seem to be moving very slow to me these days it's like yeah I just don't know I just don't know it's the last few days you know winter solstice is only 12 days away True. Yeah. So, anyway. All right, then. Let's see what uh, Kaipacha thinks interesting. I don't know. I mean, I've, we've been looking at the same conditions here with the outer planets. You know, everything from from Pluto to Gemini has, you know, essentially been unchanged for weeks and weeks now. But, uh, we're going to get Mercury going to go retrograde here in a, in a few days. I believe, let's see, it was station, it's stationary direct for the, for the new moon. Let's see here. 12-12. Let's see here. Yeah. Mercury stationary retrograde. At the new moon, so that'll uh, make things interesting. What does that mean, Richard? Well, what it means is that uh, uh, Mercury is going to stick around in Capricorn. It's going to come back and 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 try and as it backs up, it's going to try and Jupiter. All right, so Mercury trying Jupiter. Uh, it's good for reasoning and calculating and figuring things out, right? And it's a, just, and it's a Taurus, so it has to do with the Earth conditions. Okay. Conditions on the Earth. Thinking about the Earth, it's going to give. Uh, it's it's, it's going to add energy to all the environmentalist conversations. I mean, it's, it's, you know, that cop 
meeting there was this week, last yep. week. And uh, they was just talking up a storm and, yep. getting, and getting nothing done. <laughs> right. Yeah, the oil emirates don't want to get anything done, and there's a ton of them that were there. I want to know about the 12th because it's Rama and our wedding anniversary for 31 years. Yeah, and my <laughs> moon is in Sag. Yeah. Well, a new moon, you know, it's just you just you may get you may get a little um, romantic. <laughs> if you okay. can remember, remember, remember. Well, see, Sag is a fire sign. Sag is is more touchy feely than the other fire signs. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> so you know, you may you may find yourself revisiting the feelings that you had when you got married. <laughs> oh my. And I, I don't know the conditions of that day, and that's none of my business. But uh, we got married on the top of Hesperus Mountain in Colorado. Yeah, all right. Well, and it was an Ashtar command base where we got married. And and what year was that? Nineteen ninety-two. Well, that, so that's twenty-one years ago. Thirty-one years. 31. There you go. Yes. You, you've been together that long, huh? Yep. <laughs> All right, then. Well, let's go play Kaipacha. There okay. we go. Here we go. He's got a picture of Java the Hut here, so. On the front page, right. This is going to be interesting. Oh, my. Everybody, it's Kaipacha with the Weekly Pele Report for December 6th of 2023, getting towards the end, last month of the year. That's my trail down here, and it gets a lot steeper than that, let me tell you. Oh, my God. It is a long, deep canyon for this beautiful, amazing river. I needed a little guidance to get down here because, uh, yeah, the path is kind of hidden. Anyway, moon is in Libra, goes into Libra uh, probably by the time you hear this. On Friday, she goes into Scorpio, so we'll have some water, some water like this, and uh, has a Venus conjunction. If you look at that chart at the beginning, we have a moon-Venus conjunction opposite Jupiter. In trying to Saturn, it's really very powerful. That's really what I'm going to be talking about, pretty much more than anything else. Okay, uh, you know that the exact uh, Venus opposite Jupiter is on Saturday. Okay, and she's, but it's. I mean, it's basically all week, all weekend. I mean, it is a, a week long kind of thing going on there, and the trying. You know, she's in trying to Saturn also, but 
the other aspects happening are basically, uh, well, I got it. This is, uh, Xavier is the, my guide, uh, that brought me down here. And he's going to play some didgeridoo <laughs> for the Pele report. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So yeah, sun, trine, Chiron, fire to fire, Sagittarius to Aries. Right? I mean, uh, very powerful. And, of course, in conjunct Uranus on next Tuesday. It's trying, the exact trine is tomorrow to Chiron in conjunct next Tuesday. So we got, you know, it's really something having Chiron and uh, Uranus 30 degrees apart because, you know, they're always getting aspected at the same time. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. i got to leap my way around here and give you some different shots. You know, Mother Nature is so... Uh, powerful and so beautiful because there's life and death happening simultaneously isn't there right we're not looking at postcards here we're looking at the real thing <laughs> trees grow fall and die that's the moon in scorpio <laughs> that's venus in scorpio anyway other aspects the cool thing is you know mercury went into capricorn and is now going to sextile venus so that is, you know, very powerful. It's like the midpoint between Venus and Saturn is Mercury, right? Mercury and Capricorn right in between uh, Venus over there in Scorpio, Saturn in Pisces. Very awesome. Um, a couple of things with directions now, and that is that Neptune stations to go retrograde at the 25th degree of Pisces. I'm going to read you that Sabian symbol. And that is today. I mean, it is stationary. I'll give you the dates for that. And on next Tuesday, Mercury stations to go retrograde for three weeks. Yeah, right into the holiday season, Mercury retrograde. Oh, brother. So let me sit down to the camera, talk about it a little bit, and figure it out. All right, everybody. <laughs> How's it going out there? It's a little loud down here by the river. Mother Nature is speaking to us, and so I, I'm as close to the camera as I can get. I hope you can hear me. Um, lots to talk about today, and it's all kind of like scattered, like Venus opposite Jupiter is like, ah! Let's talk about this and that and this and that and this is going on and that's going on over here and that's going on over there. and blah, blah, blah. We got the inside, we got the outside, we got up, we got down, we got past, we got future. Holy jeez. I'm going to try to weave this together. I know that, you know, somebody, I read this comment the other day. It's like, you didn't get to astrology until minute 20. Uh, I want to assure you that the entire Pele report is about astrology. <laughs> I am reading the skines of time, yeah, and uh, it is kind of coded a little bit maybe, but c'est la vie. Um, I try to refer to the aspects, you know, now and then, but it's all coming from the aspects. And if you listen to the Pele report and, and look at the chart, you know, uh, uh, you know, that's put up at the beginning, maybe you can start to put together where things are coming from. I want to talk today a lot about intimacy, intimacy is going to be like my keynote, Venus in Scorpio wants intimacy, wants 
alchemical transformation through union of spirit, mind, body, soul, emotional body, seven chakras, <laughs> you know. And, and I will say that she has a little more to do with the lower chakras. Yeah, she is the lower octave of Neptune. Neptune is spiritual love, spiritual unity. It's very platonic. It's very ethereal. It's very psychic and extrasensory. And it has the, to do with the crown chakra. The lower octave of Neptune is Venus, the ruler of Taurus, how the soul connects to the body. And so she's also connected with that, you know, she rules both Taurus and Libra. She has a dual nature. The one side of Venus and Taurus is about money. Yeah? It's about beauty, physical beauty. It's about touch and sensation and pleasure in the body, enjoying our bodies. And it's very powerful to be in opposition with Jupiter in Taurus right now, <laughs> with Uranus also in Taurus right now. Uranus is radical new ways, okay? And Jupiter is expanding our consciousness through radical new ways of relating to our bodies, of relating to the material world, of relating to pleasure, of relating to money, of relating to the self. Yeah, this is a self-orientation. And the north node of the moon in Aries, with Chiron in Aries, healing our self-orientation, our relationship to ourselves, we can't have a successful, loving, deep, intimate relationship until we have a successful, loving, deep, intimate relationship with ourselves. <laughs> you can't share what you don't know and what you're not conscious of, right? So, you know, this is the, this is the trick. Until we're totally conscious, we have some unconscious shadow that we project outside of ourselves. And that's where we rely on others and on relationship to show us our shit, to show us our shadow, to show us what we're unconscious of. But here's the thing that I'm feeling into. There's a fear of intimacy. And part of that fear of intimacy, I feel, has to do with a fear of looking at our shit. <laughs> there is really what's happening, and, and it's and a lot to do with technology. It's a lot to do with Pluto going into Aquarius now for the next 20 years. It's a lot to do with this age of Aquarius. It's a lot to do with this week's mantra that I will get to. It has to do with last week's mantra of spiritualizing the I versus not spiritualizing the I. What I'm talking about is you know, Saturn went into Aquarius in 2020. Social distancing. Aquarius is technology. Aquarius is all of our artificial intelligence and all of our social media and all of our WhatsApp and Facebook and Instagram and they, they click, 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 swap, swap, sweep, sweep, swipe, swipe. I mean, whoa. 
It's changing the nature of how we relate to each other. And this is Venus in Libra as the ruler of Libra. Relationship to the other, which involves sympathy, empathy, cooperation, compromise, communication, diplomacy, tact. Yeah, you know, this is really being challenged right now the way that I see it. With all this energy on Aries and Taurus. And it's it's very interesting that, I mean, the North Node is like the path of, you know, the path of evolution, the pathway forward. It is in Aries. But, I'm going to say it's about balancing Libra and Aries. And it's about balancing the Taurus Scorpio. We need to balance these axes, not move from one to the other, not abandon relationship in order to, to discover myself. Yeah, you know, not, not, not deny intimacy, okay, in order to, you know, find my truth. No, it's like we got to do both in tandem. <laughs> goes back to my original freaking thing, man. It's not either or, it's both and more. Ah! Right. So, here's what I'm thinking, you know, I mean, I, I'm feeling like we are at a, we're at a pivotal, pivotal turning point in human evolution. We have incarnated so deeply, we've hit the bottom of Kali Yuga, the bottom of the 26,000 year cycle, and we are beginning to ascend. And that darkness, that darkness comes from separation. Separation from the light. In some ways, in order to discover the light in the dark, but let's, that's, that's a topic for another day. We are coming to the winter solstice in the Northern Hemisphere. That is the darkest, longest night, December 21st up north. That's the way the Greek astrology looks at it. But what I'm pointing to here is that, you know, we were connected with our blood. Our blood. Yes. The bloodline. The Germans, the Italians, the Irish, uh, you know, the African, the Chinese, the Indian, the Balinese, the, uh, you know, the, the Native American. I mean, we, you know, we, we, this bloodline, our nationality, since the breaking up of Aquarius, when they, when the seven, they sowed the seven seeds, the seven root races, you know, we our identity was really tied up with that. And then it broke down into my tribe or my clan. And we got real territorial. And we got really, you know, into our, our tribal or our clan's religious beliefs and our property and our cultural ways. And then that broke down into families, 
right? And it's okay, my family and my, you know, my genetic stream and, you know, my mom and dad and this and that and the other and then blah, 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 blah. And now I think we've come down into the individual. I am I. That is that. We have separated. We have individualized. And now it's time to return. It's time to come back. It's time to unite and connect. Having discovered that uniqueness within ourselves, it's not for ourselves. Yeah, you can only self-pleasure so long. <laughs> there is this need on the part of the soul to return, to come back. And so I think we, you know, it may take 12,000 years, another 12, 14,000 years, you know, you know, to, you know, to return to the golden age of lights. But it's up to you and me in this age of Aquarius. To, to make steps, to sow seeds for that to happen, and to not be further reduced, atomized, isolated by our technology. So this age of Aquarius, it's interesting because it rules communities and it rules technology and science. It's two different waves. Right? And I'll tell you what, we can get lost in the technology. And we can get lost in ourselves. I'm, you know, I'm doing these workshops and I'm doing readings and I'm meeting thousands of freaking people all over the place, man. I know, I, I tell you, I feel like, okay, not only is the divorce rate up, but I would say that the marriage rate is down. Okay, the childbearing is down, the sperm count is down, you know, depression is up, suicide is up, isolation, which feeds depression and suicide, is up. Brothers and sisters, we need to, we need to learn how to reconnect. We need to, we need to learn how to relate. And it's not through screens. And it's not through Zoom calls. And it's not through YouTube Pele reports. <laughs> you need to come to my workshops. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I got enough people in my workshops, man. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, you know, this is, this is, this, I, I really feel like this Venus opposite Jupiter is this polarity being challenged. And we can stay in Jupiter and Taurus. And this is my money and my beliefs and, you know, what I want to do and where I want to put the salt shaker and where I keep things in order in my house and my way. And I'm a fixed bull. Or we can get lost in Scorpio. Yeah. And that Scorpio, you know, is extravagance and luxury and, you know, multiple orgasms and, you know, I'm just going to like, you know, not get out of bed with you. I mean, you know, I'm going to just like merge, unite and maybe escape myself. 
and you know, and it's through you and your money and you pleasing me or me, you know, seeing myself through you or I, I blah, 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 you know, without you, I'm uh, I'm gonna die or whatever. I mean, I, it's like we can go, you know, towards either pole, but like the middle way here, you know is to not abandon relationship and to not abandon ourselves. And here's where the beautiful trine to Saturn and Pisces comes in. Here's where the beautiful sextile to Mercury and Capricorn comes in. And this is, you know, this is like super awesome. I want to read to you now Neptune stationing direct. Yes, at the 25th degree of Pisces because... This has been going on all year. Yeah. Neptune first came up, you know, to that degree of the 25th degree from February 14th to March 13th. Go back if you can remember. Yeah. End of February, beginning of March. And Neptune said, Oh, there's new territory, new territory. Wait a minute. I want to go back. I forgot my backpack. And I'm going back. And it went back. And now it's, you know, now it's back to this 25th degree. Again, stationing to go direct from November 18th to December 26th. It is at this 25th degree. Let me read you the Sabian symbol for that degree. A religious organization succeeds in overcoming the corrupting influence of perverted practices and materialized ideals. The keynote is the power of the soul to intervene in the personal life and induce necessary catharsis. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> Every person is a church that has the soul as its God. But most people forget the soul and live according to dogmatic rules and habits, which not only have become empty of inner meaning, but very often have been perverted by the demands of the senses and the emotional nature and by the ego with its rationalizing intellect. A purging or catharsis is needed to restore not only fresh and creative spontaneity, but even more, the contact with the soul and the God-ordained Dharma. This is the last stage that leads significantly in the, to the series of five symbols which conclude. This is the last five degrees of the whole zodiac. 25 Pisces. This is the end, folks. Neptune is closing a 165-year cycle. It's time for us to end and close the old way that we related or understood spirit, God, source to be. 
and rediscovers. It's this is time to purge our dogmatic beliefs, our indoctrination, our conditioning. This is a stripping away of how we used to connect to the divine. Because the final consummation of the process of actualization of the potency inherent in the original creative act requires moments of crisis and purification. And here's where I just want to bring in glamour. Glamour. <laughs> yeah. Venus can be also glamour. It can be false beauty. Faking it, baby. The cover of the magazine. It's really something. I went to a couple ecstatic dances here. and You know, I'm out and about in a booth. I mean, it is a freaking fashion show. Ow! Our excellence. All the beautiful people. <laughs> yeah. Tripped out, baby. And, yeah, there's a lot of yoga trainings and, you know, all the latest stuff. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, there's, there's a fine line. There's a fine line between True and false beauty. Check it out. Meditate on it. Think about it. Feel into it. Pretending. Pretentiousness. Venus opposite Jupiter. Okay, this can be, yeah, just like, uh, I gotta be looking good and I need that, you know, I need that Instagram photo and I need that, da da da. da. I gotta capture this and, you know, you know, spread that word, and you know, here I am, and da da da. da. I mean, it's I got to be, you know, I got to be seen, and 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 it's putting on a persona. You know, it's like putting on my best self. But I'll tell you what, Venus and Scorpio for the next month is going to strip that self. Scorpio wants truth. Scorpio wants to get to the bottom. The dirty belly of the dragon. Scorpio rules shit and bathrooms and toilets and death and release. And, and just like this jungle in this forest, you got these rotting tree trunks and you've got these, you know, smelly dead animals. And I mean, this is, I mean, you know, in order to like really, you know, like, like, like really be stripped down. This is what Intimacy requires nakedness, exposure, radical honesty. And I think this is what we can be fearing these days. And we can be looking good and smiling and, you know, da 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 and, you know, uh, smile for the camera and everything. But we're, there's a lot of hurting inside. There's a lot of loneliness inside. There's a lot of grief with people dying and passing. And there's a lot of stress with a very uncertain future. And we are in it together. Yeah. And we need to talk about it. We need to feel into it. We need to share 
the ugly truth of our fears, yeah, the ugly truth of our insecurities, in order to really be met, and in order to really meet another, and it's fucking humbling, it's humbling, and Saturn and Pisces and, you know, both in Pisces, Pisces is the sign of humbling, of devotion. So yeah, we're being purged, we're being stripped, we're being da da da. And I want to encourage you to go with it, go with this process. We will reemerge, we will ascend. But the farther down you go, the higher you will ascend. So go down. Get naked, expose yourself, humble yourself to another person. Go ahead, do it to a freaking stranger. <laughs> you know, if you can't do it to somebody you're going to see later, <laughs> do it to a stranger. But lay your stuff out there, man. Feel those deepest, deepest, deepest feelings. And it's going to bring you to God. It's going to bring you to God. It's going to bring you to your soul. It's going to bring you to your truth. And you'll be seen in your truth. And you will be met in your truth. And that truth will lift you. So the mantra for this week, both my heart and spirit know that there's no intimacy online. So if I want to nourish my soul, we need to meet in real time. You know what I'm talking about. I know you know. And that means what? That means making time. <clears throat> making time for connection. Making time for relationship. Going out to dinner, sitting in nature, going on hikes, swimming in the river. We need to turn off these devices and we need to stop working. Jupiter and Taurus can be greed. It can be hoarding. Yeah, you know, it's like, I want more money. I want more pleasure. I want more comfort. I, 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 <laughs> oh, come on. Life can get uncomfortable, but we can find comfort in the uncomfortable. I mean, I'm sitting on a freaking rock here, but it's not that bad. <laughs> Ow! Come on, baby. We got to connect. We are human. We are feeling beings. We know ourselves through our feelings. And we trigger each other's feelings. So I want to encourage you with this Mercury and Capricorn, talk real. Mercury and Capricorn wants to get real. Wants to have real conversations about real things that really matter. Sun, Mars, and Sagittarius wants the truth. Watts honesty. 
I want to encourage you, bear your soul, bear your truth, speak your truth. If something's bothering you, share it. Don't build walls, tear down fences. I got to remember that one. That sounded great. (laughs) One last time, I'll let you go on your way. Both my heart and spirit know that there's no effing intimacy online. So if I want to nourish my soul, we need to meet in real time. May you meet another in real time. Set aside time to Connect in the deepest possible way. We can do this and show others the importance of touch, of cuddling, of snuggling, of merging, of uniting sacred sexuality. I mean, that was a whole nother thing I was going to get into, but, you know... Yeah, there's even controversy. You know, there's this whole taboo. Maybe next week I'll even go in more, more so into sexuality and, yeah, profane versus sacred. But you, let's, you can do a lot of body bumping and, oh, yeah, I'm having lots of sex. Yeah, how deep is it? How true is it? How alchemically transforming is it? Or is it just like, yeah, you know? So, real, real time, real connection, be the real you, Shanti. I forget, man. Just namaste, aloha, (laughs) so much love. playing uh, his friend. He was playing his friend playing the didgeridoo by the water. You probably yeah, couldn't we, hear it. We passed the talk on the radio. Back to yeah. you, Rich. Back to you. All right. All right. Just take a couple minutes here. And uh, next Saturday, the moon will have advanced to Aquarius. Mm. All right. So Tuesday... Is the new moon at 21 Sads, and then by the time we get to next Saturday, the sun will be at 25 Sads. The moon will be at 20 Aquarius. Uh, Mercury will be retrograde at 8 degrees Capricorn. Venus will be at 15 Scorpio and Mars will be at 17 Sag 
So we're coming up on Mars, Trine, Chiron. So uh, it's uh, all about uh, healing thyself. Yep. Is that Chiron energy? Is uh, you know you gotta do, you gotta take care of yourself before you've got the uh, calmness and energy to look after others, whether it's a significant others or your your wife and kids or your husband and kids and all that sort of stuff. So um, uh, let's see here. Yeah. By the time we get to next Saturday, all the planets will be between 15 Scorpio and 20 Taurus. So we're getting we're getting into the lopsidedness of things. All right. And with the lopsidedness of things, you know, half the half the month is going to be moon conjunctions, and then the other half of the month is going to be moon oppositions. Because in uh, in two weeks, right, the moon will move from Aquarius to Taurus, right, seven days, a quarter of the circle. And it'll be conjunct Uranus in, in two weeks and opposite Venus. Whereas uh, tonight we've got Moon conjunct Venus opposite Taurus and Jupiter up there. So um, it's not an unusual thing. It's happened in previous winters. Uh-huh, because right. even a winter ago, uh, uh, an entire year ago, right, Pluto was still in Capricorn, and Uranus was still in Taurus, <laughs> and all the outer planets were in between those two positions. So, uh, have a great week. If you have to go out on the road, be careful. It is the season of high traffic. Mm -hmm. And uh, people trying to get places for Christmas and all that stuff. So have a a great, wonderful, productive life until we meet again. Until we meet again. Aloha, Richard. Aloha, my friends. Good night. Good night. All right. We're going to top it off with Tanya Gabrielle. Rama, ready? This is 17 minutes. All right. Here we go. Welcome to Star Codes. This is the podcast where we look at an upcoming event in the stars and numbers to help us navigate the energies to our highest 
capability and for our highest good. And in this case, we are looking at a very exciting new moon. It happens every year around this time, and that is the new moon in the sign of Sagittarius. Sagittarius is ruled by Jupiter, one of the two benefic planets, the other being Venus. And Jupiter governs everything that is expansive and positive, joyful, wise. It governs faith and higher learning, and it governs justice as well. And it is such a beautiful sign. So, again, this new moon blesses us in many ways. And this year, there's an extra twist, which I'm going to get in in a moment. First, the timing. So it happens on 12-12 in 2023 at 11.32 p.m. Universal Time London and at 6.32 p.m. Eastern New York and 3.32 p.m. Pacific LA. Now 12-12 is a powerful date to begin with. We have it once a year and it represents our 12 signs, the 12 hours of the day, 12 inches in a foot. There's a lot of 12 energy in our society, in our culture, in our myths. And 12 really indicates the eternal student in numerology. It governs that sense of learning and that we are constantly learning, that we are on a planet incarnated to learn, right, to grow. So the number 12 represents that as do the 12 hours that make up the day and night in our human existence. So in this new moon, the sun and moon are both at 20 degrees Sagittarius and they're together, 2020, 2020 vision, perfect vision. This is a theme that we had also in November and it really does indicate seeing things crystal clearly. Now, this 2020 setup in the numerology code is very important because it literally brings balance to an astrology event, which is the little twist that I just mentioned. And that is that the sun and moon will be both square to Neptune in Pisces. Neptune will be at 24 degrees Pisces, almost 25 degrees. It still is a square and it's powerful. It's in the mutable signs, Sagittarius and Pisces. So Neptune is a very mellifluous, mutable planet. It governs spirituality and dreams. And when there's a square to the sun and moon, the two luminaries, we may not see things so clearly. It also can mean that you are very activated, which is what a square does. It's tense. It gets you into action. You will be very activated to listen to your dreams, your intuition, your inspiration. And this will be absolutely crucial in navigating the energies, which may at times be very confusing. So fortunately, that numerology code of 2020 vision does help us see through the nebulous energy. So what you want to do around this new moon, again, it's on 12-12, is refrain from making some important decisions or quick decisions. Focus more on beauty, on learning, Sagittarius, on art, on expansion to soothe what may come up as some nervous energy. And focus on mystical experiences because they will be greatly heightened at this time. So in order to be in that spiritual place, you do need to feel rested and at peace. So if you need extra sleep, 
or you are able to take a nap the days before the new moon and, of course, the day of the new moon to able to restore what brings you into emotional, physical, mental harmony, that will be very important. Neptune actually symbolizes unconditional love and compassion. It governs Pisces, the final sign, which is the sign of transitioning into another realm. And it basically accepts, it surrenders. And so this will be a very important theme due to that square. So coupled with the 2020 vision, that clarity and the Sagittarius higher learning and expansion theme, that square to Neptune is really asking you to follow your heart. Your heart will give you the direction to experience bliss and joy. And just know that life does come with a spiritual manual. And it's not an actual intellectual dive in and learn point A to Z. It is literally a manual that is spiritual. It is your heart. It tells you how to live your life. And the way this manual communicates to you is through certain feelings that are produced in the heart. And the feelings that you follow are, they're not the same as emotions. So emotions are more the byproduct of the ego. Heart-centered feelings focus on peace. They focus on love and joy rather than sadness or anger, which is more of an emotional response. So joy and peace, love and gratitude, delight, compassion, awe, and feeling content don't come from that emotional reactionary place. They arise from your divine inner self, which is guiding you from your intuition and your heart. So it's important to be present, right? When you use your intuition, you're not reacting from something that happened to the in the past, which is then conditional, which is the emotional reaction. You're not feeding and acting on those emotions, but you're using discipline and maturity and inner strength to not go there, right? It's not always easy to do that because you're resisting the path of least resistance, which is the emotional reaction. But in order to flow through life with ease and with grace, it must be resisted. This is our natural MO is to go by, you know, the, the way it's always been, you know, to fall into the trap of the emotional reactionary response. So negative emotions really interfere with ease in general, of course. They interfere with our goals of happiness, our goals of love, and our goals of self-mastery. And these goals really need to become our primary goals, our first go-to goals. They take first priority over the temporary relief that comes from releasing emotions mindlessly, right? Thoughtlessly. So this Sagittarius new moon is asking us to see those illusions of emotions versus the love that comes from the heart, the wisdom that comes from the heart. 
And that means following the feelings of your higher divine self, because that is when life goes well, which is what Sagittarius and Jupiter specialize in, well-being and feeling abundant and joy. And in contrast that to indulging in emotions, which always feels heavy and it causes all kinds of difficulties. So that square from the sun and moon to Neptune is going to present us with a choice on how to act. And the wisdom of Sagittarius is going to help us choose that path in a wise way. And it requires more discipline to walk that path. But it is where you actually want to go because it is where your dreams, epitomized by Neptune, will be fulfilled. So, again, Sagittarius is the sign of higher learning, of research, of wisdom. It symbolizes hope and faith. And Jupiter, the ruler of Sagittarius and the ruler of this new moon, is trying to Mercury during this new moon. And that means that you can share your life You can communicate in a joyful way. Optimism is really the main frequency with this beautiful trine. And your positive ideas really take on momentum and flight. So Jupiter, the ruler of this new moon, is also opposite Venus. And these are the two benefits in astrology. That means you're going to be a lot more open to heart-centered experiences, Venus being the planet of love. And you feel more connected in your relationships. You also need to be more sensitive with your loved ones. And if you feel overwhelmed by any responsibilities, focus on whatever positive impact those responsibilities actually generate down the road. So Jupiter and Venus in any kind of relationship, any aspect to each other, even the opposition, is wonderful for friendships, for pleasure, for fun. And when these two benefics interact, they enhance abundance as well. So all of those are on tap for this new moon. You really want to feel free in where you want to go. Sagittarius is a fire sign. It fires you up. And feeling free to where you want to go, of course, seems like it's obvious, but many people don't go where they want to go. They go where they think they should go. And some think that they have to do certain things, whether they want to or not. And this way of thinking definitely can hold you back. It applies really well to practical things, right? Like, you know, getting up and brushing your teeth and eating healthfully, exercising, showing up on time. Those are all practical things we need to adhere to for life to flow. But living your life in a certain way because you think you have to or should through some heavy expectations that are being put on you that you've taken on, that isn't a very happy way to live. So Sagittarius being the sign of the big vision and embracing positive expansion and being a fire sign of courage, it embodies this and it encourages us to make choices about being happy. Very simple. (laughs) Follow your bliss and know that that's how it's meant to be. You're meant to be happy. So naturally, the way to happiness is to do what makes you happy, not to do what you think you should do. So when bliss is the path of choice, then bliss is the result. If you choose happiness, 
happiness will show up for you. Follow your heart's guidance, even when doing so doesn't make sense to the mind. Because again, the mind is, it's not expansive. It's not like Sagittarius. It cannot grasp the trust in the divine, the spiritual connection, the intuition. The mind will always go for safety, for security, for comfort, for recognition, for pleasure, for power. And what does this leave out? What about love? What about peace and wisdom and compassion and fulfillment and growth and patience and inner fortitude and strength, courage? All of those things that are developed by the challenges that we have and valued actually by your divine self. So sometimes in life, we do have to sacrifice security or safety or both for what we truly value. And if that is the case, we need to always focus on what we are gaining instead. We need to truly trust that life is so benevolent that there is no time when we're asked to sacrifice something when we're not gaining something at the same time. So the thing to really know and understand about all of this, and, and Neptune really helps, the square to Neptune, is that everything is temporary. Nothing is permanent. Few things could be said about life in general that is more true than nothing is permanent. And it may feel like it is permanent when we are drawn into a very dramatic situation or a situation that causes some deep trauma or a lack of safety or security. However, it is later that we realize that whatever loss we felt or sacrifice that we made, within it there is a gain down the road. And it may not be immediately clear, right? We we see that later, and that's often the case. In hindsight, we, we understand. So always look for what is gained. This is what Sagittarius wants us to do. Look at the optimistic side Look at what is gained, not at what is lost. Sagittarius implores us to have that faith and trust. Sagittarius inspires us to have expansive positivity, always glass half full. And this approach will be incredibly important in 2024, where tremendous shifts are in play And we will need to have that positive outlook, that sense of empowerment in that eight universal year that 2024 adds up to. And so I highly recommend that you join me on December 12th, 12-12, the day of this wonderful Sagittarius new moon, when I'll be giving my 10th annual ultimate yearly forecast in this case for 2024. And you'll be receiving your personal forecast as well for your sun, moon, and rising sign, your personal year forecast, and so much more. We're going to cover the eclipses and the important transits and everything will be looked at from both a practical and spiritual perspective. And you can register at no risk. We have a 15-day money-back guarantee once the live stream airs, and there'll be a replay as well. So go and watch a short video at 2024forecast.com, and it'll tell you all about what we're going to cover. And I look forward to seeing you on December 12th. 
Meanwhile, have a beautiful week and a wonderful Sagittarius new moon. Wishing you lots of love. Okay, Rama, give us our phone number information. Uh, 720-716-7301, and the pin code is 353-863-POUND. Okay, one more time. 720-716-7301. And the pin code is 353863-POUND. Okay, everyone. We are going to jump into hyperdrive here and go to the conference call. (laughs) And then we'll be back at the top of the next hour, right back here at BBS Radio. Best radio in the neighborhood, wherever you may be. Okay, Satnam for now. See you on the conference, everyone. Namaste terminology completely differently and yeah when i think of lower vibration yeah it leads me to believe that maybe there are negative entities or suffering right or things like that but again again i don't want to make it too technical but that's where my mind goes because it's done so much channeling is um the more time we spend in suffering the more density we create and Mm. density is a filter like a a thick energetic filter that exists in our field and and it suppresses our ability to perceive consciously um and especially to perceive the solutions to our problems right which are all around us like we talked about a minute ago in the instantaneous manifestation so i don't necessarily think that density has to slow our speed of vibration to a specific degree but it can right so so I think the choice that she's making is she's slowing down the speed of vibration to, to, and it feels happy to her. It feels good to her to have those moments of being immersed in nature and just being silent and not doing right all of these things. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a different way of defining it. Well, I would interpret that as vibration, at mm-hmm. least the way you're yeah. describing yeah, yeah. it, because mm-hmm. I think being in nature is higher vibration. It is. You're right. Yeah, so you're, yeah. so she's really she's not. At least the way she's using the terminology Maybe a more material is not how I'm, you know, yeah, how I yeah. would interpret it. I mm-hmm. mean, I think being in nature is higher vibration, right? Than not being in nature. So, I mean, a lot of For people. For some people, well, a lot of people throughout history have gone into nature to restore and recover, mm-hmm. and and many have enlightenment experiences in nature. Right? right. So, I don't think it's a place. No, nowadays everything's toxic, so even nature is toxic. But but you know the idea still exists, and I, I think I think what she's describing is not what I would call vibration, but I would call more of like a state of being. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, personally, I think we should all strive to be in a higher vibration all the time. Um, but and, and she's saying she's happy, right? You can't be in a lower vibration in my opinion at least the way that i use the term vibration and be happy i think happiness 
implies that she's in a higher vibration. So, but she's using a terminology, yeah. I think, in a different way. She's, I, I, she's more describing like stillness, mm-hmm, calmness, mm-hmm. which I don't think are low vibrational, right? Those are, I think those are higher vibrational experiences. So that's where I would sort of disagree with the terminology you see, or yeah. rather redefine it in my own way anyway. As a sensitive, I understand what she's saying. For example, uh, when, when she says, when I go up in frequency, it creates turmoil in my nervous system. So for me, you know, sometimes I'll look for a hertz frequency to play, you know, like a sound healing while I'm meditating. And there are all, you know, all kinds of them out there that are supposed to help you heal and get into certain states, right? And sometimes, I would say more times than not, the majority of them do rattle my nervous system, even though they're supposed to be very beneficial. So I think a good point to make is that we're not all built to constantly go into these higher frequencies spiritually and using these various modalities like sound. And, you know, we're all built completely differently and we should follow that because if we don't, if we don't listen to it and we just go with the stigma that everything's supposed to support us and we don't tune in uniquely to what really does help us feel good, then we're going to scramble our entire system. And, you know, I've definitely had that experience before and I've learned I've learned to walk out of things when right it just isn't feeling right to me. I think it has to do with you being tuned to a particular frequency, right? So mm-hmm. everybody has their normal state that they exist in and mm-hmm. they're all different. Uh, some people are existing in a very high frequency normal state. Other people are existing in a very low frequency normal state and there are people all across the board in between. And that normal state is where you feel at rest or comfortable. And I think when you go too far to one extreme or the other, it's going to feel uncomfortable at first because it's not something you're familiar with. It's kind of like um, the analogy of a piano that's been out of tune for a long time. First time you tune it, it loses its tune very quickly because it's not used to being in tune. But the more frequently you tune it, it holds a tune longer. And it's because the frequency is being adjusted in the manner of speaking. Uh, and the more you adjust it, the more you get comfortable in that higher frequency or new frequency until that becomes your new norm. And then it'll feel awkward and weird to you to go to the one you were before all along. Uh, and And so I think that's a factor to consider as well. And I'm not so sure... I think you understand what she's saying, which in her description of frequency, because you're sensitive. Uh, I'm not a sensitive. And so I'm not understanding in a personal way what she's describing, which you can understand, right? I'm more understanding it in a mechanical person who works mm-hmm. in energy kind of way. Right. Um, but I can sort of get it. Uh, but I, I would frame it differently just simply because my understanding of frequency is a little bit different and, than, than how she's using the terminology. And I don't think anybody should want to exist in a lower frequency unless there's a purpose for doing that, experimentation, working with lower vibrational entities. Sometimes people do that. Or if you're a medium and you need to do that to do what you came here to do, then maybe you would lower your frequency and operate there in order to communicate with the beings who are there. Um, but, you know, somebody like me, if I were to lower my frequency to that level, then I would probably attract all kinds of negative things into my energy field. 
And just the my ability to do energy transfers is a factor of my ability to hold a higher frequency in the first place. So people can send dense things to me or even entity attachments and they don't affect me because I'm not in that lower frequency. Um, so that's kind of how my interpretation of that would be. I guess the question is, like, this is just an interesting concept. Can we slow the speed of vibration without negatively affecting our frequency? I actually think that we can because, you know, we came here in physical bodies and the guides say we wanted to slow down the speed of material experience to to savor each moment. But that doesn't necessarily mean we had to be vulnerable to lower dimensional beings, right, and disease and all of these things. So it's a it's an interesting thing to ponder that, you know, I think there's a stigma around lower vibration. And is it really something? Certainly, if we're in a lower vibrational state for a long period of time, and we're accumulating a lot of density, and that density is attached to a story, uh, we're going to become vulnerable to negative entities, you know, chronic disease, right? emotional issues, all that stuff. Um, but I think we can slow the vibration of our experience, but not necessarily lower the frequency through which we're, or the not accumulate density is what. Yeah. So, so I think that's what this point is trying to get across. And I do have a weird understanding. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, th- I think you do, whereas I, I don't. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Because I also have an electronics background. So as you're mm-hmm. speaking, I'm, right. I'm seeing sine waves and I'm seeing, you know, yeah. back in the olden days when we had oscilloscopes, so you probably don't even know what oscilloscope is, but you would do an oscilloscope. Uh, no, I don't. Know. Okay. So anyway, back in electronics classes, we use oscilloscopes in the, in the stone age. Um, maybe they still do today. I don't know, but. But anyway, when, when I hear frequency, I sort of think of electronic waves of frequency too. For example, if you have an AM radio, the frequency that an AM radio tunes in is a different frequency than the microwave frequency that a cell phone tunes in. Right. You can't get an AM radio to play, well, or rather you can't get a cell phone to play what's on a AM radio and vice versa because they're two entirely different frequencies. So if you lower, for example, an electronic device in, in just as an example here to the frequency of an AM radio, it's not going to start receiving the information that's on the AM band. Right. Um, whereas an electronic device that's set up to tune in microwave frequencies is not going to be receiving information that's on the microwave frequency. So why would an individual want to intentionally lower themselves to a frequency level where the information that exists mm-hmm. there is information that could make life difficult, you know, or right. even lower vibrational entities that are suffering and and wanting to cause misery. Now you're tuning in all of that, right? And I think a lot of people, when they get stuck there, they can't get themselves out of there. Uh, now, with the exception of, I think, more evolved souls, more advanced souls who are able to work with these things, I don't think it's a problem. I think then you could go to the lower depths of darkness and play around there and then come back right out of it and go back to the higher levels and it has no effect on you. The vast majority of people, though, you know, I'll tell you a story. Um, the I have two younger brothers and 
this is a long time ago. This is when I was maybe in my 20s or early 20s, maybe. And uh, my the middle brother did not believe in spirituality or any of the kind of things that we are talking about today. He probably still doesn't. Um, he's a very materially oriented person. That's where he is experiencing life in this in this uh, journey. And he had a, a girlfriend at the time. And he went to her house and all the girls are, um, you know, they were, I think, in their late teens. Uh, he was as well. And they were playing around the Ouija board, which, you know, back then it was, I didn't know much about them. I knew what they were. And I was sort of very new in studying spirituality and consciousness and metaphysics and these things. But but I knew enough about energy and, and in concept, I understood these things. And so he went to this uh, you know, to somebody's house and they're all playing around with the Ouija board. He didn't believe in any of it. Uh, he, it was not in his level of understanding. He thought it was just a game. And, um, and he didn't participate. He just watched them do it and then he left. And, uh, now this is spirituality and these ideas, metaphysics were not things that he and I ever talked about because a, it made him uncomfortable, and he thought I was a little strange that I believed in these things. But he came to me one day, several weeks later, with a problem and that, that he felt like only I could help him understand. What was happening was, you know, he was living at my parents' house at the time, uh, and uh, he was telling me he'd stay up late studying, for, and, and he was in college at the time, and he would fall asleep with, uh, at his desk studying, with the lamp on, on his desk. And he would wake up the next day and the lamp would be off. And he thought, I don't remember turning that lamp off. Oh. And so the next day, same thing would happen. He'd wake up the, he'd wake up at his desk and the lamp would be off. And so he thought maybe he's going crazy. So the next night he decided he was going to, um, uh, unplug the lamp or, uh, or rather, I can't remember. He did something different to sort of test out what was going on. And he woke up the next day and the light bulb was unscrewed and sitting on the desk. And he knows he didn't do that. And so he came to me to find out what's going on because, and because he also started to feel some strange presence in his bedroom and in the basement. And, and it was starting to freak him out a little bit. And so I, you know, I explained to him this was something obviously came through this Ouija board, which is, uh, uh, a tool that's used to to draw in lower vibrational uh, entities, right? And and so this followed him around. Of course, uh, I was I did some energy kind of things and got rid of that problem. But but the point is, and essentially all I did was I raised the vibration of the space, and raising the vibration of the space got rid of the problem. So when I hear these questions about or comments about vibration, that's what I think of is, is my experience in that area. Uh, now, maybe some people would like having a lower vibrational entity following them around on screen light bulbs. Um, but I think the vast majority of people are a little bit weirded out by those kinds of experiences and don't want to live in that place. So I think maintaining the higher frequency, at least from my vantage point of what frequency means, is where we should be, right? But uh, but I I think I think we're agreeing on this. We're just using different terminology, right? Or rather, interpreting the terminology she's using in two entirely different ways. Yeah, I think uh, you know the bottom line here is 
just because something claims to be higher frequency does not mean it's going to raise your vibration. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point to to consider, uh, even you know not knowing exactly the purpose behind this comment. But you know there are a lot of things out there that you can tune into, but just because they claim they're going to be higher frequency, you may not feel that, and it may rattle your nervous system. And then you should know right away instinctually, not for you. Yeah. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Um, so we've had a couple of, uh, quite a few comments actually, um, over the last couple of months about, you know, people who are losing hope, um, with the world and the direction that we're going. Um, you know, for example, some people saying they remember volunteering to come here, but they wish they hadn't, or they, they jumped too quickly and they're not sure that the world's going in the right direction or, you know, with the plans that the World Economic Forum and, you know, others are rolling out, um, you know, they're not seeing the possibility of us being free at all. So so how do you find hope right now? And do we even know that the earth is going in the right direction? Well, I know it's hard, um, but, you know, if you can imagine if, if for those of you who are in the United States and for those of you who are not who may be familiar with the U.S. history, um, the last time Pluto entered Aquarius was in the late 1700s. And if you can imagine for a moment what it was like to live in the United States during that time of turbulence in this country where a foreign power was trying to take over and we're repeating the same cycle again now. Now, many of us may even have imagined, you know, sometimes you may think, well, what must it have been like to live in the time of Rome? I mean, some of us probably were there, but but to remember what it was like or to remember what it was like to live in the United States during the time when when the uh, all these revolutions were taking place and uh, a foreign power was trying to take control and establish a new governmental system and a and it became a place of freedom for a period of time we're experiencing that again now and and we can see in in real time what that must have been like in modern times of course i mean they didn't have technologies and the kind of things we have today but ultimately the experience was probably very similar those people then were in a a less technologically advanced world, um, but they were probably feeling and experiencing very similar things as we are experiencing today. And the feeling of loss of hope, the feeling that there are foreign powers taking over the U.S. and really the world. Uh, or even if you consider, and I think a lot of these foreign powers are, it's more of a Marxist movement that's taking place in, in the world today. And if you consider even um Karl Marx and all of the damage that he did in the countries that he influenced and uh or even Hitler for example uh these were all times when people in that in those societies supported these leaders in doing the nefarious things they did you know they followed them they worshiped them as we're seeing today you know and they we wouldn't be able to People like, uh, or the Klaus Schwab or World Economic Forum or the WHO or U.S. government, for example, they wouldn't be able to take control and do the things that they're doing today if people didn't support them. If, if there wasn't a segment of the population of the world who were not completely behind it. And, and so we are experiencing that same phenomena today. What it must have been like to live in a time when 
there are all these things taking place where there are individuals who are attempting to take control and take away people's rights and disempower them. And, uh, and where a, a strong number of the population supports that and, and are enabling that behavior. Um, but what will happen? as has happened every other time that these kinds of events have occurred is that eventually those things change and, and the pendulum swings the other way. Now, as I've talked in previous shows, uh, I believe that the last, last year was really the end of based on astrological cycles. Anyway, the end of the um, pendulum swimming to one extreme uh, to where we had extreme dystopia and control on the planet and uh, all of these various things that came along with it. And now what's happening is the pendulum is starting to slowly swing the other way. It may not be obvious yet to most people, but now I watch uh, hundreds of videos and read a lot of books. And so I'm familiar with not only what's happening in the popular culture, but, but many other things as well. And I can tell you that the signs are there that we are starting to swing the other way. So, now it's going to take time. It took decades for the pendulum to swing to this extreme. I think really it started in the 1800s. Um, second half of the 1800s, I think, is when we really started in the U.S. anyway. And I think the U.S. is just a um, maybe a larger representation of what's happening globally. So everybody's feeling the same things. But I think it was in, in the 1800s when we first moved away from a free country that the U.S. was established as in, in 1700s, late 1700s, to becoming more of an enslaved society. And then in the 1920s and 30s, we took another big leap forward, for example, with the establishment of the Federal Reserve and the Internal Revenue Service in the U.S. And then in the 1970s, where we went off the gold standard in the U.S. and also we had... Um, you know, various uh, movements that um, political social movements that now have reached their culmination. So we're seeing uh, establishment of the CIA, all these things, for example, happen in, in these time periods. We're seeing uh, and even the NIH, uh, for example, in the 1970s, the NIH, Anthony Fauci, all these things were escalated during this period of time. And now we are in we are we just are one year ago. Uh, at the extreme of the pendulum swinging in that direction, a pendulum that started swinging a uh, hundred some years ago uh, or 200 years ago, something like that, uh, late 1800s. And now we're going to see the pendulum swinging the other way. And what that's going to look like is all of these control systems and institutions like the World Economic Forum, which no coincidence was established in 1971. So Klaus Schwab came into power in the World Economic Forum in 1971. So we're seeing, you know, it was really the 70s that started the acceleration point of this pendulum swinging. And now all of those things that that were set up uh, to control society more and cause all the hardship that we're seeing today are going to start collapsing and falling apart as the pendulum swings the opposite extreme. Uh, Now, is it going to be easy? No, I, I mean, I think a lot of people are going to struggle and maybe suffer because of this system collapsing. And as a result of it collapsing, a lot of things in our society are going to get disrupted. But meanwhile, we're going to see a move toward greater freedom. So I think it will take 20, 30 years um, 
of the pendulum swinging the opposite direction. But we are eventually going to get to a neutral point, which I think is like the 20, early 2030s, 2033, uh, when the pendulum will be swinging more toward the middle to where we'll see a lot of what we see today has fallen apart or is on the verge of falling apart. And then we'll, in the process, we'll start rebuilding a better society, uh, a society that is not under the control of these individuals. Similar thing happened in the, in the 1700s. And, uh, and then we'll have, you know, we'll, we'll be moving toward a freer society, a society where people actually care about each other again. One of the other things that you and I all a lot of times talk about is how whenever you see a Marxist society anywhere in the world, uh, communist Marxist society, let's take China as an example because they've been a communist society for, um, a good part of this past, um, century. And the more, the longer a society is Marxist and communist, the more corrupt the regular people become. Now, obviously, the government is already corrupt in a communist society from the beginning. But what happens is the people become corrupted. And when the people become corrupted, they start taking advantage of each other. They start criticizing each other. They um, stop taking care of each other. Um, they... Their relationships deteriorate, their marriages get divorced. Um, it becomes a very harsh, unloving, cold society. Uh, and, and that is another factor uh, that we're seeing in the world today where everybody's angry with each other. They're all wrapped up in politics and belief systems and abusing each other. Uh, and that is a product of a society moving toward Marxism. And, but I think because it's become so extreme, it's already starting to collapse. And I'm seeing elements of that happening in, in everyday society already. But we're going to have to ride out this decade, I believe. And, and this decade might be just a tough one where both sides are butting up against each other. The establishment and the system is not going to give up. But meanwhile, people are going to start waking up to what's taking place. And as a result, um, the establishment is not going to be able to gain much more ground. Um, they, they may keep pushing, but they're not going to make the progress they made up till last year. And then eventually we'll start seeing the pendulum swinging the other way when more people become self-aware and realize they don't really want to live in this corrupt society. It's going to take some time and patience, but, but I think there's a lot of hope, even though at the moment it seems very hopeless. Certainly on the physical plane, it does. And so I think for me personally, when I'm trying to find hope in, you know, the, the future of where we're going, I look at all of the information we have beneath the surface vibrationally, which is typically coming through the guides. So for me, in the process of editing my book, I'm coming across a lot of great information about what this process is all about, which tells me we're on the right track. And I think that's what we ultimately have to keep in mind, despite all the things that are happening. So the reason I say this, that we're on the right track, is that in the third dimension, it was a very confined creative container uh, defined by hierarchies. Uh, we are in an enslavement system, and many of us still are today, where our pathways to source were hijacked uh, and taken over by others. But the degree to which that is breaking down is equal to a raise in consciousness. We are now new human beings who require a different reality because we no longer fit 
in that old model. And that's ultimately why we see the darkness so dark. It's why we have so much stark contrast going on because we actually have the ability to see things that have been going on forever that we have merely been operating in, in this cloud of density and dust. So as that density and dust clears, we're going to see more. And this, this old structure, like I explained in the last podcast is kind of like the girders of a building, right? It's become unstable. So the building is coming down uh, and it does have to collapse because ultimately what we've created there is, is going to become more and more restrictive. So the reason we're so uncomfortable and we feel like we have no freedom is that we're trying to hold on to a reality that it's, is no longer sustainable. But the new already exists and that's, that's truly where the hope lies. But unfortunately, the tough part is we're the ones who are each individually manning, managing that shift first for ourselves and our families and then for the collective into this new reality. And we talk about all the time, it's very uncertain because things aren't stable there either. So we find ourselves in this really, you know, interesting and wonky place where, you know, the guides say it's really a fantastic opportunity to be here right now, which is it's hard to look at it that way. But the fantastic opportunity is we're like in the eye of the storm with all of this stuff swirling around us that, that we can see so clearly that we don't want. But because we're in the center, we're the ones that are directing that energy across the plane of the earth into this brand new reality. So we get to take what's there and totally alchemize it. And so I think we have to start really small. And I think we have to do things very gradually. I don't think we can expect you know, the instantaneous manifestation that, you know, the new earth that a lot of people are talking about, the, the solar flash and the white hats. I think just like me trying to manifest that very unrealistic relationship for me. That's what that is all about. And it's creating a lot of suffering because I don't think it can possibly happen that way. If we're here to savor every moment and we know things are going to get a little challenging then we're going to have to really slow down and make sure we're bringing things in our lives that we want, you know, not only that we want for ourselves, but, but that we want for everyone else. And it is going to take some risk, right? But that's the fantastic opportunity is, you know, we think there's no safety net. You know, we think we're, we're making these choices and taking these risks. And, you know, we have no idea whether it's going to come to full fruition, but but I think that's what we're here to prove to ourselves is that we can actually make this happen. You know, and another thing in the book that I recently read that I think is really interesting is there's this intelligent process when, a planet is going through a, a timeline collision or a timeline convergence. And, and that's ultimately what this is. So, so that tornado that's swirling around us, it's cosmic timelines, earthly timelines. We're experiencing the worst of the worst and the best of the best. So, so we're reviewing the, the cataclysms, the, you know, the great flood, wartime, genetic manipulation, but we also have at our fingertips the experiences of ancient civilizations that we're now, you know, renewing and uh, periods when pyramids were constructed, you know, enlightened civilizations. We have at our fingertips that knowledge as well. And so we get to use all of that in order to move ourselves along. But what the universe does is it has to kind of organize the field. 
And so this great divide that we see in the human collective where everyone's taking sides, right? We know a lot of that is seeded by those in power, whether it's race, class, political affiliation, all that stuff is seeded. What I'm talking about more so is where you can't have these conversations with your neighbor or your family. The divide in consciousness is becoming so stark. And and that's because everyone gets supported at the level they are. And we tend to forget that. So we see people who aren't awakened yet and we want to save them or somehow convince them. And we feel it's our duty to do something. And, And in the book, they say it's really not your duty to do something because what this divide is, is an intentional and organized system of a conscious universe that's vibrationally supporting everyone exactly where they are to make this shift in the way most comfortable. And so we have to keep that in mind as well with all of the ego out there, and right? All of the, the differences that we have in opinion and in vibration and consciousness. It's really that we're seeing this organizational process in action. So you, uh, you brought up 2033 and, and that can sound really defeating. So I want, what I want to add is that in my private sessions, what I notice about people who come to these conversations it, it, or who are, you know, spiritual leaders, way showers, that sort of thing is that 2025 for people's personal lives feels like a big, big turning point. I'm not saying everything on the planet is going to turn around and be amazing by 2025, but but I feel like a lot of people are stepping into new modalities, right? Practices. I think it's where some of the breakdown of the old is going to become so real that people are going to have no choice other than to step into their, you know, what they're here to do, literally what they're here to do to serve the human collective. And, and so I think that's hopeful. Because that's where we're going to see some of these things like free energy technology or, you know, the interface of alternative and conventional medicine. Um, you know, guides even say like um, ancient gardening traditions coming back to heal the soil. Not that it's going to happen overnight, but I think that's the beginning of this period of, you know, communities starting to form, people starting to come into their rhythm. Those of us who might be here on the leading edge, which I don't like to use that as a judgmental thing, but we know, right? We know that a lot of us are here leading the way. And and so I do think that by the time we get to 2025, people are going to feel more motivated, even though next year might feel tough. That motivation is going to really come in for people to to start doing things that are going to make the biggest difference. Well, I agree with you on 2025, actually, because... Um we've talked about this before, Chiron entered Aries in um, 2020. And 2020 was when we got to the final stage of this pendulum swimming, swinging to one extreme. Uh, And so in 2020, Chiron entered Aries and then it leaves Aries, I believe, 2026 or something like that. So this whole period of time has been uh, organized around Chiron and Aries types of issues. And so if we look back historically in the past, when Chiron was in Aries, we see things like wars, we see um, identity politics or things of that nature. That's why there's so much of an obsession in society today about identity. And and also um, Aries is more of an ego kind of expression. So we're seeing egos of individuals becoming so overly amplified 
um, where people are so focused on themselves that they stomp all over everybody else just because their viewpoint is a little bit different or something. So everybody, when you have Chiron and Aries, people push their opinions and their identities on top of everybody else and expect everyone else to comply because Aries can be so aggressive and energy. And of course, the children being born today or during this time have Chiron and Aries, and, and they're here to sort of deal with those issues in, in their lifetime. And uh, and so in this window of time is why we're seeing these things happen in society today is uh, also Aries. You'll see world leaders becoming emboldened to push forward their agendas because it's all about them. Right. Aries is a is an Aryan energy. Uh, Hitler, for example, was was um, most people don't realize it wasn't really about persecuting the Jews only. He, he was really the whole um Nazi party was founded on a metaphysical movement. It was uh, an occult movement that uh, that just had this manifestation um, that most people know about. But ultimately, they were uh, he was seeking to find the Aryan race that he believed he was one of. And and of course, Aries as a race or or as an energy is a very aggressive, self-centered, egocentric energy. We're, we've seen that in the recent years, and and now in 2025, 26, that shifts, and we're well, we're actually we already turned the corner, even though we're not there yet. I, I think whenever we get to like um, 15 degrees of a particular sign, um, a planet or asteroid or whatever, you start to tilt the other way in in the new direction. So now we're moving toward um, Chiron and Taurus. But in 2026 is when it finally flips. And I think that's when we're going to start leaving a lot of these these ideas behind and people are going to settle back down a little bit in terms of this angry, aggressive behavior. Uh, and then we're going to move into the Taurus stage, which, as I've mentioned before, the Great Depression was in Chiron and Taurus. So we start dealing with things having to do with um, self-worth and money. And, and and at that point, we have to deal with the economic um impact of what's happened in recent years as well but but definitely that'll feel better i think for a lot of people and i think also people stop being so mad and mean to each, mean to each other um and we may be able to get back to a little bit more of a supportive society where we can get along a little bit better and a lot of it is going to be because as you say more people are going to start realizing what's been going on in the world in this period of time as well. And, uh, and as a result, and also because the economic environment will be, uh, to such a degree that people have to worry about more basic things. You know, like for example, we've discussed this before how, uh, identity politics or even politics in general is really a phenomena of societies that have more wealth or affluence. If, if you are uh, struggling to put food on your table, you don't care about your identity, for example. Uh, you, you're not concerned about going to war. You're just trying to feed yourself to get by, right? And so I think when we get to the point where the economic climate gets bad enough, people out of necessity are going to more have to work together and focus on their basic needs and leave behind all this other stuff that is not really contributing to their well-being or happiness or society as a whole. 
we right now have that luxury because in recent decades, economically, we've reached such a, um, uh, I don't want to say high point because in many case ways, it's actually a very low point. But but in terms of uh, a state of abundance has sort of existed, especially in Western countries, but globally, really, even China, for example, their economy was booming until the last few years. Um, so this is a phenomena that we reach in the world. And when you have that, people start in a lower vibrational consciousness anyway, start um, concerning themselves with things that really aren't contributing to the betterment of society. But that will shift in 2025-26. And in the interim, I think finding hope um, in your own life is the best place to look and to, to develop it because the world is going to be chaotic and things are going to be breaking down and right. The whole system is going to be crumbling. So there's going to be a lot of instability and, and we're not used to that. We're used to looking outside of ourselves, you know, for saviors and good news, but we are the ones who have to generate that good news and hope within ourselves, within our homes, within our families. And then Ethan and I have addressed this so many times in the various podcasts, whether it's, you know, the simple things uh, uh, that you bring into your home, like, you know, color, things that bring you joy, making your life very purposeful or tapping into some of those fifth dimensional timeline potentials. You know, for me, that's been health, bringing in really cool things like like a rife, you know, to use in my home. I think these things, and they don't have to be expensive, that you put into application in your own life, as selfish as that seems, is going to set the foundation for your service in the future. And I think this is the time because if that 2025 mark in my, you know, most of my readings is any indication of the uprising of light workers, then now is the time for those of us who are in these movements who have lost hope to really find it first for ourselves and to set that stable foundation such that we're going to be able to help as many people as we can uh, as we move into the coming years. I just want to briefly touch on the idea of this being so difficult and people not wanting to be here during this time. And, and I look at it as, well, imagine if you could have been a fly on the wall during the fall of Rome or the end of Atlantis. I mean, we've talked uh, in Channel Revelations, I've talked with both about how what it was like for him to be in Atlantis and all of a sudden there was the cataclysm and he had to, um, in many ways, descend down to the third dimension, fifth dimension, third dimension uh, in Egypt and um, and how it was very difficult for him to have that experience. I think in many respects, there's a human side of us that is walking this life and, and we're witnessing these things and it's difficult. And much like he seemed like he was very saddened and disheartened by having to go from this ninth dimensional Atlantean society to a third to fifth dimensional Egyptian society and how difficult that was for him. I think that's in many respects what a lot of people are experiencing today is being in this time. But on the other hand, we get to witness this amazing time in the on the planet when everything is about to change and to reinvent society and create something newer and better. Um, and and that pivotal moment in, in our history uh, has only occurred a handful of times throughout history. I mean, for the most part, we're coasting along in a particular direction, but we happen to be at this this final intensification before we give birth to something new. And 
in many respects, it can be disheartening as a being walking the earth during that time, living in that world. But if you can take a step back for a moment and try to peer into this reality as a higher dimensional being uh, and the excitement that it would be to actually walk the earth and watch these things happen during this time. Yeah, I think to to be here and be happy during this time, you have to hold both perspectives. You have to walk in this world and deal with the circumstances of being human and being here now, but also be an observer and realize that this is an exciting time to witness these things. And if you can just take a look around at what's actually happening in the world and watch it change, uh, it will be uh, a time worthy of remembering and having experience, I think. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. We didn't get through too many of the questions this time, but but keep them coming, uh, the questions and comments, and we'll share more in a future episode. So thanks for joining us for the Awaken Empowered podcast. We'll be back next week with another Channeled Revelations. The other one, Rama? Yeah. Not this one. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're discussing and discussing which one to do next. So, this is called China, Ascended Masters, and Unfinished Megalith. Did displaced Ascended Masters from ancient homelands relocate to the land of dragons? <laughs> um, mythical land of dragons in China due to cataclysmic climate changes a sophisticated megalith in an abandoned quarry intricately carved caves and a giant white pyramid suggest that a pre-Diluvian civilization may have had ties to Mu and Atlantis. Explore how these ancient sites provide more evidence from a time before the Younger Dryas period and sharply challenge the mainstream timeline for the rise of civilization. And again, featuring Greg Braden, William Henry, did you find it, honey? You're getting there. Okay. Oh, he found it. Okay. Greg Braden, William Henry, Freddie Silva, and all the gang here. So we will get started here. Right now. Here we go. What's going on?
northwest edge of the volcanic ring of fire is the mysterious land known as China. Legends of ascended masters echo throughout this region, where abandoned megalithic quarries, underground temples, and pyramids provide clues to a time before the Earth endured 1,200 years of climate chaos throughout the Younger Dryas period. As alternative researchers examine the pre-Diluvian evidence and wisdom from this mythological province, there is little doubt that this land of the dragons has had a powerful influence on humanity throughout ancient history. Almost universally, ancient texts and traditions tell us that we are living in a world that they call a dream. We're living in illusion. Along with those ancient traditions, we've always been given the opportunity to have guides that help us along the way, or what many people call ascended masters. All of this points to a unity and a continuity in our experience that there is a knowledge and there is a wisdom that began long ago. And as we embrace what that wisdom means to us today, it gives us what we need to become the best versions of ourselves and certainly to create the best world possible. Some people have trouble with the whole concept of ascended masters, of this idea of humans who have transformed into higher spiritual beings. But almost every world tradition speaks of this. In the Essene tradition, the Jewish mystics at the time of Jesus, they spoke of a pre-flood race of perfect light humans who existed side by side with the rest of humanity and continued to influence humanity after the cataclysm. Perfect light humans is very resonant with the concept of ascended masters. So in different historical traditions, we find references to a parallel version of humanity an ascended or enlightened version of humanity that coexists with the rest of humanity. At the end of the Younger Dryas, and you have this incredible catastrophe which reshapes the entire world, you have groups of people called the Seven Sages, the Seven Rishi, the Seven Ascended Masters, all seven, and they all share the same attributes, and they all seem to be coming out of this central location in the Pacific, and they're going towards the mainland. It seems that they uh, lived on islands, and it was only the fact that they'd lost their homelands that forced them onto the uh, continental shelf. And it's at this moment in history where we, as hunter-gatherers at the time, suddenly inherited these incredible stories of the arrival of seven sages, and they helped kickstart civilization. So you have it in Japan, you have it in China, you have it all the way around the Asian coastline, and you have also the appearance out of nowhere of these teachings. And the one unifying thing is the fact that they are described exactly in the same way. The teachings follow the same principles. They're brought there during the same period of time. And they also achieve the same aim, which is the enlightenment of the individual. And the school of thought and the direction from where all these ideas come always end up going back to the center of the Pacific. In the Ascended Master tradition, we're told that the Ascended Masters went to various places around the planet, especially high places, Machu Picchu, Tibet, other places in China, even the Great Pyramid are locations where they were repositories for the knowledge of the Ascended Masters. 
where they specifically took this knowledge for safekeeping and would be able to then retrieve it after the cataclysm. So this seems to be one of the key roles of the Ascended Masters is to assist humanity in their development and then to preserve knowledge and elements of our civilization in times of cataclysm. Throughout history, China has been the legendary home of several spiritual masters, such as Confucius, Guanyin, and Lao Tzu. The creation myths of Nua and Fuxi mirror that of several other cultures. But when alternative researchers compare physical evidence from China with other ancient sites around the planet, the mystery and lore of this land adds more cracks in the mainstream timeline for the rise of civilization. China is a very interesting culture. It today represents the longest running and still running culture anywhere on the planet. I think what is also very interesting about China is that there is significant evidence for a pre-existing or prior civilization that may have existed in that same region. You also have really interesting and mysterious locations that seem to point to a much longer history of civilization in that area, and some of that may tie back to any of the ancient civilization stories, be they Mu or Atlantis. We don't really know, but I think what's clear is that there was this, whatever ancient civilization was on the planet during that time, they were certainly occupying the area that, that we call China today. Everyone is so focused on looking at like ancient Egypt or ancient South America that they don't even realize that there's unbelievably big megalithic cut stone is in China. And I think we all need to be having a much deeper look at that side of the world. Of all of the evidence around the world from ancient civilizations that seem to predate the Younger Dryas, what we find is that China seems to have reached the greatest sophistication in terms of megalithic construction of any of the civilizations in the world. And the best place we can find that is a place called the Yangshan Quarry. The Yangshan Quarry contains by far the largest megalithic single block ever cut in human history. To give a comparison for understanding how large it is, the second largest block we have from a megalithic civilization is in Baalbek, Lebanon. In the quarry of Baalbek, Lebanon, there is an unfinished block that is 1,200 tons. For comparison's sake, at the Yangshan quarry, the unfinished block that was being incorporated into the rest of their structures is estimated to be 16,000 tons. The other curious thing that relates the two places, both Baalbek and Yangshan, are that it appears that something caused the instantaneous stoppage of work as if there was some kind of cataclysmic event that happened, maybe at the same time, maybe not, that caused work at both locations to immediately cease. The large stones in Yangshen are likely the largest megalithic block attempt at cutting huge stone in all of the world, in all of history. Think about it for a second. You have a block so large that even with our modern cranes today, in all of our technology, we'd be unable to move this block. How is this ancient civilization even able to cut it or move it? Now, some have speculated that it's a natural formation, and that's why it's so large and impossible. 
I would urge people to study the actual site itself. And what you do when you look into the ancient quarry is you find it's a complex that's part of something much greater. It's part of a set of structures. Now, this massive, massive block that's 16,000 tons, you find that it was in the process of being dressed, moved, and put into place with the existing structures that were there. We know that. Because underneath the block, we found these massive grooves that were cut in underneath to basically almost lift the whole thing out of the host stone. Now, nearby, these enormous set of pillars of rock that they've basically already finished carving have these types of grooves cut into them that seem impossible with any tools present to any civilization we know of. When we look into the sophistication of the 90 degree angles in some of the cuts of these squares that are taken out of these blocks, it baffles researchers today on what could have even carved that. What could have even made those types of grooves, especially not using Bronze Age tools. But one of the things that's compelling is that on these finished structures are these gigantic knob-like intrusions. Now that type of knob-like feature is the telltale sign that connects other pre-Diluvian civilizations around the world. At the Yangshan Quarry in China, we find these curious protrusions or knobs. And you also see evidence of those also in Peru at different locations and the Menkare Third Pyramid on the Giza Plateau in Egypt. Now, the conventional story is that the knobs were there so that the workers could put a rope underneath where the knob is and then lift it up and push the stone into position. But when you're talking about the Yangshan quarry stone being 16,000 tons, that is way beyond the capacity of any human civilization to be able to manipulate whatsoever. So I think, honestly, the knobs were a leftover artifact during the construction at all of these locations and probably had something to do with energy or that they were left there on purpose as simply the result of the manufacturing process, that they were an artifact that was to be cut off at some point to make the surface smooth. But for some reason, work stopped, as we said, at these locations. So therefore, the knobs still exist as artifacts of the manufacturing process. The Yangshan Quarry is one of the more fascinating and mysterious places that you'll find anywhere on the planet. It represents a a class of of other unfinished, massive megalithic projects that we see all around the world. For example, there's the unfinished obelisk that's in the Aswan Quarry in Egypt, approximately 1,200 tonnes, also still attached to the bedrock. We have the unfinished quarrying works at Baalbek with stones approaching 2,000 tonnes in the quarry over there. And also in Egypt, it's a a lesser-known site, but there's something called the Minya Quarry, giant limestone megaliths attached to the bedrock, one of these weighing up approximately 5,000 tonnes. Again, hasn't been removed from the bedrock. It's a it's a trend that we see on a lot of the megalithic sites around the world that for some reason, at some point, work was just stopped. Something interrupted a lot of these projects. And for whatever reason that was, potentially it was cataclysm, we don't know. But a lot of these megalithic projects seem to have just been abandoned and stopped midway through. As humanity endured 1,200 years of chaotic weather patterns during the Younger Dryas period, underground sites around the planet 
are thought to have helped humanity live through this dramatic time period. An astounding discovery located between Hong Kong and Shanghai deepens the mystery around the length of time the ancient inhabitants of China lived underground. One of the most interesting discoveries in recent times anywhere in the world is the Longyu Caves of China. Now, these are remarkable. These were first discovered only in 1992 by a local villager who was draining some of his ponds and he found these huge caves. When they descended down into these caves, initially five, although there are actually about 24 of them, uh, 19 still have, have to be excavated or even drained of water. But the five that have been properly drained and have been looked into are these incredibly vast chambers with these pillars which are over a 100 feet tall inside them. And they have this incredible acoustic ability. Any sound is carried throughout of them. And they stretch for about 120 feet in one direction, possibly about 60 to 70 feet in another. They are aligned so that the sun shines down in them perfectly. But also there is only just one entrance down into them. And this is down through a vertical staircase that allows not just sunlight, but also water to enter inside them. And the water would be channeled through them so that it you know, wouldn't just fill up. So in other words, this was a part of the actual design of them. Some of the caves have got the most beautiful frescoes on the walls that have been chiseled into them. And these show animals, they show human beings, and also dragons. There's dragons curling their way around some of these pillars. But also, in addition to that, the actual chamfering of the walls, you know, the chisel marks are actually unique. They're in these strange parallel lines, which seem to be found nowhere else in the Eurasian continent. There are tool marks, horizontal tool marks, going from the bottom all the way to the top, which could not have been done with hand tools. They seem to be bands of about two feet going all the way from the bottom to the top. And I think that would have had to have been done by some kind of very advanced ancient technology long before the existence of what we presently call China, but by a very advanced civilization that existed long before what conventional history calls history. So into the realm of prehistory. So perhaps there was some kind of ancient technology, ancient machining that did this. Some people have even speculated that aliens came down and did this because they needed a certain type of stone to take away with them. Because no one really knows where the stone went, what happened to it. There's no rubble, there's no dust. And this is sandstone as well, so this isn't a soft stone we're dealing with here. It's a pretty tough stone. One of the things that's baffling is that there's no evidence of their construction. Over a million metric tons of stone were removed from those caverns, but when archaeologists go around the area, they can't find any of it. One of the other things that mystifies them is that there isn't any evidence of the people that built these caves. There's no villages or cemeteries or work areas. 
When you're looking at the long UK, there's some comparisons could be made. This is like an underground city almost. And so it's got kind of comparisons really with places like Derinkuyu or Kemakli in the Cappadocia region of Turkey, which potentially are tens of thousands of years old. No one really knows how old they are. And so even though they found pottery in the Longyu Caves that date to around 2,000 years ago, it doesn't mean that's when they were built. They could be much older and completely forgotten about. They could have been places of refuge during some kind of cataclysm. Now, which cataclysm that would be, we don't know. It could be the Younger Dryas, or it could have been something much later, you know, something much more local within China itself. But we can see similarities between those caves and those, for instance, at Darren Kiyu. And here you have these vast underground cities which were constructed over a period of time of which we have no real understanding of what was going on, why they would have been created. The archaeologists have no idea who created these caves or what their function might have been. What makes it such a fascinating place is that the way that this entire cave system seems to be designed is based on the harmonics in tuning with consciousness and the human frequency. The reason we know that is the way that the walls are designed has acoustic properties that are very specifically in tune with human consciousness. And the more we look into the specifics of how advanced this cave is, the more we see it seems to be some kind of an oracle chamber for reaching higher states of consciousness. A place that some of these adepts and these sages and masters could go and seek a place to practice, to reach these higher states. The Long Yu Caves are not only places of refuge during times of cataclysm, but they are what are referred to as hypogeans, a term that's most obviously used in connection with the hypogeum in Malta, which is another underground complex which we know was used for ritual purposes so that's the commonality with all of these places underground as more evidence continues to surface of a potential pre-diluvian civilization in china the area around xian holds more mysterious clues in 1912 while walking through the shanxi province American travel agent Fred Meyer Schroeder spotted a giant white pyramid. Then, in 1945, this pyramid was introduced to the Western world when a U.S. Army pilot named James Gaussman reported and allegedly photographed a huge white pyramid while flying over a valley southwest of Xi'an. A few years later, the New York Times used Gaussman's alleged photograph and reported a story from the director of Transworld Airlines, Colonel Maurice Sheehan, stating that he was flying over a valley southwest of Xi'an when he spotted a huge pyramid. Further stories surfaced, and the pyramid was later identified as the well-known tomb of Emperor Wu of Han, located northwest of Xi'an. Could these sightings from the 1900s be pointing to a different pyramid than this emperor's tomb? And how many other pyramids does this mysterious region hold? 
One of the other fascinating archaeological discoveries in China are the pyramids of the Xi'an province. Now, there are dozens of these pyramids all over the area. Many of them are now almost covered up with orchards and forests and things like this. But some of them are quite famous. The famous one with the terracotta army was found underneath it and so forth. And these are supposed to be the mausoleums or the burial places of ancient emperors going back a couple of thousand years. But some of these are huge. We have the famous White Pyramid, it was called, when it was first discovered. It was first spotted by people flying over the area in the early 1900s. And this caused a sensation because pyramids aren't supposed to exist there. They exist in Mexico. They existed in Egypt. But that was it, really. But now they've been found everywhere. We have the Blackstone Pyramids of Sicily and Tenerife and Mauritius. We also have a ziggurat-type structure found in northern Sardinia called Monte del Cody, which dates back 6,000 years. We have the temples in Cambodia and Southeast Asia, which are very similar to some of the pyramids we find in Guatemala and Mexico. And the list goes on. So the ones in China, to me, it just represents this global awareness and global conversation that was taking place in ancient times, where the technologies, the building styles and the constructions are found with a very similar style all over the world. Pyramid building is a phenomenon that exists all around the world. So if you can attribute either the roots of that tradition and the, the seeds of that idea to a common ancestor culture, then for sure I think that the civilization that built the pyramids in China were likely part of that or certainly connected to it. Besides the wonders of the Longhu Caves, the Yangsheng Quarry and the Great White Pyramid, the most sophisticated structure we find in China is known as the Tomb of the General. Now, much that we find in other parts of the world, there's never been evidence of any general that was ever buried here. Was this actually a tomb? The more we've looked into studying this structure, as well as the similarities it has to other pre-Diluvian megalithic pyramids and temples around the world, the more that we find that it may have been mislabeled and misrepresented as being a tomb when it's actually a sacred temple pyramid that's very similar to structures such as Teotihuacan in Mexico, one of these pyramids with a flat top. Now, the reason why we know that this structure was not built to be a tomb was that the blocks that were used to build it were some of the most highly sophisticated megalithic construction we see anywhere in the world, telling us that it was from this time period before the Younger Dryas. When we look at the seven levels of the Tomb of the General, is that supposed to represent the seven levels of higher consciousness, the seven chakras? It seems to represent these higher states of consciousness. So we must reevaluate all these ancient structures, like the Tomb of the General, to give it an entirely different purpose in life, to understand what its true purpose was long ago. As the relics scattered throughout China point to a time of sophisticated masonry and architecture, the question remains, when were these relics created? And how advanced was this ancient civilization? Ancient ancestors once upon a time, how technologically and scientifically advanced were they? Do we assume that they were all basically just nomadic hunter-gatherers for 200,000 years? And then suddenly after the Younger Dryas, we invent urban complexes, 
domestication of animals. We've created all these languages. Did all of that just happen within that millennia or two after the last global catastrophe? And then for, for 200,000 years before that, we never advanced beyond hunter-gatherers. And if we did advance, how far did we advance? And if we advanced scientifically and technologically, do we assume that it looked just like what we've done? Not necessarily. And if we're looking for a mirror of our own civilization in the past, we may not find it because it may not have looked anything like our own civilization. See, this is opens up all kinds of interesting possibilities that I think are worth exploring. I think it was William Davis, the founder of geomorphology, back in the early 20th century, was castigating his colleagues because he said, you guys need to expand your thinking and quit being so afraid of the, what he called the outrageous hypothesis. Because sometimes maybe that outrageous hypothesis may explain things better than the more normal stuff. It's mind-boggling, the precision, the way that they could cut stone, these ancient civilizations. They could smooth stone, shape stone, and move stone. But in a time period that, according to traditional archaeology, they shouldn't have been able to do that. Or they couldn't have done it with the tools that we have in the archaeological record. So it really points to the idea that these guys had a skill set that we've lost. It was lost at some point between then and now. It's gone. We cannot replicate and move stones in the same way that these civilizations could. So to me, it really highlights and points to an idea that we we have lost something in time. Something happened that stopped the progression of that technology. We don't know everything yet. We're still, there's whole areas of science that we're only just beginning to explore. And it's certainly possible to me that ancient civilizations may have progressed down an entirely different field of technology, an entirely different field of science, something that we don't fully understand. So when we look at the past and we look at these puzzles that are presented to us in the form of megalithic architecture or precision-made massive stone objects, we have to be open-minded enough to consider the fact that the solutions to these problems may exist outside of our current sphere of reference or outside of our current field of technology. And doing it that way is really the only way that we're ever going to learn something about it. If we just dismiss it and say, no, no, this was all done by hand and it was done with copper chisels, then we're not going to get anywhere. But if we, we take an open-minded approach and we analyze these objects, we might actually stand to learn something and develop some skills for our own civilization in the process. As the discoveries from China continue to challenge the mainstream timeline for the rise of civilization, what other evidence will be discovered to link the ancient inhabitants of this mysterious land to the powerful pre-Diluvian civilizations of Mu and Atlantis that were destroyed but not forgotten? can do one more. Um, 
before the music. Okay, let's just ET intervention, right? For oh. upcoming pole shift. Oh. <laughs> we'll do this really quick. Uh. Squeeze it right in here. Okay, this is... Um, can changes to the Earth's magnetic poles, as well as the coronal mass ejections from our sun be positively influenced by ET intelligence and humanity's collective consciousness. Tim, the tactical advisor from Germany, delves into a fascinating conversation with Emery Smith about this current and extraordinary time in our planetary cycle. As the Earth's magnetic poles undergo transformations, the core and crust will alter their speed and direction, potentially leading to unprecedented cataclysmic natural events not seen since pre-Diluvian times. Yet this shift also presents an intriguing opportunity for the collective consciousness, including Gaia's interconnected community, to implement the Maharishi effect through focused meditation and influence for a positive outcome. All right, this is exactly 34 minutes. We'll get started, and then we'll go to the music after that for the night. Here we go. Today on Cosmic Disclosure, we are with Tim, who is speaking with us from Germany. Tim is a tactical advisor in the covert governance in Germany that's related to extraterrestrial life. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Everyone is talking about current transformations being experienced on Earth. What can you tell us about what's going on that feels so different? So this is one of the most interesting times to be alive on this planet because planets naturally go through certain cycles and this is one of them actually happening in front of our eyes. So what we see on a social level is that a lot of restructuring is being done right in front of our eyes. Um, but more profoundly and interestingly is to look at the um, physical nature of the shift that is actually happening right now. So what we know is that the whole solar system itself is moving towards a location in the universe that has denser energies and is more packed with information and energies in that way. And this has profound impact on our lives. What we actually are being confronted with is uh, that the Earth core has stopped its rotation and is now actually reversing this motion. 
So everyone at home can imagine what happens if you have two, you know, balls in that way and both were rotating in one direction and suddenly the inner ball of that stops or even reverses its motion, then the whole surface area of that slows down much more and more and even turns its motion into um, the other direction as well. We might not be you know, seeing that because there's a physical phenomenon that um, acceleration on a surface level cannot be felt in that way. We we see that, for example, if we drive in a car uh, and this car is going 100 miles per hour, is that <laughs> how you say it um, in the US? So you don't experience that in that way. You also don't experience when it's going backwards or forwards. Um, sometimes when we're sitting in a train and we see uh, a different train um, going in the other direction, we don't always see that. We can still move on um, in the tr- inside of the train. This is a phenomenon uh, that is based on physics. But the actual surface of the planet will eventually come to a stop and also rotate in the different direction. Uh, and you can imagine what the impact on the surface level will be in a physical and natural uh, way. Uh, we've seen, for example, that pretty devastating earthquakes have occurred uh, lately. And this is something, um, some of the, uh, you know, natural phenomena uh, that can happen when the crust itself uh, stops and, you know, turns its direction. Are you suggesting that the crust of the Earth is already changing direction? Yes, actually, that's that's um, that's what I'm suggesting. So the those earthquakes and uh, you know natural phenomena that we see stand in relation to um, the phenomenon that the poles the poles of the planet are actually shifting. So we're talking about a magnetic uh, pole shift that is also happening, and this is quite normal in a way, spoken from a scientific background, because the planet itself. Uh, every 12,000 to 15,000 years approximately goes through these kind of pole shifts. So if we go back to the time uh, when pyramids were still relevant, if you look into the amount of iron in the ground, you can see that it somehow shifted from one point to another. So that suggests that a magnetic pole shift occurred uh, back in those days. So this is what actually is happening. Um, So right now we're having a uh, version of Earth where North Pole and South Pole, when the magnetic poles are actually shifting, this will also uh, move towards a different direction. If this has already started, how will that affect life here on Earth? Well, that's that's the concern, actually. What's, What's the actual impact of that? If you only take that as a um, Newtonian physical effect, then yes, those. Okay. Well, have you been listening? I've been listening, and I would say that um, we're not going to have to go through a dramatic pole shift. Well, he's not. He's talking about. A magnetic shift. Well, no. You have to listen. Um I think he's talking about the Earth actually going in the opposite direction. Yeah. What is that about? It's about magnetics, yeah. But no, he's talking about a devastating surface occurrence at the time. Yeah, and we have gone past that. 
So I'm going to pass. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, well, then I guess what we'll do is just go straight to the music. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, we might have an early night tonight. What can I say, everybody? All right. Hello? Padme? Hi, Padme here. Hi. Hi, Tears. So I've listened to this three or four times. And let me say Tactical Tim has obviously been told a tiny bit of curbing it, I guess, so to speak. And Rama knows this. Yeah. Yeah. So he's always been right on the money up until this last episode, and I'm just going to interject for the record that the pole shift, whatever it is, blah, 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 cha-cha, let's talk about the fact that we're he's been told he cannot say about Nasara. I don't think, I think the magnetics changed a bit ago. Rama, you could really lend light to that, but let's get real about the fact that he's kind of off base based on his handlers. Let's get real. Sorry. Okay. All right. I just wanted to, it was a moment for me to step in as a lion and say, wait a minute, Er Thank you so much. I'm sorry, everybody. That was a mistake. Please forgive me, Padme. It's okay. Rama can, can set the record straight. All I'm saying is, is that there is a place right now where even cosmic disclosure is kind of been held with handlers that is not exactly correct. That's all I'm going to say. And Rama, you know this whole shift happens a while while ago or whatever you want to say. Just, I'm just saying I'm calling in as a, as a true bystander that things are a little bit not quite this part. Yes, I would concur. All right. Thank you. I just felt the need. Sorry. This is the first time that we had one of these altercations on what we've been presented by Gaia TV. That's very interesting. Yeah, let's say that, you know, the higher-ups have told them, you know, Change the narrative a bit. The higher ups have told guys. Uh, in a certain sense, what I'm saying is the man in black told Gaia TV to kind of change the story if oh. you want to live. Oh. Yeah. Does that mean we got to check every darn thing? No, I don't want. Sure about that. Yeah, well, I don't think you should say that. It means going forward, you must also add the narrative. But, uh, damn it, this is a point of uh, a paramount point where I see something in cosmic disclosure that needs a slight amount of addressing just so that everyone can think on their feet. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. All right. 
Thank you, Padme. All yeah. right. I called for a reason. It felt like an alarm moment. Sorry. But I love you guys, and you're always... Uh-oh. It's... What happened? We lost you, Penny, but love is what alerts us to things that are necessary to pay attention to. Yes. So, what I'm going to do with this little bit of extra time is I'm going to read um, Aurora Ray's message Mm -hmm. before we play. And we're going to play Christmas with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. It is one we heard already from three years ago. Makes no difference. If you remembered everything, it's just worth it to listen to it again. It's from 2020, uh, and uh, we will enjoy it no matter what. Uh, we're going to uh, read this now. This is Aurora Ray for today. Orion's play a critical role. I think what she means is people from Orion's belt. Yes. A critical role in Earth's ascension journey by grounding spiritual energies and anchoring light, their wisdom and advanced technologies can help unravel the mysteries of the universe while empowering us to achieve our full potential. Turn the page here. Out there in space, Some really smart and advanced beings are way ahead of us in both spiritual and technical stuff. They are kind and want to share their wisdom and cool technology with us so that we can get as smart as they are. They are helping Earth become a better place, like a kind of paradise. Arcturians... The Arcturians are believed to come from the Boots constellation. They are an advanced extraterrestrial race that is focused on spiritual growth and ascension. Physically, Arcturians are described as tall, slender humanoid beings with large almond-shaped eyes. Their skin can range from green to blue in color. Yeah. They are not, they do not have hair on their bodies, and they have larger skulls than humans. Arcturus is an advanced civilization where technology and spirituality are integrated. Their society is based on unconditional love harmony, and emotional intelligence. There is no monetary system and all basic needs are met. The Arcturians play an important role in Earth's ascension. They are considered master healers and teachers. Their primary purpose is to assist humans in raising their vibration and consciousness. 
specific contributions from the Arcturians include advanced healing modalities, using energy medicine, and light technology. This helps repair DNA and activate higher chakras. Telepathic communications to impart spiritual wisdom. They help humans develop intuition and connect with their higher selves. Light technology and codes to upgrade energy systems on Earth. This accelerates evolution and expands consciousness. Training through the Arcturian Mystery Schools in the etheric realms. This provides accelerated spiritual development. Guidance to awakened star seeds who originate from Arcturus and are are incarnated on Earth. The Arcturians are benevolent beings dedicated to facilitating the ascension of humanity and raising the vibration of Earth. Their spiritual teachings and healing abilities make them powerful allies in our collective awakening. Andromedans. The Andromedans hail from the Andromeda galaxy, approximately 2.5 million light years away from our solar system. They are humanoid in appearance, averaging around 7 feet tall, with slender bills and almond-shaped eyes. Their skin tones range from azure blue to olive green. Mm -hmm. The Andromedan civilization is highly advanced, both technologically and spiritually. Their home planet is characterized by abundant natural resources and great biodiversity. Andromedan society is governed by principles of balance between technology and nature. They value intellectual pursuits and self-mastery. In terms of Earth's ascension, the Andromedans are focused on environmental restoration and sustainable technology. They encourage humanity to harness innovation responsibly with compassion for all life forms. The Andromedans have introduced light technologies designed to clean up pollution and regenerate ecosystems. They also promote spiritual practices that foster inner peace as this ripples outward to create planetary harmony. Specific specific contributions include holographic healing modalities that work on the etheric level to bring balance and optimal health. These techniques utilize sacred geometry and an understanding of the subtle anatomy. Nature communication teachings that enable telepathic connections with plants, animals, and earth sentient spirit. This strengthens humanity's bond with the natural world. 
photonic energy transmission to accelerate spiritual awakening and activate latent abilities such as telepathy, inner sight, and enhanced intuition. The increased light quotient boosts vibrational frequencies. Intergalactic alliances with benevolent star nations, facilitating mutual support and knowledge, exchange in service to cosmic evolution. Turn the page. (laughs) The Andromedans are ambassadors, bringing ET wisdom to benefit humanity. Guidance to channel higher dimensional energies through creativity, such as celestial music, architecture, and light language, these expressions uplift consciousness. Insights into timelines and probabilities to empower conscious manifestation of positive futures for Earth. Their perspective provides guidance during this transitional era. I just wanted to, did you do the net, did you do the, the thing with today? You didn't give me the numbers. Okay. Okay, just wanted to make sure you did it. All right. Um, so, finally, um, insights into timelines and probabilities to empower conscious manifestation of positive futures for Earth. Their perspective provides guidance during this transitional era. The Andromedans are committed to Earth's ascension into an enlightened civilization, providing key tools and wisdom to move humanity toward greater cosmic alignment and understanding, understanding, overstanding. I was just going to say, I'll read the last sentence of this first. Through their presence and contributions, our perspectives are expanded and we gain clarity on our path ahead as planetary way showers. I was just going to say it's interesting that that happened. The dark side's desperate to, to squash the light. And what they did is they just strengthened it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, Padme was on her toes calling in, and I'm calling Rama to come in and say, well, what's this? And, and the idea here is that it's really working. People are waking up and they're challenging this stuff. Right. And I'm just going to say for those who are still attached to the things that aren't correct, we're going to blaze the violet fire Mm. with all the love we can hold and then send more love than that. Because love's the answer. What we get to do, and I was touching on it earlier today, is we don't have to be in this place of subjugated slaves to what the whims of a few very wealthy people who do not have any interest in humanity as a whole ascending. They don't even know what that is. That that is not our lot. And the real beauty of Nasara law 
is that everybody has everything they need, want, and desire. All and enough time, love, energy, and air to breathe for however they want to do their life, uh, for however how long they want to be here. They don't need to die. They can go to another place and and do some more dancing around there. It's not about dying. It's not about life and death. It is about infinite life where we bring joy everywhere. And this is, we don't even know yet, do we, Rama? No. <laughs> Although you've had a few extra experiences that most of us haven't. Uh, yeah. You want to comment? Oh, just uh, meeting folks on Venus, uh, such a level of compassion and understanding that um, they know what we are going through and they are helping us to the extent they can and that's where we have to move the energy ourselves and it changes space, time, everything. But this kind of evil that we still got there hanging are around wanting That's... to change the narrative to one of uh, something other than perfection. Yeah, but what I'm saying is there are days the the messages you've been getting for months and months and months is their day in the sun is done. Capiche. All right. So, I I mean, Rama is walking around here like he can't hardly contain himself because he knows <laughs> that this is over. Right? Yes. <laughs> okay, so the large beings from Orion embody the warrior spirit carrying a fierce devotion to protection and service. Hailing from a planetary system located on Orion's belt, their society is structured around spiritual advancement and upholding cosmic law. Physically, Orions are described as tall, powerfully built humanoids with reddish or golden skin tones. Okay, everyone, it's something to behold this night that we're here. Um, may we all travel this good red road and may the work of all beings be honored. And may the paradox of knowing the path and yet forgetting, <laughs> may that end and may peace, may peace prevail on earth. Oh, just a second. Classic Carol's that recall the two.
tender moments of Christmas's past. Can you tell us tonight? Oh, well, thank you for all that music. <laughs> Lovely. I don't know what to say. I I never get tired of this music. Yeah. 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 Well, we're, there we go. We could do it year-round, couldn't we? <laughs> Yeah, what we really want is peace. Yeah. All over the world, and let's just take some time each day and call it in. What do you say, Rama? Ditto. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) So thank you for tonight, and I pass that talking stick. Okay, thank you, Rainbow. We are complete, though. Um, take. I a- can't outdo that choir. No. <laughs> I hope they will come back next year. It's interesting that it's been a couple of years now that they haven't done a live one. Mm. I mean, a new one, you know. Yeah. But, uh... All things get renewed here, and our faction three white knights have been telling it's not down the road. It's now. I know. Uh, they still don't tell us dates, but they're preparing us. So may we continue to persevere through all the weathered storms. And may this moment of humanity and its evolution into higher consciousness continue with all the added blessings that we could possibly need, want, and desire. (coughs) Heaven is here on earth, I think. What do you say? May the force be with all of us. (laughs) Aho. Aho, mitakuyasa. 
All right. So I guess we'll sign off now. We'll get a few extra winks tonight. And um, I could call it in anyway that Cheryl does some magnificent work on uh, Sunday evenings and Monday evenings. And she starts her work at 7 o'clock Mountain Time, 9 o'clock Eastern, and works through about three hours. Uh, and this work of calling on the higher beings of light at this time, I would say, would be really welcome. And we welcome all of you who have an interest in maybe joining us. So I will give you the number. And the number is 425-436-6260. And the PIN code is 946-7441-POUND. Again, that's 425 Four three six six two six zero, and the pin code is nine four six seven four four one pound. Thank you, and thank you, and thank you. Thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart. No evil, live long and prosper, and may peace prevail on this beautiful planet. And Satnam. Dot nam Aho mitakuyasa namaste and aloha. Thank you everyone.